I need someone to show me my place in all this. Hello and welcome to the Vintage Rebellion Podcast. I'm Stuart Skinner, your host for the show, and you are listening to episode 43, To New Boldly Go, Where No Thantha Has Gone Before. Joining me tonight, because we had no choice, he arrived right before you did, it's Richard Hutchinson. Good evening, Rich. Evening, guys. He's the fastest hunk of junk in the galaxy. It's Jezebel. Good evening, Jez. Good evening, Stu. Good evening, lads. Good evening, everyone. You in a rush tonight? Oh, we've got a lot to cram in. It's going to be a crammed <laughs> show. Recorded in one sitting, folks. Indeed. He truly belongs here with me among the clouds. It's Peter Davis. Good evening, Peter Weedy. Hello, Stu. Hello. Finally, he's a jittery little thing. It's Simon McCohen. Good evening, Si. Hello, my chunky little monkey. How are you? Harassed. Harassed. Because <laughs> of people banging themselves. That <laughs> 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 wasn't going to come out, out like that. Yeah. All, all wrong. December, gents. Eight days till we would all be watching The Last Jedi. So, in fact, when this podcast is probably released, we'd have probably all seen it. Are any of you not going on release night? I'm not. Why not? Well, I only did it last time because when I was working in a school, I thought all the kids would go and see it on release night and spoil it. Therefore, I would have to go. But this time, um, my daughter said that she wanted to go and she said she'd rather go on the Saturday. So I thought, right, fine, we'll go Saturday morning. Because that week I've got pantomime at work, I'm not going to finish till late every single night. And I thought I didn't want to go there and straight to the cinema. So, so Saturday you're going to try and stay spoiler-free from overnight Wednesday to Saturday morning? Well, if you just chill your beans a second, I've been virtually spoiler-free through all of the TV trailers. I haven't seen a single one. I've seen, as far as I'm aware, no leaked images. seen nothing at all. Facebook Friends, Rich, is full of British and American Star Wars fans who, as soon as the American release comes out, it's going to be everywhere. I can turn Facebook off for two or three days. It's not going to kill us. (laughs) (laughs) Rich, are you going to see it more than once? I'll see it more than once, yeah, but probably just once at the cinema. Don't really know what to say to you, Rich. Disappointed. Now, since the last show, something actually more someone has really been irritating me with constant gripes at other collectors online and snidey little comments behind the safety of a screen and that really really winds me up when someone treats others in the community with so much contempt when i know for a fact if they were face to face wouldn't say anything so this is a thing that irritates me the most in the hobby i was just wondering amongst the rest of you what one thing in this hobby of ours irritates you so much more than any other thing great there's something that i think we're probably all guilty of as collectors when you buy something you're not buying it for anybody else at all you're not buying it for your mates well i hope you're not for your family for anything like that it's it is all about you i mean collecting is the ultimate in in greed and there's ways of moderating it but i just think that and i'm I'm going to blame social media again why not we blame it for everything else i just think that social media brings out the worst in that because then you are buying it for yourself but you're also buying it to sort of perhaps show off a little bit look what i've just bought it's the old you know mail call post all over again isn't it but uh yeah 
that's the one thing in the hobby that annoys me the most. Interesting. Rich? Difficult, because um, I think the male calls have actually started to drop off now. I would say probably the explosion of egos we've seen probably over the last year, and I suppose that could link in with the greed, but there's far too much of a, a look at me and a syphocantic approach to a lot of collecting at this moment in time. Jezebel? That's a fantastic question, mate. So what, what in the last few months has really, really irritated me from a collecting point of view? I think it's the traffic system around Ghent, which we spoke about um, on the last <laughs> podcast, because not much really upsets me, as you know. However, the traffic system around Ghent, yeah, that kind of uh, boiled my piss a little bit. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, I've always thought of you as being quite a uh, kind of level-headed, calm sort of bloke, but you had a few moments in Ghent. That traffic just makes no sense. And maybe I was just still a bit wound up after nearly killing everyone two days before, but that that's another story. It's a good story for another time. I'm being led into the woods by a small <laughs> creature that was nothing to do that's not actually what he's getting cross about he's scared of the woods Rita, oh, well. Pete Curbside whatever your name is <laughs> is that what he's really upset about his own phobias yeah and then he's come out hasn't it and he's <laughs> irritated that he right, doesn't yep. look as manly as what he likes I think <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm so sorry about that oh Stu do you know what really really annoys me and this is only this has only happened kind of like I don't know it, it, it wasn't what I came into hobby for and didn't really care too much initially but now it's really annoying me and this is people who justify the whole cost thing on reproductions you could almost you could almost give them a like a microsecond or micro glimpse of sympathy when someone's going, well, I can't afford to spend four grand on something, so I'll buy something that's ten quid. You go, okay, that's, that's it's rubbish, but there we go. But now we've seen this this repro lover churning out stuff for 150 quid and idiots are paying 150 pounds for it and uh, i don't want to advertise what it is but it's something you could you could get vintage for not too much difference in price for what he actually selling he's only selling let's say the cardboard bits and not the other parts of it and you think hang on a minute hang on a minute, hang on a minute. i thought this this whole thing the whole reason for doing this was to get stuff you can't you can go and get that item for about you know maybe a hundred pound more so it's just rubbish that, that excuse anyone use that excuse to me is is dead to me as a collector you're not you're not you're not welcome here anymore go away if you've got that in your collection then just you know go and hide in the toilet you're not you're not part of my hobby thank you very much because it's just rubbish it's, it's that sort of justification that oh i can't afford to save up for two years to buy something so I'll, I'll i'll spend almost as much money on this now and it's funny that uh, i went on to this this uh repro makers site and it was annoying to see a lot of people mutual friends of these repro lovers and i was thinking oh, my goodness how we lovely to expose these people and say you're a fraud but you know there we go but that's that's annoys me that, that's the thing that annoys me Stu. really gets on my nerves well i'm really glad that uh, in this season of goodwill we've all opened up <laughs> some really <laughs> angry feelings and um <laughs> <laughs> It's brilliant. Now, it is Father's From this weekend, which, of course, when this is released, will be over. But uh, we have a second fanzine being released whilst at Father's From. Be a limited run of 100, is that right, Rich? 100 being printed of these? 90. 90, so it's even more scarce. So, Pete, can people get hold of these? It's got a free gift of a mixtape on the front of it with some outtakes and uh, a little bit of content here and there you haven't heard before. And uh, the adverts that we, we used to put out a while ago. So it's it's pretty full. It's probably about 60, 70 minutes of content on there. So dig out your old tape players and, and give it a whirl. I do have the MP3 files of all the stuff if uh, if people are interested later, that later down the line. But obviously we'll we'll make them available for everybody. But uh, that's that's where we'll launch it and get some pictures. And if you want one, contact us and uh, we can we can negotiate a price. Bless them, obviously. We've uh, had a little, little nose at it this week. And it's, you know, some great articles in there. I think most of us have written something for it. Yeah, everyone, yeah, absolutely. Um, who 
else have we had give us Craig Stevens. A, uh, Stevens um, who's obviously just written his book about uh, Star Wars and Great Britain. He's just uh, he, he's done a nice little article. We've got a nice article from a guy from Tantive Eleven Forum, uh, Alex McGraw. He's actually done us a, an article which is relevant to the title of the fanzine, which is um, it came from the loft. He's actually written about a loft experience, so finding toys in his loft and stuff in his loft. So, well, stuff in his loft. I shan't go into that too much detail. Um, Jason Smith's written an article about palatal carbacks. So we've got a lovely cover again from Mark Daniels. It's Sean cool. Moynihan. Sean Moynihan, well done indeed, yes. The Duke of Staten Island has written us an article about the olden days. So it's, uh, and there's, there's some cartoons. Uh, Jez has done a lovely quiz for us. Simon has written about facts. Stu has written us an article about Greedo's disco pants. And, uh, and Rich has written a lovely article about how to pack mocks properly. And, um, and I've done a little piece on, I will call it computer game gim crack, because there, there are computer games out there that came out in the early days that weren't licensed at all, but are kind of, you know, rip-offs of Star Wars games. And uh, I went back, and I found more than I thought there was. So uh, I might, might do a bit about that on the podcast at a later date, but it was fascinating to, to actually try and find these games. There's some real, absolutely superb games out there, and there's some real bad ones as well. So uh, there's a few pages on that, and, then, and we've got a nice photo story as well. So there's so much to do. There was so much in there, including a free tape Christmas Day, apart from sit down, read the fanzine, listen to the tape in your tape machine that you've got new for Christmas, and uh, have a day old time. <laughs> Hold the Comlink, Pete, a free tape. You're taking it yes. to the next level. Oh, this is taking it, mate. Just, just, we are top of the game because Justin Bieber's been releasing his albums on tape. This is a Star Wars collecting first, ladies and gents. Issue two. So this is going to be available for three quid, three pound. What can that buy you these days? You know, Nothing. you can't even buy a pack of Hubba Bubba for three pound. You probably can, but, um, <laughs> but a tape. Fanzine and post it anywhere in the world, Pete. Yeah, anybody that's interested in one that wasn't farthest from and didn't pick one up, contact preferably Pete, but any one of us will do, and uh, we can sort something out. So, whilst all these listeners will be getting a little mixtape as an acquisition this Christmas, what have we been getting? To be honest with you, I know there's been a lot of modern purchases going on, but can't recall too many vintage acquisitions been happening between us lot. Pete, have you picked anything up? I actually have. Now, aside from more magazines, <laughs> specialist magazines, uh, we Empire Strikes Back in them, I can't mention because obviously that's saved for another podcast. I did pick up a lovely advert from uh, Mathieu about, um, it was a Miro Meccano advert, uh, one of those adverts that we uh, love, yeah, the cheeky ones with the, uh, they're normally 12 inch figures having a bit of a, a joke and a laugh. But I picked up one of those from Mathieu, so it's a really nice little piece. I only get it framed up and make it look right smart. I also got an R2D2 mint on card, 65 back but quite reasonable price um 60 quid in the end effectively if there's anything wrong with it it was a little the card was a bit crystal so someone's folded it in a bit but it hadn't hadn't ruined the life though at all it's just a little bit um kind of you know squashed in the middle but the bubble was absolutely mint the figures obviously mint inside really nice card once it's uh once it's you know in a in a case so yeah i was quite chuffed for that so i've still not paid 100 pounds yet for a mock is that the oh. sensor scope r2 yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the the image of c3po kind of bending over him that's the one yeah. See, it's really nice it's um it's a good little little mock there i mean uh, i've got about 40 mocks now i can't believe it wow. but that's it that was that my vintage purchases jess i've uh, i've actually done very well you know I, I haven't had much stuff recently i haven't had much luck but since we did the last recording and just prior to publishing the last one i was in the old shop toy planet had a little look saw up on the wall he had some 30 backs and some 20 back palatoys i was like 
wow had a close look and very quickly i was able to see that these were open cards so bubble still attached but opened pretty much let's say on yeah pretty much half the surface area the bubble had had been opened so the figures could come in and out but i saw these and he had them uh, marked down at a very reasonable price and after a while i uh, i ended up walking out of all four of them two for me and two for grant so when you consider the going rate for 30 bucks i mean the one i was particularly pleased with is i walked away with a leah hoth and the leah blaster was still believe it or not attached on the inside of the bubble i got that with foot to everything and it was at a very keen price in fact probably almost certainly um, cheaper than a leah blaster on its own <laughs> i could say <laughs> And also the other one I got for myself was a 20-back Greedo, which I'm delighted with because it is, it is just such a great card, a Greedo card. Um, I know you're a massive fan, Stu. Uh, the ones I got for Grant was a 30-back Hand Bespin, which I understand is, is particularly sought after, quite hard to find that one. And the other one which he got was the Imperial Snowtrooper, which is probably, you know, the Hoth Stormtrooper. It's probably the worst condition of all of them, but for the price we paid, Grant's extremely pleased I'm going to be handing them over to him at Farberstrom and uh, for me to get some carded again for the first time in absolutely ages albeit yeah just open open bubbles yeah mate buzzing yeah great great to have you back in the acquisitions there Jez and with great items thank you very much worth the wait um oh dearie me which one of these dipsticks to go to next let's go rich Yeah, nice, nice items, then, Jez. You obviously didn't go down on the Monday like I did. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's not good. <laughs> well, I've spent a lot of time um, on displays, so I didn't think I was actually going to purchase anything. But towards the back end of last week, I couldn't turn down the die-cast tie bomber that I've been after for a long time. And thanks to Mark Baker, I managed to sort out a deal whereby he was buying a job lot from the States, and the guy was selling a tie bomber, and Mark tried to you know, negotiate a price included in the job lot to sell it to me so thanks very much mark that's much appreciated so i completed my diecast run and i was over the moon until i went to put it with all of the rest of the diecast items and i'd realized that my x-wing's gone so there's two things one or two things has happened to me x-wing I've either sold it or it's just disappeared, in which case I'm going to blame my son because I, I do know that he stole my Slave 1 about two years ago and that turned up in his toy box, bad out of hell. So I contacted Mark and I said, I'm not going to believe this. I thought I've completed my diecast run, but now I've realised that I haven't because my X-Wings went missing. And he went, well, as luck would have it, Rich, I've also got an X-Wing for sale as well. I then had to buy the, the diecast X-Wing off him at a fantastic price. So now my diecast run is totally complete and I can put that to bed. Now, Jez, you're a bit of a ram you know like a bit of a pilot buff and you and you like your looks and all that kind of things right now can you remember was it last episode where Stu said that it was the imperial hoth trooper who was flying the tie bomber was that correct Stu? yes yeah who's flying the x-wing diecast i don't know it's just um, an x-wing pilot isn't it it is an x-wing pilot but who oh wow it's bigs it's bigs yeah and i didn't know this but i was on um, spoons's website and because of the markings, it's actually Red 3. It's not Luke's X-Wing. It's Red 3. I went on to um, Wikipedia, find out who Red 3 was, and Red 3 was Big Starlighter. So that's actually Big Starlighter as X-Wing. It's not Luke's X-Wing, and I never knew that. Me neither, Rich. Every day is an education, isn't it? It is. I think that's it. Anyways, he says ridiculous amount of modern things, which, you know, 
probably shouldn't have bought now when I think about it but I'm really pleased to finish off a run and that's going to be my focus now for the next year I think is to complete as many of the outstanding runs that I've got as possible lovely lovely pickup I know you've wanted that for a couple of years just need to add that uh, 12 inch Tuscan Raider for under 50 quid 150 not 50 oh yeah I'm not tight (laughs) 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 Uh, Simone yeah Vectus delivery turned up in three boxes. Lot <laughs> of modern tat. We won't even go there. But from Vectus, I had a 45 back, uh, 45B Palatoy Forlom. So that was quite nice. Quite like that figure. A Wicket Trilogo at last. Never had one. They always just seemed to be too much money. Such a little figure. People ask too much for it. So I finally got one of those. That was great. A load of loose figures with a load of weapons because I, I was in the process of putting together a, a second loose set. I missed buying loose figures carded is great and all the rest of it but it's just so expensive but I miss buying loose figures so I'd started a, a less than mint set so that was uh, an opportune time to, to grab a load uh, and then another lot of weapons and bits and pieces X-Wing cannons for my small fleet of X-Wings that I've got so that was all from Vectis oh and random hit the button that looks fun I quite like that was a Canadian large size action figure Boba Fett really nice Canadian box the figure's fine and complete but it only had one of the flyer type instruction sheets in there and no insert and Mark Daniels had warned me before how hard it is to get hold of a Boba Fett insert for the large size action figure and it did prove a bit tricky until about 10 minutes later Mark went look at this one and sent me a link to an auction no it wasn't it was a buy it now on eBay in America someone who had an absolutely trashed Boba Fett box with a complete Boba Fett and the insert so it was a it was a no-brainer click buy it now and done so that's complete really happy about that what else was there? Mostly sealed, EV99 on tr- on a nice Trilogo card. It was just a weak seal. That's all it was. I've, I've got a couple of other of the last 17 that have really weak Trilogo seals. That was a nice addition for my continued Trilogo run. And then from Carl Dennis, he's been the source of a couple of things this month, a 45A Palatoy TIE Fighter pilot. Love that card. Such a great looking card and figure. And a Trilogo Max Repo band. Other than that, not a lot really. You do buy some stuff every month, don't you? Mate, I've, I've got a problem. Got, you've got many at them, but... No, with buying stuff. Last month I've not been able to stop. And every time I catch myself thinking, right, that'll do. No more. Then Nick bloody rainer messages me tonight oh by the way i'm selling these two toy tonys as well on top of the other two that i mentioned the other week and i said nick i'd, I'd love to mate it's very kind of you but i really can't I've, I've i've been spending too much and it's it's the wrong time of year no worries i'll i'll put them on jabber's palace or jabber's court which one is it the auction place jabber's we'll just go with jabber's yeah uh, I'll, I'll stick them on jabber's so I was like, yeah, yeah, best to mate. But thanks for the offer. And then, just Nick, out of interest, what were you asking for all for? Well, this amount. <sighs> so that's another few hundred quid I've just gone and spent. I need help. I blame you, mostly. You're collecting toy Tonys. I am collecting a run of toy Tonys for a very, very specific purpose. Mm. I have to bring this upside because I've only just listened to last month's show and you, you bit my head off when I said you were a, a Toy Tony fan. <laughs> um, I wonder if you're going to pick up on that. And you're buying a lot of them, but you're not a fan, you know? No, mm. no, 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 no. Now, let's be accurate here, Stu, in your journalism. Big fan of Toy Tony. Journalism? Yeah. You know. <laughs> I've seen that comment somewhere in the last week and I can't think where. What, calling you a journalist? No, someone calling someone a journalist. Really bad journalism or something. I don't know where I've heard it. Yeah, it's, it's quite the insult to call you a journalist. <laughs> I have a purpose for buying these, which I'm not going to go into 
now. I, a, I do actually like them. You were right to say that. But it just came across that I was a big fan of Toy Tony. And come on, nobody's a fan. His mother's not a fan of him, for Christ's sake. Ways. Not not a lot at all. Do you know what? I finally bought a uh, a General Marine. Marine. Oh, it's because I'm talking to you, Jez. That's Marines true. on the mind. <laughs> a General Medine mint on card, which I was bidding on a Jabbers, which Rich just thought it'd just pipe up and start out trying to outbid me. I'm bumping it up. So cheers, cheers for that, Rich. No problem, anytime. <laughs> what I did buy, I did get a sealed packet of Sigma table mats. I've never seen them. I've seen them in the box, but I've never seen them sealed. So uh, that's a first. The only problem with having them sealed is I can only see the top design. So I do wonder whether I'm going to have to pick them all up loose as well at some point. But apart from that, I think that's it for my vintage purchases. I have bought another piece of Sigma off dear old handsome Mr. Carl Dix, but I'm not Picking that up to a father's from, so I'd have to wait till January. So, who's that? Is that a different Caldix? Hmm? Is that is, is, are the two Caldixes? I, I don't know, Rich, but um, I'm going to put this out there. You know, met Carl a few times. He's far more handsome than you. Okay, that that's just. I'm a very comfortable heterosexual male, but I would rather look like him than look like you. Yeah, I think it's, I think you've only met him a father's from with your rose tinted glasses. I've met him on a few occasions, and I would Carl before I would you, Rich. <laughs> that brings me some comfort, just. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> let's uh, let's get over to this month's quiz because Jez is back in the hot seat, and I don't think we've got another version of Cockblasters this month. But what have we got, Jez? <laughs> well, you know, we've had a few things. We've had blockbusters. We've had Bullseye and all sorts of stuff. But it's nearly Christmas. It is nearly Christmas, and this is an educational podcast. Or believe it or not, ladies and gents. And we, and you know, we, and we like to talk about vintage stuff. And if you think about it, back in the day, let's say the day was someday in November 1984, there was a song released by a group called Frankie Goes to Hollywood. The power of love. Oh. However, this is going to be a tribute to that because it's Christmas. The power of love was a Christmas song. You see it now? This was number one in numerous countries, including Canada. Not the USA. However, extremely, extremely popular. So we are going to have the power of the force. Yes, that's right. I can mix it in. I'm editing this. It's going to work. <laughs> so here we go. The power of the force. So here we go. This is a team game. All right. Team game, guys. And there's going to be a couple of different rounds. And if we need it, there'll be a tie break round. And and the rounds will continue until all questions have been answered. Or quite literally, I have run out of the power of the force. Right there. So the teams. We've got the light side and the dark side of the force. Richard and Pete, you're going to be working together on this. Naturally, you're going to be the dark side. Stuart and and Cy, you're going to be the light side. Now, the running order, so to decide who goes first, we're going to do a quick little bit of mathematics. How many Christmases have you had? Richard, how old are you now? 41. And Peter, how old are you? Boy, three. Excellent. So 84 Christmases. 
you two are the oldest right so you two are going to go first because i know obviously science you are far younger than you two so you two are going to go first okay so what we'll do though just before we get into it, we're going to have a quick refresh on the, the power of the force so you had your 15 your last 15 introduced with the power of the force 13 of those in the usa and there were 22 additional releases and 19 of those were available in the USA. So now already you're starting to think, oh, right, yeah, what were those three really rare ones which, uh, which, weren't, which weren't available in the USA? Because the three you... Aussie ones. Well, the we'll come on that that Watch your horses, don't give the game away. <laughs> right, this is, after okay. all, the power of the force. As you know, so we've got the 37. Now, I've teamed up with Jared Cope from Star Wars Tracker, and I've contacted the good men who administer the Power of the Force Facebook group to help me out with these questions. Now, I've said to them, and no cheating, lads, seriously, don't fire up the old computers and start checking Tracker. This is Christmas, after all, and a pox be on you if you cheat. Right then, so here we go. <laughs> this, this is going to be amazing. What we're going to do is going to go from one group to the other. From the dark side to the light side, dark side to the light side, and every one you get will get a point. Alright? Here we go. Now, according to Star Wars Tracker, and you can confer before you give me your answer, but if you start wasting too much time, <laughs> I will bleep you out. What are the ten most common Power of the Force carded figures. Go dark side first. <laughs> That's me, Pete. I would say... Just one. All I need is one initially. Right. It's Poncho, surely. Yeah. Go on, then. Luke, Luke and Poncho. Oh, I excellent. Poncho. Okay, so according to Star Wars Tracker... That's the third most common one. Now, interestingly enough, that didn't appear in the top ten of the Power of the Force guys. But according to Star Wars Tracker, um, in the last few years, there have been 200 of those sold. Now, these figures, as you know, are based on or on public auctions and stuff. And, and it's not to say that there's a lot of stuff which is done in, you know, outside of that or at Favstrom, etc. But this is all based on Star Wars Tracker info. So good. One point for the dark side. Let's go well, to the light. So side. it wasn't in the ten. No, it was. But, it was in the power. It was in Star Wars Tracker, and that's what I'm going with. Stu, what do you reckon? Yep. Leia. Let's let's do the team. Luke and Leia. Leia Poncho. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Come on, yeah. Yeah. Well, no, don't you say that. That's really detrimental and rude. But yeah, I agree. <laughs> Get out of town. Wow. Side right. Let me bring up. I wasn't expecting people to mess up so quickly. Let's have a little. <laughs> so, uh, you forgot about the social experiment, putting them two together. They're yeah. going to mess up. Right, okay, so we've got <laughs> Princess Leia in Combat Poncho is the 20th most common. The 20th. No! According to she Star Wars Tracker. Common. Well, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. People have started holding on to their layer mocks. That is yeah. why. You should have realised that then, shouldn't you, you spud nut? <laughs> so, I don't know what a spud nut is. No, Look in the mirror. Actually, you're fucking rude, Richard. <laughs> no, I, I tell you what. Before it's actually it Christmas... We have another guess. I'm starting to lose... The power of the force. 
Let's go <laughs> over to the <laughs> dark side. Rich, what about a man a man? You see, you see a few of them coming up in there. Do you? As, as many as something like... Well, I thought the beer would have been right up there. I would have thought so as well. Ooh. You also see yeah. a lot of Ewoks, man, don't you? You also see a lot of Wombas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, wait, I said the last one, I'll let you play this one. Rich, that's I'd go, go with your gut, Pete. I would go with a man man because if it's then in there and you haven't said it, you will never forgive yourself and you'll always throw you yourself try, down. Don't try that one. I... I <laughs> Maybe they both got a good shout. They both a good shout. I still, I'm, I'm still thrown by the Lear one. I, I, I yeah. see that yeah. I, I think Jez has misread the uh, figures. You know, I've got well, the maybe, maybe you go for it again. Me. I have the information yes, in front again. of me with <laughs> the mean prices and the total number of units sold on public auctions, and she is twentieth. Right. Want to talk about mean? I think you're mean, Jez. Right. <laughs> Well, there's going to be a new walk in the top ten, isn't there? There's yeah, going to be it's one. It's, whether, it's going to be Warwick or Wamba, isn't it? I thought you just said this. You'd let Pete run with this, Rich, and then you, you just can't. You just can't yeah. let Harry, can you? Jesus. And what were we saying about taking too much time and all the exactly. rest? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, on the time, it's Doodle. It's Pete's on tracker at the a moment. A man, a man, a man, a man. Yeah. Okay. Just for laughs. Congratulations, well Pete. Done. Well, well done. Ten figure on the Star Wars track. Ten. Do you know you really irritate me, Sigh. That's true. Shall I tell you what? Whenever I see coins come up for sale, there's always a Warwick coin, and he must be a <laughs> flipping common. I don't right. collect the coins, but I've only a few of them. That's because he's been ripped off the bloody card so many times, isn't it? Right, we need to rethink this, mate, because it's it's clearly not what Jez is selling it as, which is <laughs> the most common power of the Force figures. Because, frankly, Leia Poncho is the most common power of the Force figure. Oh, my so God, I've heard the way It's the ones that are <laughs> selling the most at the moment. A-wing a- pilot, I see him come up a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what we said, yeah. Romba, mate. Romba, A-Wing pilot. And you know what? I think a big surprise in here might be R2 pop-up Sabre. Because yeah. it changes hands regular, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Do, you know what? Do you know what, Simon? Go on. It's a shame we can't mute the other two because they're just pinching our ideas. But um, <laughs> I like your thinking. You, you, you were pretty far out on the first guess, so I'm going to let you guess this time <laughs> with one of no your way. guesses there. If oh. you're wrong... I'll probably go it alone. Okay, so off you go. What are you saying? I don't like you. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm supporting you. I'm letting you go again, giving you that second chance. But I'm just. There won't be a third chance. Is what I'm saying. Just let me know that from now on, we just won't be speaking anymore. Which is, which is remarkably okay with me. Uh, I'm gonna. I. You know what? Romba. And if this is wrong, good night. That's all I'm saying. Just when I think you can get any more stupid. You right. see Romba and totally redeem yourself. Oh. He is first, the most common carded Power of the Force figure, according to Star Wars Tracker, with an impressive 321 sold. Congratulations. Wow. Do you know what? With that being the top answer as well, maybe a, maybe a little bonus treat or something that... <laughs> bonus points... <laughs> Yeah, I'll give you a bonus, right? Your bonuses are not going to deduct points for being a snivelling... Right, let's move on. <laughs> Dark side. Right. Okay, so... I, I mean, everything that's been said is a good shout. A-Wing pilot, Warwick, Auto. <laughs> oh, you have a team. I still fancy the ATST driver in there somewhere. Nick Toe? Nick Toe, right? Nick no, Toe. not Nick Toe. Um, you're, not, you're, not the, you're not up for the R2 pop-up Sabah? Yeah, I'm thinking... I, I, actually, I was going to say no, but I think Sai might have convinced us, because you do no, see I a lot it's... changing hands. 
Mm-hmm. Right, we'll go with R2 pop up saver to save time. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, 14. Oh. No? 14. 13. 14. Great, great tactic that side. Fell into the trap there, Stuart. Yeah. Guess what we're going yeah. with now? You know it, don't you? Yeah. Door. No, ATST driver, because that's a brilliant answer. Yeah, he's, yeah, I see loads of him. Yeah. That shadow. Yeah, we'll have that one. Seventeen. Oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> right, I'm unsubscribing right. from Tracker because it's nonsense. Seriously, why don't 17. you all relax? Another Frankie goes to Hollywood thing going on in there. Hilarious. Oh, you know quite clearly yeah. thought of this. At least he's enjoying himself. This is like two tribes going to war. Oh, that was my next oh, one. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> when you hear the air attack warning, you and your family must take cover. Rich, what about? What about? I don't know why. I don't know why. But I'm just going to send it to you on Facebook chat so they can't sit hear it. Oh, oh, it's how pathetic. That's just going to cause um, internet problems. I'm thinking of another Ewok at the moment, but let's have a look. So I'm thinking another, ja- another Jabagoon. Say, um, say Greedo. No. Uh, say FX7. Salacious Crumb. Oh, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what, Si, there's some really good ones. Warus Men's always popping up. and um, All the time. Him and FX7. Yeah. Bosk. There's loads of Bosks, isn't there? Quizmaster, oh, please. Please about, retain control. What about I, Warwick? I'm losing. The power of the force. <laughs> right, I need I'll silence. Do it. Warwick. Need... Warwick. Warwick. Yeah, do Warwick. You're saying Warwick. Right, for Warwick, you are going to get half a point. What? Because Warwick was 11th on Tracker, but it was in the top 10 for the Power of the Force Facebook group. And I've I've allowed a half point for when they're not in the top ten. However, Power of the Force Facebook group have said no, they are in the top ten. So you guys have half a point. And the light side don't start getting funny because you could also get a half a point if the you come up with a similar sort of answer. If you see what I mean, don't, I don't bite want, the hand that points, beats mate, I want four points. Yeah, we're only interested in four points. Sorry. Um, uh, can we can we go for the A wing pilot? Yeah, let's do it. You want to go for the A-Wing pilot? A-Wing Congratulations, pilot. Light Side. Well done. Back in the game. In fact, Light Side... No, you're still losing. Right, uh, Dark Side, go ahead. How does how does that work? We've got more points than them. No, you don't. No, have, hey. They went first. So they've got off two and a half. And, uh, yeah, you've uh, both got one wrong. So there we go. Exactly. Which, for, some, for some reason, I said Jabagoon. What about Barada? Yeah. Hey, okay, we'll go with that one. Congratulations, Barada fifth, fifth. Ooh. Ooh. Light side over to you guys. Come on. I think it's, there's this. a lot of last seventeen on this. So. There's, there's a lot of Ewoks still knocking about there, Stu. Yeah, but no, uh, some of the Ewoks didn't come out on this. I did it. No, I mean old uh, Warwick. You see a lot of, don't you? They've just said Warwick. They got half a point said for it. Oh, I thought they meant Wicket. My ears are obviously full of fluff. But the last seventeen seems to be filling up <sighs> those things. And carb. Hand carb is yeah. That's a good shout. Yeah, I see him sometimes. Yeah, go for it. If you're wrong, you can always redeem. No, no, no. Your choice. So Stu has just said hand carb. Go on. Hand carb was fifteenth. I'm disappointed. We get half a point because there's a one in it, so we get half a point. Yeah. (laughs) Dark side. Over to you. Come on, boys. EV ninety nine. Pete, do you think that one's possible? Don't know. Did you see that? Do you see? I'm just thinking of the figures you see all the 
Yeah. Um, I guess go. I tell you, the, the ones that I, the ones I think because I was, we think about R two pop up because it seems to be that the the value of the loose figure is more than the value of the <laughs> the the car back sometimes. So what's, yeah, again, last seventeen, Pearl Gunner. I'm gonna have to press you. Don't see a lot of their mind. You see them all the time. I'm gonna have to press you. Oh, right, we're going people going up. Imperial Gunner. Yeah, if that's in there, I'll be shocked. Yeah. The Imperial Gunner is not in there. Yeah. Oh. Cy, yeah. the B-Wing pilot is oh, always beauty. pops beauty, up a yes. lot, doesn't it? Yeah, but if you get this wrong, oh, I'm not giving you a cuddle at farthest from anyway. Congratulations, the B-Wing pilot uh-huh. is the second most popular carded figure. Just, uh, we've got one and two so far, Stu. That's I true. want to also two. say that everyone I've said has been right. The dark side of got three... <laughs> The fourth position one is still up for grabs. Ooh. 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 Right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to see EV99. Go for it, go for it. Correct. Ooh, good call, That's Richard. The eighth one. Congratulations. Ooh. Oh, I'll tell you one, Si, and I've looked at it numerous times, but it irritates me because I can never find one with a coin straight uh, 3PO removable limbs. Yeah? Mm. I've often looked at it, but um, I struggle to find... I can't do with a coin that's not what I would have gone for Stu but you know if you're feeling confident I'd, I'd what say about, what about Paplu Paplu I don't know I don't I'm do going these to have to rush you. round bubbles go on mate you go with um, I can't even remember the one you said there 3PO if you want let's go Lumat <laughs> right I like the logic yeah we'll do that Lumat will get you the other half point it was in Ooh. the Power of the Force group, and it's 12th on Tracker. So there you go. No whinging. Well done for not whinging earlier on on that half point. So that's you. That is 12th, but it was in the Power of the Force. Back to the dark side. How many left to get? We've yeah, got how many? number Boy. four, number six, and number nine left to get. Four, six, and nine. Have anyone said we did Lando General yet? Because that's another last 17, I think. Kind of comes yeah. up sometimes. See it more cut than you do loose sometimes. What about the indignity? Uh, <laughs> mm, that's a forward answer, I, Rich. Either one. Oh, God, Rich, which one? I have to press you. Right, we'll go with... Well, I've got the last one, so we'll repeat on this one. Lando General. Correct. This is oh. number four. Number four. four. Number four. Really? That's, that's a bit random. Mm. No, Lando nice. General... 200 units, the same number as Luke Poncho, so joint third, really, lads. Joint third. Uh, how bizarre. Very bizarre. So, light side, when, after number six or number nine? I quite like the dig answer. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of it's like welcome to the it's pleasure drone, doesn't it? Give an original answer. What do you mean, an original answer? Do you know what is? Go with him, Dig. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm into that. Or as, as Rich calls him, indignatory. Indignatory, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, uh, the Imperial Dignitary is the sixth most common carded Power of the Force figure with 184 units sold on Double Tracker. Is this a bit of a winner-takes-all, whoever gets the last one? Well, we're going to go into the second round if we all put our finger out. Yeah, well, <laughs> we, we, are, we answer actually quite fast. We are well. Pete, Pete and Rich are right. like, oh, we're dilly dallying again. Right, back doors, is it? What about Luke Stormtrooper, Pete? Yeah, go for it. Right, we'll go Luke Stormtrooper. <clears throat> no. Uh, sorry, it's either, I reckon it's Paplu. 
or the three PO. You know, I'm struggling to think of Papley. What about Luke X Wing? You see lots of those. You do, yeah, yeah. It's a good show. <laughs> I love all this. Oh yeah, that's a good show from the other team. <laughs> yeah, you think right? I'm not doing that. Go, go on then. Go on, then, sir. Say it. You've you've only let me down several times on this quiz. Go for it. I'll, I'll let you down again then, Luke. Uh, no, I want to say Warwick. We've had Warwick. They had got half a point. Let I want to say it again because it was yeah. right. Let them have it again for the third time. <laughs> oh, oh, Luke, come on. Did you, did I hear you say Luke Hexwing? Yeah. <clears throat> stupid answer, that. Yeah, it is a stupid answer because I've told him several times right. what they are. <laughs> yeah. Right, Pete. I'm tying up. Lemon Ewoks, isn't it? Yeah. Nice. But I'm tying up with Baker Scouts because I, I, I have seen a lot of them. Possibly even some like Vader. I'm gonna have to press I you. I can't sit Vader. 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 Yeah. Come on, hand it Don't straight to the light side. I know that they're gonna win it this time. Paplu. <laughs> I can't believe you oh, didn't say that sorry. earlier. Sorry, can I just I say something to you in that? Everyone I have answered has been correct. Oh. You are a massive letdown, considering you're meant to be a mock Failed man. I love the yeah. This team right. building exercise is going to sustain, you what, and you're going to move back into to the second round team, full of love. Do, do you realise I've answered more quick than Simon has? Uh, do, but to be honest with you, Pete, my um, my five month old little daughters have could have got more than he's just got right. <laughs> so I, I feel the love in the room. I feel <laughs> the power of the love. But this isn't the power of the love, as you know. This is the power of the force. So level pegging. Five and a half points each. Fantastic. Everything to play for, lads. Everything to play for. So, we're moving on to, according to Star Wars Tracker, what are the top ten rarest or most hard to purchase or least sold in a public auction? Let's go. Let's go for the light side first. Mix it up. Let's go Gamgard. is never comes up. Are Sorry. you talking to me? Is that the team <laughs> oh. decision? Is that the team decision? Well, I'm, so I'm trying to nice. ask him, but he's just ignoring me now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you agree with me? Yeah. Come on, go- Come Light on, guys. side. Where was he in the list? First. Oh, There's only one, one recorded sale on Star Wars Tracker of the Gamgard. Oh. Oh. Let's go. Light side. Dark side. Dark side. At that driver. Seconds. Well done. <laughs> oh, cool, Rich. Light no, side. Let's go, Nikto. At the top of me, you're going to be easy on. Third, <laughs> well done. Right, now Dark we're side. in the horde. That's it, we've given up now. Oh, right. Oh, these are going to be hard, these aren't they? What about something like Yoda, Pete? Something like that? Ben? I've never even seen one of those, so it must yeah. be. I've seen much. a Yoda, but I haven't seen a Ben. Go on. We'll go Ben. Well, you are <clears throat> incorrect. Really? Ben was <laughs> one of the re-releases. So the reason you say, oh, I haven't seen one of those, uh, it was a re-release, but let's just have a little look. He's like middle of the ground, really. Let's have a little look. Oh. Yeah, 5, 10, 15, 17. Yeah, middle of the ground. Burnt 72 sold. So, you know, still not necessarily a lot, but mm-hmm. you do not score a point for that. Uh, Sigh. Should we... Anakin? Hold on a minute. I thought these were the re-released figures. No. These are um, the hardest, the hardest the, to the find. So why didn't ones. they go for Anakin? Oh, yeah, that's just stupid. Because they're an idiot. They're too easy, man. So, they're too easy. Oh, fine. Yeah, Anakin. Good. Correct. That's the fourth most rarest or hard to find or least sold. So there we go. At the moment, the light side have three. The dark side have one. Yak face. 
Darkseid have two. <laughs> Yakface yeah. with the six. So there we go. Anakin and Yakface, both of the last 15, but not available on the American market. So that's why they are slightly harder oh, to find. Sorry, sorry, I've got one. What? Hand, hand trench. He, um, I oh, remember that's coming a good up, one. someone said that he wasn't very uh, easy. Yes, yeah, he goes for a lot. Yeah, go for yeah. it. Go for hand it. trench, sir, Jez. This could make the difference, but that's a half point. It was in the Power of the Force group, and he's 11th on Star Wars Tracker. Apart from up. that figure, the Power of the Force guys completely agree with Star Wars Tracker. So there we go, half a point for the light side. Right, I, I, I'm imagining Pete will need to go younger. Perhaps, you know, <laughs> the, the likes of C-3PO, Chewbacca, Jawa. Actually, Jawa. Yeah, Jawa. Jawa, Jawa. yeah, we'll go Jawa. No. Oh, Jawa is twentieth. Uh, wow, mm. yeah. I'm making some lists here, Sai. Yeah, I checking them twice. <laughs> Very festive, Ridge. You're back <laughs> in the cookbooks. I'm thinking Tie Pilot. Mm. Tie Pilot might be mm, could be a tricky one to find on a Power of the Force card. No clues, no clues. No, just, him. just go, just go, go something straight, relatively straightforward. He's popular. I don't know if he's actually harder to find he's popular but yoda he does seem to go for a good three three hundred odd maybe even four hundred pounds when he comes up already for sale okay we'll go, we'll go i just want to say i haven't been wrong yet but we'll go with yoda yoda well you were bloody well wrong with tie fighter pilot i'll give you that we hasn't been on that we haven't got that answered it yet but we'll go with yoda yoda jez okay you are both both good answers coming out of this really because um yep you're absolutely right rich i apologize for the clue and if one comes your way then the the pitch will be leveled let's not dilly dally yoda is definitely there so that's another one for the light side tie fighter pilot mm. not released yeah there wasn't yeah i mean that's like back. minus five points one of the answers earlier <laughs> Because I think Jez might have uh, implied that it wasn't very high. What about Biker Scout? Yeah, we'll go with it. We've been wrong with the last two. We'll go Biker Scout. Biker Scout is the eighth. Wow. Ooh, well done. That's just seconds. 23. He's well so common. Get in. Get in. So now right. we have four and a half for the light side. Three for the dark side on round two. Everything to play for, boys. Stu, you can take the mickey all you like. But let's let's go. It was wrong last round. Let's hope it's right this round. Luke X-wing. Is that the team be decision? No, Bob. I've heard. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll go with him. You're going to go with him reluctantly. No, I agree with you. Yeah, okay. um, well, I don't, but I don't know. I've got I've got a view. Luke X-wing. Luke X-wing is the tenth, and it was also well, incidentally mate. the tenth on the Power of the Force Facebook group. So there we go, Luke X-wing. Wow. Dark side, over to you. We are looking for number seven and number nine. Wasn't one of the last seventeen not on the list, Peter? I wonder if it was completely the other way around. Can you remember which one it was? <laughs> was it? No. Was it the Imperial Gunner? You said. Was that one or not? Uh, I thought that one got on. I was thinking more. What Stormtrooper, Hoth Trooper, Stormtrooper? Yeah, Stormtrooper. As a. Well, go Stormtrooper. Stormtrooper ninth. Well done, oh, and again, oh, 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 ninth on the power oh, oh. of the force. So there we go. It's five versus four. Whew. Come on, light side. I need number seven. I think it came out on this. Now I'm doubting myself. Uh, sight. What about Luke Jedi? 
He did come out on it, mate. And I was torn between that and a another, but you know, don't you see it too often, do you? You don't see it that often. You don't see this other one often, but let's go with that one because we've yeah. yeah. Keep that one close yeah. to your chest yeah. for the yeah. minute. Yeah. yeah, we'll go. We'll go. Luke Jedi. Luke Jedi is twelfth. Oh, but it's worth <laughs> half a point because it's on the the. Um, it's the only half point you've already taken. There was only one half point. So, Dark Side, over to you. Uh, any any Hoth figures on those things? Or no, no, nothing. That's it, perhaps Darth Vader was quite low down, or Chewbacca even. Vader was quite common. Yeah, Darth. Mm-hmm. I thought you surprised him yeah, on the top. I would have thought he would have been quite high. What about Darth then? What a Darth then? Wicked. Darth. Reckon it could be one of the Ewoks, you know. Chewbacca or Wicked? I let you choose which one. No, I'm not choosing you. I got the last one. You do this one. I have to press you. Chewbacca. No. Uh, Chewbacca. Let's have a little look. I'm amazed, Rich. 15th. 15th. So not totally bad there, Rich. (laughs) Not not really close, though, is it? Sai, Stu. I'm I'm thinking Tebow. Yes. Do you know what? That's the Ewok I've got in my head that I... Yeah. Go Mm. with it. Definitely. Tebow. He shoots. He scores. Sai. Well done. Congratulations. (laughs) Congratulations. <laughs> That's the end of the power of the force. How exciting was that? So look, we've got 11 points versus nine and a half points. It was oh. close. I think we all learned something there. And uh, yeah, lots, lots of good stuff. Thank you ever so much to Star Wars Tracker, Jared, and the friendly admin guys from the Power of the Force Facebook group for providing me with that info. Lots to learn about the power of the force figures. Lots to learn. Mr. Klimko encourages clamour. Empire's Day is upon us. Cole Cunningham update. The Rebel base is on a moon on the far side. We are preparing to orbit the planet. Rich, Mr. Klimko encourages clamour, which I can hardly say. What are you on about? I first heard of Mr. Klimko back in February 2016, and it was on a Kivecast episode 70, when Sky and Steve talked about eBay auctions from an ex-Kenna employee. And Mr. Klimko was an ex-Kenna employee who was believed to have been cleaned out in 2001, but he seems to have done some further digging through his boxes, and he's found more items of interest. So he had an auction at Christmas 2015, an auction this year, December 2017, and he's also planning for his possibly final auction in December 2019. So he does have some boxes of maybe of interest. Now, over on eBay, he listed, I don't know, 40, 45 lots up, and they were all pre-production items, and most of them were heads from various lines, such as Batman and Star Wars, and there were some torsos, and there were some complete figures. So I'm just going to read out his description for the Kenner Star Wars Han Solo figure in wax and Lucas reference photo. 
So as he put there, he spelled Han wrong, puts an S on the end of Han a couple of times. So like most of the toy sculptors who worked at Kenner, I had a fine arts background. I was in the fine arts printmaking state of mind when I made this wax figure. There's a long tradition in printmaking, etching, lithography, woodcutting, etc. that embraces a particular convention, that the artist gets to keep the first print in an edition of prints. The rest of the prints are numbered and sold. This first print will be signed AP instead of being numbered, designating it as an artistic proof. Since I'd worked on the original Han Solo wax, I decided to make a complete AP copy to keep for myself, although it did also have a function at Kenner. Kept this wax in my desk as a reference and would compare scale, style and level of finish when working on other waxes in the Star Wars line to maintain consistency amongst the characters. This group of waxes are all shot into the master rubber moulds that were made from the original wax sculpt. These same rubber moulds were also used to make hard copies destined for the tooling in the factories and for in-house activities. This particular wax figure is breathtakingly clean and pristine, without any damage or wave of any kind. There are a few small random air bubbles in places. If you examine the photos, and especially if you're familiar with other copies of this character that survived, you'll find the detail to be amazing. I had always intended to remove the sprues and pins and assemble these parts into a character for display, but I never got round to it. If you're interested in having this done, contact me after the auction to discuss details and cost. I've also included in this auction an 8x10 photo provided by Luxfilm. This is a real silver gelatin photograph, not inkjet or digital copy. All of the features of the Han Solo character were based on information provided in this reference photo. It has been folded at some point in the past, faintly visible from the front, very visible on the back. There are two small tack holes in the upper portion of the photo, a red rubber stamped imprint on the front that says for reference only, not for publication. The photo looks faint, but is very lively in person. I acquired these items when I worked at Kenner during 1983-85. to They've been in my possession ever since. They've never been sold or displayed and are guaranteed to be genuine. When I first read that, I thought initially, oh wow, so wax sculpts are still being made available for the, the public to go and purchase. But when the discussion took over on Facebook, my eyes certainly got opened. So I'm just going to read one more post out. This is from Tommy Garvey, who made that absolutely awesome post on the Star Wars Collector's Archive blog um, a year or two back that detailed all of the stages. And Tommy says, these are wax casts. Essentially, a hard copy is created by making the silicon mould of the wax sculpt and then pouring in the urethane. This creates a hard copy of the original sculpt, which can then be used in the creation of the steel moulds, which creates the production toys. Once the hard copy is created, the silicon mould used to produce it isn't really needed anymore. But artists hang on to them because they took a while to create and sometimes can be used for other things, like for example if more hard copies need to be created, if alterations need to be made to the mould rather than the hard copy, or simply for posterity. Some casts are the result of artists using the moulds to store wax for other projects and using the wax to keep the mould from distorting over time. In this case, the seller was a sculptor at Kenner who was put in charge of formulating a better wax recipe, which would hold up better and be more usable. He took silicon moulds from other artists after they were used to create the hard copies of the vintage figures and tested out his various wax recipes to create casts. They're not really part of the production process of the figure, they're just wax dummies of a hard copy made by a Kenner sculptor using Kenner wax. They are not sculpted or anything like that, they are simply test wax poured into discarded silicon moulds and then tossed in a drawer. Essentially, they're prototypes for the wax and not for the figure. 
and that really clarified to me what these are actually items are it's, it's incredibly clear there tommy so i thought that was a great post so i've got a couple of things for us to consider here so jez first of all does it give hope of other cool items to still be coming out of the woodwork after many of these ex kenner employees claim to have been cleaned out yeah mate definitely i think other things are going to come out other treats which we haven't seen but have possibly passed from kenner hands to collector's hands so i think there's still quite a few bits out there which the collecting community can look forward to seeing in the future is this just blue harvest too well i'm not really au fait with all this uh, pre-production stuff because it's it's always been outside my sphere of buying power and to a degree it's it, it's it's almost like the making of the films it's it's quite interesting but i don't want to get too involved because it removes the magic from the toys but yeah essentially it strikes me as that if you look at what blue harvest was it was the the making of the the resin cast again wasn't it of uh, from the original molds of the figures except done in the what was it the late 80s they worked out late 80s early 90s when that particular color was being used by hasbro and it sounds very similar again the guy has for whatever purpose has taken the silicon molds and made certainly some of the wax sculpts again hasn't he? he's poured wax in he said that that part of that was for testing different wax recipes etc etc so it is arguably tenuously linked to a pre-production process but not of an individual figure uh, as for the hard copies it sounds like he's just yeah it, it strikes me as a bit of blue harvest work to be honest with you um and you only had to read his descriptions that he was really going to town to sell the fact that these were in some way involved in the pre-production process he knew or he knows what buttons to press to get people buying agree with Addy's descriptions vegan places he advertised a lot of first shots and i've got no reason to suspect that the first shots aren't actually what they are um, I'm sure some of the pre-production collectors may have some more ideas on them. I don't think these are the same as Blue Harvest, though, because I think this guy does have at least some claim to say that he did work on sculpting back in the day. And certainly within, what, five years maximum, he's put some wax into these moulds, even if it is just for safekeeping or for keeping the, the mould in some kind of shape. I mean, I was going at it from, are these Blue Harvest, from, I have these been done some significant time after the process from which it was actually required for the for the making of the toy, if you see what I mean. Uh, and if you're saying it's up to, I didn't realise it was that long, that it was up to five years after the, the figure in concerned has, has, has been made. I mean, to be honest with you, if it's any time after that figure has gone into production, then as far as I'm concerned, it's it's no more relevant than a, than a Blue Harvest figure is. Reading he says there, I worked at Kenner during 83 to 85. So this one, this description I've read out was for the original Han. For the original Han? Yeah. Yeah, like you say, that's good, what, five years after the large head Han came out, assuming it is the large head he, he had. I didn't pay that much attention, to be honest with you. But yeah, I, I, I'm not doubting the guy's credentials at all. I mean, yes, he's worked there. He's worked on the line. He's been he's been intimately involved with the line. What a cool job! He must have seen some great things. Uh, but to me, they they are no more really. All right, yeah, they are a little bit more pre-production than the the Blue Harvest things. But they are after the fact. Full stop. They're after the fact. 
the other items that you've just said there, I mean, there were heads of uh, Return of the Jedi figures, which were cast in, um, was it some kind of see-through material? Clear. Those look pretty cool. And I think a lot of those were labelled as first shots. So they were probably things that were lying around in the bottom of the box that would have been picked up by collectors back in the day. So, Pete, moving on to you, do you think the backlash that appeared over the auction could just possibly be sour grapes from collectors or is there some other justification? I don't know. I just, I, I, I don't really, I don't really have a problem with that personally. I think if you, if you, someone doesn't really care, which this guy probably, you know, has a passing interest, then yeah, he's probably going to take advantage of collectors, and and rightly collectors will will give a a bit of um, a bit of backlash. But I mean, can you blame anyone for wanting to make money out of some of that? He knows there's, there's a market for it. He knows people are going to clamour for it in some way. Someone's probably said, hey. I, I worked the line. I sold something I got off the line, you know, a QA sample or something, you know, for two grand and probably thought, well, well that's pretty good. I can have a great Christmas, buy some uh, stuff for my grandkids. So, um, yeah, there's probably an element of it um, from, from what you've said, but um, I can't blame anyone for making money if they're, they're not that interested in, in, the, in the hobby. It's not like he's trying to sell any reproduction, is he? No, not not selling reproduction at all. Just possibly misleading some of the more naive people like yourself who may have read this initially and thought, oh, wax sculpt, which was used in the reproduction process when it wasn't. It was a wax sculpt that's been used inside of an item that was in the pre-production process now jez i can see you chomping at the bit here and i just want to remind you what i said at the start in that this is a second of his auctions so the first one was december 2015 just before the force awakens and now we've got this one just before the last jedi and he's going to have another one just before episode nine yeah if he's actually scheduled it around uh, film releases then well maybe they have a point but as you say, people have got the right to sell what they want when they want. Uh, just yeah, still probably just sour grapes from keyboard warriors. Says the podcast warrior. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know what these kind of guys were paid. You know, I don't know if they are well off. I, do, I would imagine that they're not. So, Stu, what do you think about these auctions? Do you see that as being greed on behalf of the seller, or do you actually just think it makes sense in this guy's? you know, probably getting on a bit in years and just looking to either boost his pension or to have something to, to fall back on, put his kids through college. How do you feel about it? As far as I'm concerned, it is totally logical to sell your items when you're going to get the best price. I, I don't, I, to me, that's not greed. That's just common sense. You know, if I could sell something in the summer for £100, but I hold on to it and release it in November for £200 and I don't need the money in the summer or so in November. I don't think there's anything wrong with that whatsoever. It was also interesting to see the prices that some of these had uh, realised that wax recast or whatever you want to call it went for about 8500 from memory. And a lot of the torsos went for 750 to $1,000. The heads, the sets of three heads together, they were somewhere around about the 1200 1500 pound mark. So it was interesting seeing the range of prices and it, I don't follow the pre-production items that closely on Facebook, so I was wondering, does anyone know if they are roughly on par with what's being asked on Facebook, or are these exponentially more? Does anyone have any ideas on that one? The first shots of the, particularly the torsos, for some reason, arms and legs seem to be a, l- a lot few and far between, but the the torsos and the heads, you certainly do see 
a reasonable amount floating around. And I was under the impression, from what I've seen, that a a a torso uh, would cost you around about I don't know anywhere between about five and six hundred pounds uh, for the more common ones, certainly. Uh, and it, I guess if you add a head on top of that, then yeah, it, it sounds about market to me. When I saw those bits going through, what he said were first shots, and like you hadn't any any reason to doubt them, they seem to be about market value. I I personally thought that the the wax casts and all the rest of it were were pretty pricey for what they actually are. All in all, I think it was it was nice to see these items. I agree with most of what's been said here tonight, actually. I don't think it's greed on behalf of the guy who's selling these. I think um, he's found a box. I don't think he's kept a box behind. He's found a box, and he's decided to sell them at the right time in order to maximise his income from these and good on him. And for the collectors who bought them, I hope you enjoy them, and I hope you fully understand exactly what it is that you bought. And if you're happy with it, then we're all happy. The moon with the Rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes. Now, Rich, Empire's day is upon us. Dave Prouse's, well, possibly David Prouse's final farewell. What have you got for us? Up until last week, I was agreeing with you, it seemed a little bit cagey as to whether this was his final farewell or was it just the last one of 2017. Couldn't really get a straight answer. But Matt Booker has um, spoken to Dave Prouse in an official picks signing capacity. And Dave Prowse has confirmed that this is his last appearance. So we're going to at least put that one to bed. So Dave is appearing at Empire's Day, Saturday the 16th of December at Feltham Town Hall. I'm not sure if this podcast will be out before the 16th or after the 16th. Um, he's charging £40 for an autograph. I looked at the list of guests, and these guests are fantastic that are appearing at Empire's Day as well. And all of these following guests are just £10 an autograph of autographs are your thing. So it's Chris Monk, Colin Skeetman, Malcolm Weaver, Anthony Smee, Bill Wesley, Joe Gibson, Mike Stevens, and Eileen Roberts. So those are the other guests. Most of those are people officers, um, a couple of people who work behind the scenes. And they've also promised that there's going to be never-before-seen photographs from the original trilogy and the Empire Strikes Back screen-used Darth Vader helmets are also going to be available for people to view as well. So it sounds like a great day if you can get yourself down to Feltham Town Hall on the Saturday of the 16th of December. And I think it's wrong, perhaps, to let this go without briefly mentioning it. So um, I've got a couple of questions here, guys. So first of all, Pete, can you just give us a brief overview of Dave Prowse's career? Because it might surprise people what Dave Prowse has actually been involved with. Dave Prowse. Oh, you know what? I didn't realise he was 82. I was quite surprised. It had been the same age as my dad if he was still alive. But yeah, he's, he's from he's from Bristol, so his accent always, uh, was always a challenge. I always find it a bit... But interesting that when you read all the Star Wars things, how kind of naive he was that he thought that a Bristol accent would be the voice of the Dark Lord of the Sith, and seemed a bit peeved when he was uh, when it when it was re-recorded with a, a far more um, grand baritone kind of voice. So, uh, and it actually sort of following through his career. Really, um, from Bristol, like I said he actually represented Britain in a weightlifting competition. At the um, uh, Commonwealth Games once in Australia, which is I didn't, didn't realise that either. Uh, married, so he was a bouncer once, and he married a lifeguard, and they're still together with three kids, even even now, after all those years. So uh, that's pretty good going. Now, 
if you were a kid of my age, because I'm obviously ancient, and uh, along with Jess, who's also ancient, um, you would probably remember him as the, the cultural zeitgeist at the time, which was the Green Cross Codeman. And uh, I mean, over in Britain, I don't know whether it's the same everywhere else around across the, the planet, but uh, we used to have public information films put out by uh, the government to say, look, you know, don't do this, don't, don't go with strangers and whatever. And uh, Dave Prowse wore a beautiful kind of white and green latex kind of uh, bodysuit with a few sort of areas of, of flashing in appropriate areas. And um, he became this enormous kind of superhero. And he appeared on badges. You could join the clubs. You could, you know, I mean, he was, it was everywhere. TV constant. I mean, we've actually done a parody um, of him on this podcast. But, um, I mean, that was that was an enormous campaign. Guys, do, do, do you remember that? Stu, you're too young. Um, Rich, you must remember those safety videos. Yeah, yeah. And I, I've seen a few interviews with Dave Prowse because he used to tour schools as well. And he used to deliver workshops in schools on road safety and he said that he enjoyed that far more than anything that he ever did in star wars because he really liked working with children and educating them i think also it's because he wasn't behind a mask because i mean if you look at his early career i mean he was pretty much typecast from his acting point of view as a as a monster he paid he, i mean he's played like frankenstein three times um so you know is he, he never really appeared as dave prowse the actor but dave prowse i guess a physical actor um, and also, I, I didn't realise. Now, I don't know if you guys have seen this film. It is absolutely awful. But it's, it was t- <clears throat> technically one of the first James Bond films, which was they did Casino Royale. And it had um, had Woody Allen in there. Had, they had David Niven in there all playing James Bond. It was complete balmy. But uh, he actually appeared in that film. That was, that was his first kind of um, major film appearance. And I do, I do kind of tentatively suggest you watch it because it is awful. It's about three hours too long. But from there, he's, I mean, if you've ever seen his Clockwork Orange, which obviously no one over here really saw until the 90s because it got banned, um, you see him wandering around his undercrackers as, a, as kind of a home help for a, a character who was, um, who was beaten up in the film and became disabled. And he's, uh, and he's <laughs> if you like seeing David Prowse in his pants, there's a film for you. But, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, Star Wars, obviously, the, the, the thing that made him really, because it seems that from, from that, you know, apart from some sort of random appearances in various programs as monsters, including in Doctor Who and messing around on Benny Hill, apparently as well, which I didn't realise that uh, the Star Wars is really where he kind of made himself and and failed a bit. Um, and also, I think it was quite a tragedy, really, at the end of it, because he was again, I think, a little bit lacking in self awareness that he didn't kind of play the game and sort of milk that that sort of fandom that you know celebrations and stuff of of how with older actors, but. He seems to have done every single convention on the planet for about the last 20 years. I mean, wherever you hear a convention on, Dave Prowse is, you know, that man signing. So, you know, charging 30 quid a time as well. He must have, uh, I think I would imagine he's pretty rated in the last, you know, like 20 odd years. But I always find it a little bit sad. I, I, I think he was, didn't do himself any favours, but I think maybe, maybe I think I've said before that the uh, the Star Wars kind of, hierarchy could have been a bit nicer to him in his older age but you know he seems to get on with it not let it bother him and um you know seems to be a, a decent bloke and he suffered a bit i didn't realize also that he's lost three inches in height through his various illnesses so he used to be six foot six so now only six foot three shrunk so he's gone from simon to peter now being a bestial boy myself i remember growing up with the green cross code because they had the old stop look listen campaign and 
I remember going to school one day and they said, oh, David Prowse, Darth Vader's come in here to do this. And I was so disappointed that he rocked up in his green cross code, stop, look, listen thing. I was like, what? Where's Darth Vader? Uh, but yeah, he was there doing the big thing, trying to keep kids safe. So, uh, yeah, good to see him back in the day. I only want to just follow up something that Pete's just talking about his career there. There was a documentary which came out, you know, the last couple of years called I Am Your Father. And it's one of the best Star Wars documentary I've watched. It goes through his career, but they talk about Darth Vader and his reaction to not signing for Lucasfilm at conventions. And it also talks about him being replaced by Sebastian Shaw at the end of Return of the Jedi. So anyone who's that interested should go and check that out. Um, it is brilliant. A really, really great biography. I think it was 2015 that came out. But worth checking out. It's on Netflix now as well. So if anyone's got Netflix in the UK, it's definitely on. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, good show, that one. Right, Si, so Pete's alluded to it a couple of times. So Dave and George Lucas, or Lucasfilm, have fallen out publicly, both during the Empire period and more recently with regards to Celebration. So what facts do we know? Well, this was a really interesting one, Rich, because like I'm sure most other Star Wars fans, I thought I knew why they'd fallen out because I'd heard about half a dozen different rumours and thought, well, it's got to be one of those. But if we can just go round quickly, because I'm interested to see what ev- why everyone else thought he'd fallen out. So, Rich, why do you think Prowse had fallen out with Lucas, and, and when, specifically? I think during Empire, he was in a pub, and as was traditional for people back in the day, they would go to the pub and have a couple of jars. And I think there was a reporter there... Now, whether we told Prowse or not, he was a reporter. I'm not going to say either way. And I think that he told too many bits of information from the movie and the reporter put a story together. And that upset George Lucas. And I don't want to say much more than that. Okay. Jez? That's what I heard. Okay. Stu? I think Rich is near enough nailed it there. That comes up in I'm Your Father. There was an article in the Daily Mail... And that is why Lucas told him that he had been axed for that last scene. But at the same time, David Prowse denies any knowledge of saying anything. So it's all hearsay, isn't it? Who you believe. OK. And Pete? Now, I thought that was the truth. But obviously researching, uh, there seemed to be some suggestions that, um, that, that yes, there was a bit of a bit of miffed at him. But it seemed to be when <laughs> he slagged off Jar Jar Binks on... Um, the Justin Lee Collins show, um, they did that kind of return to Star Wars thing about 2000, about year, about 2000, it was. And that's what really miffed him off. <laughs> it was a crappy kids film or something. And, uh, and then that was it. It was all right. Right. No more. You're not involved anymore. Bye. Interesting. I'd, I'd heard all those and half a dozen more, including that uh, Prowse wasn't even told that Vader was Luke's father. And it, his he had been given a different line for the scene on Bespin, where he says, I am your father. Uh, and whilst watching the premiere with Lucas sat in the row in front of him, he apparently leapt over the seats and tried to lamp Lucas. Finding the right voice for Darth Vader was another challenge. And action! Lucas had never intended to use the on-set vocal performance of David Prowse. Tearing this ship apart piece by piece until you find those tapes. Find the passengers of this vessel. I want them alive. 
And I can still hear David Prowse's accent in the Darth Vader mask muffled because he would do the real dialogue. He's trying to curse Carrie Fisher or something. Thank you. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate on a diplomatic... You mission. are part of the Rebel Alliance and a traitor. Take her away. It was hilarious and terrifying at the same time because we didn't know what Darth sounded like. That was the first time we heard him. We're like, is that it? Is it going to be some Scottish guy or what is this? Prowse's voice would later be replaced with a more menacing performance. Commander Lozan! This ship carries the crest of Alderaan. Was there any of the royal family on board? Who were you carrying? Where is the data you intercepted? What have you done with those information tapes? We intercepted no information. This is a consular ship, didn't you see the markings? We're on a diplomatic mission. Where are those tapes? Only the commander knows that. This ship carries the crest of Alderaan. Was there any of the royal family on board? Who were you carrying? <sighs> <sighs> All of that isn't actually true, and I, this I don't understand why this isn't isn't more well known. I guess everyone sort of took my attitude was yeah, I know it, that'll do. I looked it up, and it actually dates back to 1978, when David Prowse was invited to the University College, Berkeley. I think it's pronounced Berkeley, probably Berkeley. I don't know. It's in California, that famous place, to do a bit of a talk, and in there during the talk. And this was reported in a local newspaper at the time. And I was quite I was quite blown away about how clear he was on the Star Wars storyline. Whilst he's talking about Star Wars, which he refers to as Star Wars one, he then talks about Star Wars two, Empire Strikes Back, which they're starting to film the following February, and Star Wars three, Return of the Jedi. But here at one point he says uh, when they're discussing the lightsaber duel on Bespin in Empire Strikes Back, which obviously Star Wars is not not long out. He says, father can't kill son, son can't kill father. So they live again to star in Star Wars 4. You can't really get much more explicit than that, can you? This was in 1978, according to this newspaper article that I found. And the preceding paragraph written in the newspaper article says, Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker are hooked up in a do-or-die lightsaber duel when Luke learned Darth is in fact his long-lost father, 1978. So Prowse had let this slip, apparently, according to this article and according to the website. If you look it up, UC Berkeley, uh, David Prowse, 1978, you'll find the article, the original article, which is, is copied. And the fact that it seems to have escaped the radar generally, either it's a great big hoax, and I'm now looking like a complete mug, or it was pre-internet. There were hundreds of people there rather than thousands of people a local newspaper picked up the story and published it and that's where it went quiet and it's only through one other person who found it years and years and years later um that it's now been published online and it's there again uh, so that appears to have been part of the reason at least for the fallout yeah there's also the he was upset that he wasn't doing the 
the speech part of Vader because he talked it all the way through. And it's quite interesting. In a, I think it was in one of those quality tabloids like The Sun, um, about, I don't know, six, seven years ago, Prowse was being interviewed. And it was quite interesting to hear his version, which was, oh, well, I'd spoken all the lines all the way through and a few had been messed up. The sound wasn't right, but they didn't find that out until I was back in the UK and it was too expensive to get me back over. So they got some other fella to do the lines and the voiceover parts. So that was quite interesting to hear his sort of memory and take on the situation, which we know to be quite different. I also didn't know the fact that apparently... Uh, Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill and all the rest of him refer to him as Farmer Vader because of his West Country accent all the way through, which I thought was quite entertaining. So there was that falling out. And also they reckoned that the, 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 the big sort of final nail in the coffin for him with Lucasfilm, at least, came in around about 2010 when he was actually banned from, att- from attending any Star Wars celebrations or the Star Wars weekends at Disney. Uh, asked again about that he's he's got no recollection of it but one or two articles that i found online seem to suggest that it was following his appearance in a uh, a comedy documentary it, it terms itself as the people versus george lucas which in its own right is quite an interesting concept the basic premise is yeah star wars was george lucas's idea and his child but sort of popular culture as a whole and the fans have taken over and adopted it and developed it and embraced it for what it is. And it's become this mythical being and this mythical series due to the fans, not to George Lucas, hence it, the people versus George Lucas. And they, they claim that it actually belongs to the people rather than George Lucas. Uh, so that was probably worth a watch. But he appeared in that uh, he claims again, he remembers being interviewed. He had no idea what it was for. And well, come on, let's face it. The press do manipulate and twist words and paraphrase and all the rest of it. But he didn't know he was appearing in an anti, uh, essentially an anti George Lucas film that came out in October, 2011. And apparently in, in 2010, he'd been banned from attending the events. So it, it's, it's perhaps a little bit coincidental. So yeah, but it was, it was an interesting research piece, Rich. Thanks for that. Great information there. Yeah, just what what Sai was talking about with the the lines, there was a, an interesting little snippet which I found when when he realised he was going to be dubbed over anyway, and he had to he still had to record. You know, he was still speaking the lines on the set, so um, obviously in his in his in his accent, he started doing his own lines. As long as the the characters could still react to the lines, they obviously knew what what they were reacting to. So um, just with timing. And apparently on uh, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, he would put in his own kind of take on things. And he had to say the, the line, asteroids do not concern me, I need that ship. And he re- replaced it with, hemorrhoids do not concern me, I need to, <clears throat> you know, S-H-I-T. So uh, I can imagine the, the hilarity on uh, on set listening to those lines being spoken. What a card. Haven't heard that one before. Jez, we're not going to see Dorothy Aracons. Is this the start of the end for the original trilogy actors at con- at con appearances? It's been going for a while, hasn't it? Unfortunately, we're not going to see Kenny Baker again. We're going to see Carrie Fisher again. What we are seeing at some conventions are more and more of the bit part actors, you know, some of the extras and, and the fighter pilots, etc. But it is a real shame, you know. These guys are getting on. Um, it was it was sad to see Peter Mayhew looking so poorly when we were in Essen, and uh, and. Actually, as those conventions have gone on, he appears to have been in slightly better health as, as conventions have gone on. But yeah, these these people are getting older, unfortunately. 
Um, but as I said, new ones are coming along. It's a real shame, though, that with all this love of the force and with people returning, you know, Hayden Christensen coming back. I know he's not original trilogy, but after the things which Harrison Ford had said in the past, him coming back, it would be nice if they could just let bygones be bygones. And, and if he could just be welcomed back in to the, you know, the sort of um, community or the bosom of Star Wars, for want of a better expression, I think, you know, it would be, be really, really nice because, you know, come on, the, the, this is... I just think it'd be nice. I just, I think everyone should be given the opportunity for a second chance and let's just, you know, move on and uh, make love, not war. Now, that's something I haven't thought of before, actually. I wonder if at the next celebration, Europe, with George Lucas now stepping out of the picture, Dave Prowse winding up his con appearances, I wonder if they are gearing towards one big celebration, Europe, Darth Vader appearance. As I said, you know, we've seen him before with Hayden coming back and with Harrison making appearance and stuff and it shouldn't be the end you know Ahmed Best might come back um, <laughs> after you know Natalie Portman all, all these people who said no no more come on come back it'd be great to see him at celebration never say never Joe both Dave Prowse and Auntie Daniels are very familiar faces in the fandom and more so, I think, personally, than others who wore masks, such as Peter Mayhew or Kenny Baker or the Sean Crawfords and, and others. Is that a testament to the hard work of both Dave and Anthony, or is there something else to play here? No, I think it comes down to their hard work. You, you look at Dave Prowse, people just going through his, um, his career. You know, the Hammer movies were before Star Wars, Cockwork Orange was early 70s, Jabberwocky was before star wars i can't recall any work outside of after star wars that david prowse did so he's taken something he often gets slandered online and in places that he signs too much but he made a living from that for the last 20 30 years you know and he's worked hard to get to all those conventions and that's what he decided to do same with anthony daniels so fair play to him if they can make money by going and signing autographs and going to conventions then fair play to him but um yeah i think he's worked worked his socks off not got an issue with that at all and if someone like peter mayhew has decided not to go and do that then that's his choice isn't it i think that's been a very respectful tribute to dave prowse i think on behalf of the vintage rebellion and from all vintage collectors we'd like to thank dave for being one of the first and foremost guests out on the collecting circuit his autograph prices have always been reasonable and towards the bottom end of the the pricing market also for children in the uk i would like to thank dave for all of the work that he did on the green cross code and the road safety the statistics for the number of deaths and injuries are fantastic from when the green cross code promotion was running I hope Dave has a welcome retirement. If we do see him again at one special off cons, it would be nice to see him, and especially at a celebration. Rebel base, one minute in closing. Rich, you've got an update on the Carl Cunningham theft from Rancho. Very, very briefly, for those who are unaware, so, as you said there, it was a theft from a Rancho Obi-Wan earlier in the year. Carl Cunningham pleaded guilty to that theft, and he has received a 12 months custodial sentence with a further three years probation and has been ordered to pay $185,000. There is a restitution hearing and that will be heard very soon. So, of course, with us being in the UK, I had to Google what restitution hearings meant. 
And as far as I'm led to believe, it's an appeal against the $185,000 fine that he's been ordered to repay. So that's going to be heard very soon in a court in California. I can just say that thankfully justice has been served and hopefully some more of these items can make their way back to Steve at Rancho Obi-Wan, which is where they rightfully belong. Now, I'm delighted to welcome our interview for this month, and it is with Mark Newbold. Most of you will know him from his time with Jedi News or maybe some of his his written work for Star Wars Insider, amongst many other things. Mark, welcome to the Vintage Rebellion podcast. Thank you very much. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. I'm looking forward to it. And helping me, uh, someone you know quite well, is Rich. Evening, Rich. Evening, guys. Now, Mark, I've just just obviously alluded to Jedi News, but in the last few months, you've left Jedi News and started a new project. Can you tell us a bit? about that yeah so uh on the 31st of october uh, me and a bunch of other guys uh, including um, matt booker and brian cameron and dave tree launched phantom tracks so uh it's uh, uh well just to explain before i get too much into phantom tracks obviously i've done jedi news for seven years I had a great time doing it, but, uh, you know, you sometimes you get the itch to do something new. You want to do something new. And I think there's an element when, especially doing daily news, like, like I do, which is kind of what I'm, I guess that's what I'm known for is just, you know, the news, the news side of it is you can get into a, not a rut. That's not fair. Cause Jedi news is better than saying it's in a rut. That's not fair, but, but you just sometimes get into a bit of a, a, a repetitive groove. And, and sometimes I think because you put so much time and effort into these things, you just feel like you want to do something new sometimes. And I did, uh, I did Jedi news for seven years. As I say, I did lightsaber for 10 years before that. So, um, and I think I never ever thought that lightsaber would finish and it did. Uh, and then I guess I never thought Jedi news would finish. And, but for me it did. So I just felt like I wanted to do something new. And, uh, and so fantastic. Tracks kind of started to bobble along and, and sort of develop throughout the summer, and uh, yeah, it's it seems to have launched pretty well. People seem to like it. We've been very fortunate in the in the sense that uh, we've got a, a good name, thanks to Paul Bateman, who came up with that name years and years and years ago. I remember mentioning that name to me five or six years ago at least, just in conversation, but didn't know what he was going to do with it. And then when I sort of said I was thinking of doing something different and threw a couple of names, possible names of, of this site at him, and he went, God, that's horrible. Oh, don't call it that. 
call it oh. call it Fanta Tracks, and he let me have the name, which could was kind of um, cool. Could you tell us what those other names were? One of them was Galactic Holonet, I remember, and and he went, oh, "That is horrible," because that's all. That's like that's sort of like <laughs> Netscape nineteen ninety nine type Star Wars website name. It's just horrible. So uh, I was like, yeah, actually, you're right. That, that really is grim. So we chucked that. I completely forget what the other one was. It was two. But the one we'd kind of almost decided to go with it. And they went, no, 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 you can't you can't call it. You, have to, you know, lightsaber is an obvious but, but punchy name. And Jedi News is a really good name because it says exactly what it does on the tin sort of, sort of thing. You can't really mistake what Jedi News is. And Fantatrax, if you're a fan, an older fan, you obviously know it's a riff on banter tracks, which is kind of the vibe behind the whole endeavor. So, um, but Galactic Hull in it, it's just horrible. So thank, thank you, Paul, for giving us that. <laughs> and then he says, you know, obviously we all bounced around thinking, well, that's, that's exactly the sort of name we want because that is the kind of vibe we're going for. We're all in our late thirties, early forties for the most part. So we are, we've, most of us have seen pretty much the whole of the, you know, the OT and, and certainly everything since. And so it, it does have that older vintage, I know you guys are all about the vintage, you know, it's got the older vintage vibe about it. So that excited us because we want to remember and talk about and get buzzed about what's gone before. But we're also just as into what's happening now because, as we all know, it's probably the busiest period of Star Wars ever. So but then Paul says, well, if I've, if I've given you the name, let me design the logo. So he came up with a little, the little fanfare. Um which uh, which was fun actually because we we did we had a Skype conversation the well the five of us actually all me Matt Bryan and Dave were on the the line and and uh, Paul was on the other end of the Skype and I actually drew the logo in front of us we watched him draw it live essentially and it's it's basically not changed since you drew it so so that was fun so yeah so yeah so it's it's it's, it's oh God I talk a lot don't I, I can hear myself rubbish in the way we've had a good start it's been good and, and you know social media is catching on people seem to get what we're doing and obviously the the news the daily news aspect is i've just continued pretty much for the most part what i was doing before but there are other things coming so there's there's quite a few other things we've got planned you've cracked a goal a milestone on twitter today haven't you mark we have actually yeah we're very pleased with that. but we've broke a thousand followers on twitter which is cool actually because we we launched it all on the 31st of october and it's only what is it as we speak it's the 7th of december as we speak i think so so just sort of what five weeks to give or take so that's, that's not too shabby i think we've done pretty well there it's helped actually and we've got to thank one of our new new team members claire henry who has done in the past stuff for skywalking through neverland um me and matt met up with her at um force friday at the poser event we just got chatting we recognized her from online and we just got chatting and it turns out she's from she's she's irish but she's or northern irish but she's from coventry lives in coventry so we just got chatting about this that and the other and um and said well you know if you if you ever want to do stuff you know let us know we're all you know we're local sounds like a league of gentlemen we're local so um uh, and she's come on board and she actually tweeted out something off the back of an event we went to last weekend spa wars in leamington which was which was excellent little event and uh, we spoke to uh, some of the cast members there and it turns out that there's the little puppet that's made to look like gary gary fisher and so claire tweeted out copying in ryan johnson himself and says well is this is this space Gary Fisher basically? Because if you look at the little puppet, he's got three eyes instead of two, and his, his head's slightly different. But he's, he's obviously based on on Gary Fisher. Uh, and he tw- he replied back and says, "Yes, it is. Well, good eyes, well spotted." And since then, you know, her tweet and and as a consequence, you know, Fantatrax has has kind of picked up some followers. So yeah, we've we've been lucky in that respect. I've literally just before we started, found that the 
Huffington Post UK have just retweeted it. So, so it's nice when you get these little things. Happen. It happened a lot on Jedi news, and it's nice when it happens. So, so it's uh, it's uh, certainly not hurt. So that's that's been good. So yeah, thanks for mentioning that, Rich. It was, it was it was a nice little milestone. You've got to have little goals to aim for with these things. So it's it's pretty cool. I've been on the website today and having a good look at it, and it's it's very very user friendly. It's nice and sharp. It's it's a lovely lovely looking site. What's going to separate you from uh, Jedi news? What, what's going to be different, or is this an updated version of it, so to speak? Um, um, in a way, I mean, I mean, when when I came on board Jedi News in 2010 and really started posting properly in 2011, Jedi News was 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 a collector site, so it was very much in the mould of of your JTAs and and those kind of sites. It focused mostly, it touched on news, but it focused mostly on on collecting, uh, not exclusively, but mostly. But back then, when it was just James and, and Adam mostly running the site, they'd post you know a couple of articles a day then they'd miss a day and then they post three or four articles a day then they'd miss a day and they didn't have a regular pattern they just posted as and when when i was running sort of the back end of lightsaber interviews had become very much my thing uh in the early days it was all fan fiction that's what lightsaber was originally it was a fan fiction site but uh i'd really cottoned on to the news aspect the daily news aspect uh not to the level that it became with jedi news but that was the thing i wanted to bring to jedi news so i think that was that was what i brought to the party and and obviously we got to a point where i think our average our average daily posting was about 13 articles that was the average so some days a lot more some days a little bit less but but the average out at 13 so Moving on to Panther Tracks, obviously that daily posting element is continuing. That's that's kind of my thing. Um, but we do have plans for quite a few other elements of of things to go into the site. So, for example, we'll be we'll be starting up podcasts fairly early in the new year. So we're still working on that. We've decided not to rush. We thought get the website, you know, laid down and solid and and secure. And it's nice that you mentioned that it's user friendly because that's definitely something we we strived for. And I've got to say, it's Brian Cameron that's built the site. Like he built, he built Jedi News. It's Brian that's built Panther Tracks. So he He's done all the work. I can't claim any any credit for that, but it's Brian that's done that, so he's done a great job. Um, and and the logo doesn't hurt; it makes it look look pretty pretty nice as well. But if you look at the top bar of the site, you'll notice a couple of things. There's a section called Cannon Fodder, which is our literature section, which hasn't launched yet. Uh, we're we're all working on that in the background again. Predominantly, Brian is working on that, and that will uh, have a heavy focus, obviously, on the literature, comics, books, magazines, and such. Uh, we've got contributors in South America, Central America, all over the place that are going to stop um, throwing information into that which is excellent uh, so that's cannon fodder that launches uh, fairly early next year uh, and there's also collecting tracks which i think will be of interest to you guys because that is a, a specifically the collecting section of the site uh, and we've come up with uh, and again it's mostly brian but he's come up with a, a process that allows you to as, as a as somebody visiting the site you can uh, list what you want to collect list what you've got in your collection list what you want and ways to find it so it's it's i've never seen anything like it anywhere else and it's still we're still trialing it it's quite unique but um yeah it's that's coming together quite nicely so so, uh, yeah, there's a few other bits. And, and like I say we want to keep rolling out different things and keep it fresh because uh, I think not that it's a criticism. If I'd gone out and thought, let's make Fanta tracks just like Jedi News, but slightly different. I think Jedi News is a pretty good template to, to try and emulate. But, but that's not the intention. In its, in, but initially, as it is at the moment, we are very similar because it's a WordPress site. You know, three or four of the guys on Fantasy Tracks were up until a couple of months ago running Jedi News. So there's obviously going to be a similar voice, I guess. That's the best way of putting it. Um, but uh, so it, it, in its infancy, it's, I, I can say obviously it is fairly similar, but there there's plenty of changes to come. So they'll find they'll find 
both sites will find a new identity because obviously Jedi news has changed because I'm not there and Matt's not there and Brian's not there and you know it's it's going to change by just by nature of the the, the staff inverted commas if you want to call it that. You're saying about you're the daily content manager there. You've yesterday you put up eleven eleven posts today you've put up one so I'm not sure whether you're um, putting your finger <laughs> out there Mark. Oh no, I've really <laughs> let it slide down today. It's terrible. It's actually it's actually three posts now. It's three posts, but and there's more coming. But yes, oh yeah, yesterday yesterday was a good day. It's funny actually because a lot of the content at the moment because we're still sort of training people up how to how to log into back end of word of wordpress and and getting that whole, whole side of it set up so a lot of the news comes to me so actually i think everything i think it was 27 articles yesterday i think i actually posted all 27 of them uh, un, under different people's names um because they don't have access to post yet but but that's something that we want to do um over time is give everybody the access that they can go in and they're confident i think it's a confidence thing with websites as well because we had that on jedi news there was a handful of people who could go in and post themselves and but you just it's a scheduling thing as well so sometimes when there's a crazy day like once last jedi comes out jedi news will be the same will be the same there'll just tons and tons and tons of news and you just spit it out like a machine gun you don't worry about scheduling because you just got to get it on there but but generally on a normal day when you get non-time critical stuff that's where i kind of come in i'll go right we'll post this at one o'clock and then we'll post that at four and then at seven sort of thing and then any other daily news or podcasts or whatever you just fritter them around as as and when it's not you know it's not such a thing but um we'll get to the point with the new site where everybody will go okay well my article goes on a monday at eight o'clock or my article goes on a thursday at seven or whatever and everyone kind of knows what they're doing and then if you know uh, if if i'm unavailable which i was today for a little while we can get to one of the other guys and go you're up posting for a couple of hours or can you throw a couple of things on and we can just share the load a little bit it will make life easier for everybody and everybody feels more invested then as well i think if they've got the access to post both the collecting tracks and the cannon fodder sound brilliant and cannon fodder kind of leads us into something that we want to discuss with you because you are a huge uh, literature fan when it comes to star wars and um, you're known to be a huge comic fan as well rich i think believe you have some questions regarding this area mark obviously you're a fair bit older than the rest of us <laughs> <laughs> thanks rich really appreciate that thank you it's true but you know yes. <laughs> And um, obviously in the UK, we were spoiled with Marvel, uh, 107 issues and three special annuals. And what I want to do is I want to go all the way back to when you started spotting the Marvel comics coming out in your local stores. Now, I was, you know, ridiculed online about four years ago when I'd said that when up in the northeast, we couldn't find the comics anyway. They just didn't seem to exist uh, and others were saying well don't be silly that they, they, they were readily available what do you remember about when the when you first got into the marvel comics and how easy were them to get that's a really good question actually because i i sympathize with your situation we i was lucky where i lived in burtwood i, I moved away and came back so i lived back in burtwood now we in the village we had two post uh, post office well we did we had two uh, news agents and half a mile the other way we had another big news agent so we were lucky in that we could we could find them but in the locality there was nothing other than there it was just like a sweet spot for for you know for the comics so i totally get what you're saying and, and i think this is another thing when fans look back and you find old copies of star wars weekly and nine out of ten have got smith jones johnson brown or whatever written on the top because we all used to keep them at the news agents and they write your name on the top and which i hated but uh, but it's kind of cute now but yeah I, I i was lucky in the sense that i'd heard about the film my mom's younger brother was not that actually not that older than me he's about only seven or eight years older than me so he'd read the novel my dad's brother had bought the soundtrack so he got the soundtrack i started to get into the film guess early 78 you know um not long after it came out it took a bit of while to get to 
you know, it took a while to get to Birmingham and our part of the world and would have been similar for you, Rich, you know, getting up there and that, you know, because obviously London was where it, it predominantly opened. And uh, yeah, my mum's best friend picked up issue six for me. So she's what she, I, I, we're still friends now. I still say it's all your fault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you hadn't picked that up. I'd have never, or I would, I probably would, but I maybe would have never cottoned on because I think that first or my first issue um, just, just completely captivated me. And I, I, I remember and I spoke about this not that long ago and I don't know why, because I'd collected the weeklies for ages and then, and then the monthly started coming out and I think I had a little lull. I think either I'd stopped collecting for a year or so for whatever reason. I think match weekly became my big thing as a kid. And then I started collecting again and it had gone monthly by then. And I always remember buying one issue and kind of just going off and writing a bit of fan fiction off the back of this one issue, N- almost not thinking that, well, of course there's another issue next month that's going to carry on the story. I didn't think like that. I just wrote, I just wanted to get something down myself without waiting for the next story. So I went off and wrote my own sequel to this Marvel story. But yeah, it was um, a lot of kids. Uh, you had to, if you didn't put your name down, if you didn't sort of register it with the news agent and either get it delivered with the post on a, on a Wednesday or whatever, or, um, or, or you picked it up from the news agent. I think, yeah, a lot of people struggle to find it. So I, I don't know why you were ridiculed. I, I guess there are certain areas that would have uh, would have found it a bit easier to get hold of the comic. But um, yeah, I've got, I've got great memories of collecting those those comics back in the day. Yeah, I just never saw them anyway. Um, huh? So what do you remember of issue seven? Because obviously issue seven was the very first step out of somewhere that was uh, familiar and, you know, what all of us knew. So issue seven was taking us off into you know uncharted territories and and following on from seven what did you think of the the comics as they were racing towards empire strikes back i I love that era i I think i think i look back now as a fan and i think my favorite era of star wars was actually between empire and jedi but but i was thinking i was listening to the original star wars soundtrack yesterday when i was just working on something and then I got so wrapped up in listening to the music and remembering a time when there was only Star Wars and how pure it was. And you only knew what you'd read or you'd seen on the screen. So when that issue seven is the US issue seven, I think it's UK issue 13 or something. But when that, that, that one came out, you know, with Han and Chewie on the cover and Chewie's got that, you know, you know, the, that pose, and he's got the blaster and, you know, beyond the galaxy, beyond the film and all that. Uh, I mean, you look back now, it's easy for, it's easy for fans to be snotty. I remember back in the nineties, kids got really snotty about those old Marvel comics and just completely dismissed them i remember saying to somebody dude and and i I know there's a gatekeeper element to this comment but but it was very much like you had to be there you know you had to be there if you weren't there if if that wasn't the only thing star wars you could get which it was you know because splinter hadn't come out and so star's end was a year away you know this was literally anything that was wrapped around the film was to do with the story of star wars and then there was that issue seven like you just said or the story or the star wars weekly version of when they stripped it down you know, that was the first new Star Wars stuff that you got to read. It, it was hugely important. I mean, and I love the fact as well, me saying Han Solo at Star's End is my favourite novel. And God, I haven't read that for about 25 years. I, I, I really should go back and read it. But, um, you know, it was a Han and Chewie story. Because I guess you look at Han and Chewie and in their isolation, you can throw them into stories and you only need Han and Chewie, which is what Brian Daly had, you know, and they could allude to other things, you know, like they allude to the father. There's the farm boy character who's clearly a Luke type character. And obviously there's Jackson and there's all, you know, there's all these other characters that they can just go weird with. But it was, I, I loved it. And, uh, and I know kids at school, I was like six or seven or whatever, you know, but we'd all turn up at school with our Star Wars weeklies and sit there at lunch about, you know, reading through it and talking about it and like kids do. Ma- massively important and, and under, un- not respect enough and underrated because it really was 
Everyone says about the EU starting in 91 with Air to the Empire. No, it didn't. It started in, two, in 1978 with that comic. Yeah, but that's where it all really began. And uh, yeah, can't, can't be underestimated how important that comic was. Yeah. And they churned these out very quickly because they had, they didn't have a massive amount to go on, but they, they, they picked out, you know, small things from the movie and made bigger stories from them. You know, all of these had to have been approved as well by Lucasfilm. And I, th- I think if I remember right, it was only one person who was actually approving the stories back in the time. Yeah. Well, I interviewed, that's a good point, actually. I interviewed Joe Duffy about that, who was the editor for a good long while. And the very first issue she read, uh, she wrote rather, and I might be getting the issue number wrong, but it's there or thereabouts. It was around the US numbering. It was around about issue 21, something like that. But it was the it was the Obi-Wan Kenobi cover where it was like Obi-Wan Kenobi stands alone sort of thing. He's got his saber out and all the aliens around him. Uh, And that was the first one she wrote. But she said, yeah, everything had to go through Lucasfilm. And of course, you know, we always used to hear this back in the day. If it's got Star Wars on it, it's gone past Lucas's desk. And of course, it hadn't literally gone past George Lucas's desk, but it had clearly gone through people at Lucasfilm. But you're right. I think back then when it was, I think it was still, was it still Black Falcon or something then? You know, the, the whole licensing thing. It wasn't, it wasn't, the, or, was, or it might have been the Star Wars Corporation. Or, it was different setup to how it became sort of around about the time of Empire when sort of Lucasfilm branched off from Fox and Fox was just releasing the film. It was, uh, yeah, it was, it was one, one, two, maybe, you know, that was your quality control, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I think because they, they didn't want to give anything away about empire. And I think if you look back the the, like the Sundays, you know, the Russ Manning stuff and the, uh, Archie Goodwin and Al Williamson stuff that actually teased closer to the films than the Marvel comics did to a large degree. Uh, certainly at that time, but yeah, you're limited, aren't you? You know, you've got, let's go and do a story about, you know, uh, um, I'll pick any random subject, you know, let's let's spin off and do something about this, that or the other, keeping it tied into the film. So they were clever. They were very clever. And, and obviously at that point, the galaxy hadn't expanded. They didn't really know it was going to expand to the level that it did. Um, although I'm, I'm, I'm glad they didn't realise that it would, if that makes sense. There's yeah. a cuteness and a naivety about what they did that I find really sweet. And I'm more attracted to that now than I, than I have been for years in a weird way, because Star Wars now, 2017, going on 2018, is so monstrously big. You're getting a film a year. It's, 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 you're not going to extrapolate on The Last Jedi to anywhere near the degree that Marvel and Del Rey extrapolated and, and expanded on Star Wars Empire and Jedi, so which I kind of miss. I, I miss the gap. I prefer the longer gap, so you could just really chew over a film. I don't think we're going to get that anymore. No, no, I know what you're saying. And now, over in the UK, we had gifts on the front of our comics, and I don't think the States got that. Do you recall any of the gifts that were on the front and whether any of them stood out for you? Yeah, I mean, the first, I think it was issue, I always forget it was issue one or issue two. I think it was issue one was the, well, it should have said X-Wing Fighter, but I think it just said X-Fighter, so they actually actually got the naming wrong uh, and I think later on there was a was there a I think you could build like a Death Star surface or something there was all but some of that was internal I mean for me the, the, the thing I liked the most was it was a little bit later on later on in the run of the weeklies maybe when Deskin got involved when they started doing the posters the pull out posters yeah you know, I got definitely. one of Han and Chewie you know the classic Han and Chewie one and, and, and quite a bit later when between sort of after Empire when John Higgins was starting to do the artwork so there was you know the the the, the beautiful orange best being one and the uh, the the rancor with Luke and the rancor and stuff like that. So the poster pullouts were, were very attractive. But yeah, the the cover ones. I'm trying to think. I mean, I I, I know in Jedi they did 
some weird little random like little airfix model kit things you could pop out and make sort of a plane the size of a five fence b sort of thing um and, and obviously the transfers they did the transfers later on but yeah the x-files i think to find one with with an with the uh, the fighters still intact now would be would be worth finding wouldn't it I've, I've just i've got the comic from back in the day but uh, i don't think i've even got my x-files or any of that knocking around but it was, it was nice like you say the americans never got that because their whole newsstand thing in the states you know the, the size of the comics and the layout you know obviously a week, uk weekly is a far bigger physically bigger magazine uh, and of course we've got all the backup strips that that the americans never got in their star wars comics because obviously they pushed on quicker through the stories than we did and and, and we were able to you know to keep the uh, the storylines turning over as we did but uh, yeah i, I kind of like the fact i mean now you're going to i do a bit of stock taking as well as doing the, the magazine writing so i mean i'm in and out of news agents all the time and now to count magazines every single magazine is in a bubble bag you know with, with half a dozen bags of blooming haribo with it and it's just an absolute nightmare you know at least we didn't have that back in the day but uh, yeah i think it was fun you know kids of 77 78 didn't expect what kids of 2017 and 18 expect i think you know we were, we were just happy to be getting star wars well i always say to vintage collectors who are growing disillusioned with collecting figures and carded figures due to the prices is go and look at the comics you can pick up so many of these comics now for a pound on ebay you know they're not hard yes there are a couple of issues and you know number one with the the x fighter on the front is going to be more expensive but you could you could pick up i would probably guess virtually every comic for under two pound each oh yeah yeah oh totally yeah and i think again if i was you know if i was any kind of uh advisor if you like to some new kid coming into the fandom uh right now you know it's you know 10 12 year old kid who suddenly cottons onto star wars and just decides what he wants to get I'd say, yeah, enjoy what's coming out now. Of course, that's your, going to be your focus. You know, if you're getting into Star Wars today, your Star Wars is The Last Jedi and everything else is, you know, in addition to that. But I'd definitely say, go, go back, you know, this thing goes back to the seventies for goodness sake. You know, this thing's 40 years old. Go back and find some old stuff. It's all Star Wars, you know, um, and obviously quality goes up and down, like it goes up and down with everything. But, and I'm, I'm going to say that because, you know, I was, I was a little kid. I was like six or seven when those comics came out. So I've, I'm kind of emotionally attached to them, like we all are. But there's some absolute gold in those comics. And it's just, I think, just looking back at them now, every now and again, I'll just go up in the collection room, just open up a couple and just have to sit there and have a read with a cup of tea, you know. And there's there's something really evocative about it. And again, I guess you've got to, you kind of had to be there. Otherwise, it's there's not that emotional connection. But but you know, as collectors, that, that a monster, monster part of being a Star Wars collector, as well as being a Star Wars fan, is that you know it's the smell of the plastic of the figures or it's the feel of the pages or you know it's all those little tactile moments that trigger off memories of it's a time machine isn't it it just takes you back so and i think the comics have got that about them very much and you've already alluded to this but return the jedi weekly number 11 august 1983 (laughs) yes yeah your fan fiction character appeared in the in the letters page is that correct you did that's right, yeah, Yan Lamoni, yeah. That's first, first time I'd, I'd, I'd started writing. I mentioned earlier how I'd, I'd read a comic and then wrote my own sequel. So, um, so in May of 1982, I wrote my first Star Wars story called Quest, Quest for Freedom, and uh, it was oh, I mean, it was so basic, it was ridiculous, but uh, but it was fun. It was uh, it was Luke and Leia looking for Han and uh, obviously not finding him. So it was very much that whole search for Han Solo era. And uh, but they go to a planet called Adesando and meet up with this character called Jan Lamona. So and he was um, an ex smuggler who'd become the administrator of this city on his home planet. So it's kind of half hand, half Lando sort of thing. But he was as tall as Chewie. So it was a real mixture of obvious, obvious elements. But I'd just written this little letter in to um, into that issue um, because Lando was my favorite character at the time. 
uh and and it got printed so yeah i, I remember and i was a tubby little thing when i was a kid I'm, I'm just a big tubby thing now but i just remember barreling down the the hill down to the island the, the village where the news agent was and picking up my issue because a friend of mine had, had phoned me up and this is back when you had to ask your mom if you can use the phone so my friend andrew phones you up and says mark mark you let us in return the jedi weekly and go belting down to the news agents and picked it up and took it to school the next day and we didn't have it was even before photocopiers i think it was still like photostat so it came out like brown it wasn't even a proper photocopy it's the weirdest thing i've still got a copy of the, the photostat somewhere but yeah uh, the, the worst the worst whole worst thing and i, I still kick myself now because i really wish i'd kept them but of course i put my address in there 80 manual road burtwood which is where i used to live and about oh, two, three weeks later, I got a letter. Mum says, you've got a letter. Oh, okay. So I opened up the letter and it's, dear, dear, I'm, in, my, in my head I'm reading, dear Jan, uh, I'm paraphrasing, uh, so cool to see that there are girl Star Wars fans. What is your name? Can you, will you be my pen friend? I had about six letters because they thought it was Jan, as in Janice or Janice. <laughs> Or whatever, I was I was like not happy. So these letters screwed up and in the bin. I was in a huff. I didn't get one because what? I mean, you know, when you're 11, you think everybody gets what you're thinking in your head. Why don't they know it's Yan? Obviously, it's Yan. No, it's Jan. So there you go. So that was that was. Uh, but I really wish I kept those letters. But yeah, no, it, it was cool. It was nice. It, I, I can I can really lamely claim that that's my first published work. <laughs> and I spoke to Cyril. That's the best part. Cyril replied to me, so I'll take that. <laughs> now, obviously, like all of us, in between Empire and Jedi, no internet. I mean, I'm guessing you play with your toys with your friends. You may have had some of the top trading cards and all that kind of stuff. But what I'm really interested in is what was the wildest rumor that you can remember of between star wars and empire or empire and jedi that never happened because That's we all know we all know of the kid who'd seen the movie before it was yeah. released who'd been to the states and watched it yeah. or, or his dad had it on video or something ridiculous oh man that's such a good question like so many stories i had a friend at school who's who who claimed that his dad worked for palatoy and that in his loft he had every single star wars figure including unreleased ones but every time he asked to go around to his house there was always an excuse why you couldn't and uh, another friend whose dad actually did work on the oil rigs uh, over in, in sort of saudi in that part of the world um the oil rigs not oil rigs but you know the, the whole oil industry and he would come back with all sorts of videos and we actually i actually did see jedi um before it came out of the cinema on a pirate copy which was kind of cool but not because it was a really bad pirate copy but the best rumor and, and this is this this is what i miss I, I don't get me wrong i love the internet you know i started doing websites in 94 and i've been doing it ever since so internet's great i love it but there, there is and i wouldn't know you guys probably if it wasn't for the internet so it's, it's a wonderful thing in that respect but i do miss the you know going and reading starburst or starlog or cinefx or whatever that element or just you know i'm not going to be at school again but i know you will richard but but i won't you know but uh but, you know there's that whole the, the whole playground rumor thing and the, and the big playground rumor i remember between empire and jedi was that uh luke leia well, basically they all die at the hand of jabba the hut that jabba kills everybody uh and that nobody gets out now that, that was like the end of the film was that they all died and jabba the hut killed them uh and <laughs> you know and of course so then you're going into you're reading not like, reading looking looking for clues to find out whether the 
this is true or not and there was nothing that gave anything away or certainly i wasn't smart enough as a kid to pick up that there wasn't a clue that it didn't happen so you'd hear all these crazy rumors but that was the one um what was the other one there was another there was another one um that uh, that luke and leia would get together that they that they weren't brother and sister and that luke and leia were going to be the ones that went together and han solo would fly off with chewy that sort of thing so but yeah it was it was and it was always somebody's older brother that raised the room my brother's heard my big brother's heard it was always that so yeah. back when Big Brothers, you know, had a bit more cla- a bit more weight behind them than they do these days. <laughs> I had a friend who'd seen episode one, two, and three. Really? Yeah, I know. So obviously, because we were talking about episode four, and he'd seen the first three, and he, he wouldn't tell us the plot. <laughs> so i was going to say that mark at some point then like most of us and you've already briefly said that you're interested in star wars win slightly although obviously it's still there and you still love star wars and you're headed off down other avenues now at some point i could be making this up but did you work in a toy shop did that sort of rekindle some of your love for the for collecting or have i got that totally wrong you've done your research yes i did i was i was funny i was only talking about that the other day um yeah i worked in um for toy master um on just a saturday job so i'd worked at tesco for a while that was a horrendous job that was horrible they, they oh a horrible job but, uh, it was great working at tesco because where i lived lived in litchfield at the top of the precinct they had a great big tesco and that was where after jedi sort of 83 84 that sort of time 85 all the, the they had a huge aisle it was just all star wars just rammed with star wars and just picked up stuff like you know all the mini rigs for like you know a couple of quid and the figures for 50p and all that sort of stuff it was it was great to pick up you know a bit of army building such as it was so that was great and then i worked there for a while and it was a horrible job so i left uh, and in in the precinct so this would be 87 so i was going out with a girl at the time so i was like 16 and we just started going out. She worked at the shoe shop next door. And she says, oh, the toy shop are looking for somebody to work there. But everybody who worked in the toy shop, it was always girls. Always, always girls. But I thought, well, what have I got to lose? I used to go in there and buy me toys and still did, you know, and go in. And they, yeah, I knew that they knew me. So I went in and I applied and went to the whole thing. And, and uh, out of, I think that they had like 40 or 50 people apply for the job. And I was the only guy that applied for the job. And I got the job, which was nice. And they must have remembered me and thought I was, you know, pleasant enough. So, yes, yeah, so I worked in the shop. But uh, the nightmare story, I mean, the absolute nightmare story oh god still makes me sweat was upstairs the boss mr kerwin who owned a couple of shops in the area uh he would come in every wednesday i used to do an hour and a half after school on a wednesday so he'd come in on a wednesday and me and him would go through the stock room and tidy things up and just just fiddle around and do odds and sods just keeping the shop ticking over nice and tidy and in his corner he got a box and it was a big like a moving box like a packaging box big box and it was floor top to bottom star wars figures pristine you name it was in there and he said to me he says i don't want these they're taking up space nobody wants them anymore it was all you know gi you know it was action force masters of the universe ghostbusters all that sort of stuff was the thing we sold a lot of sylvanian families but there you go and and uh, he says listen if you want them you can have them for like 25p a figure and there was an insane amount in there and i still remember i can still see myself going that's really nice of you sir but uh, i've already got them i don't i don't need them again this is before the, the thought of keeping your figures carded would it even entered my mind they were just toys and i'd already got them so why would i want them again for 25p i was only earning 10 pound a week so i turned this box of and it, there was like star wars empire jedi trilogue the whole thing was in there it was full of everything i'd been through the box i knew what was in there uh and yeah 
that's my big that was the ship that passed me by that i didn't pick up so whilst i have wonderful memories of working in the toy shop uh that that is that's the one real grotty memory i wish i really wish i could go back and do that moment again but there you go you probably got the job because you thought you were going to spend your wages back in the shop whereas the girls wouldn't <laughs> yeah <laughs> probably yeah uh, it was a fun job it was a fun job and like i say you know especially now like I say to folks, I mean, obviously I've got a decent collection, but I don't consider myself a collector in that sense because I know guys like yourselves are knowledgeable to a level I'll never get to, you know, and you, you, you can discuss and talk about things that I've kind of heard of, but I don't know the, the deep dive in that respect. So, and, and you know, I used to do collector's cast with James quite regular, and now James, his focus as a Star Wars fan is very much the collecting side. So I would say, well, James is a collector. He knows collecting. I collect, but I don't consider myself a collector in that sense. And then Day Tree came to the house not that long ago, and, he, and I said, well, I just said this as we were talking in conversation, and then he sort of laughed and went, of course you're a collector. Look at this stuff. But I'm not knowledgeable about it to that level. Um, for me, it's always more, like I said earlier, it's, it's the tactile thing. It's the memory making. That's why I collect. It's you know, it's, it's just a memory box for me, yeah, a Star Wars memory box. What kind of things he does actually collect now, you know? Oh, it, it, it's a real it's a real mixture i mean uh, as you've alluded to obviously the comics i collect but not to the level that that brian now brian's brian cameron his complete focus is is literature so it's he's collecting foreign language books foreign language comics magazines he's got newspaper cuttings going back to the 70s from all over the states his literature collection's insane so whilst i'm i can proudly say i own a copy of every star wars novel be it either english or american he's got hungarian he's got brazilian he's got a crazy crazy depth of, of stuff but he's become a focus collector on literature so for me obviously the the, the literature is a, is a focus to to that level but uh, i pick up the odd figure but for me it's more about vintage i'm much happier picking up an older figure uh, or rather an older vehicle i've got all the figures but an older vehicle that i may have missed back in the day uh, I, I get more of a kick out of that i like the ephemera so it was like the fiddly little the flyer at a convention from 10 years ago or or a little badge that they only made a hundred of at, at some event in 1995 or you know silly things like that um I've, I've got quite a lot of the audio visual stuff so i've got a lot of the vhs betamax video 2000 but i've got a lot of the ncsc american videos there's quite a focus on that so it's it's a real mix tops but but tops have just gone so nuts lately that i used to try and get all the chase cards and the promo cards and i, I kind of stopped worrying about that so i'll just get the base sets now i don't worry about that but but then with with tops for example I like I like the boxes, the packaging, so I like to keep the boxes. And for me, for me, really, in a weird way, it's, it, it is. And, and, and I know this is a thing with collectors. It's it's the it's the gorgeous looking artwork on the on the packaging that I like. You know, the, when the Force Awakens figures came out, I love the artwork. I think it, thought it looked great. But but I just like lots of different. I collect a lot of T-shirts. That's another little focus. So it's all sorts of random things. But I, I like it to be mixed up and eclectic. Uh, but I also need a fourth floor to my house. But I don't think the council's going to let me build it. So but there you go. <laughs> But well, that's the beauty of Star Wars, Mark, isn't it? Because as you've said, they, you know, I'm a collector, you're a collector, Stu's a collector, all our collections are different. And it's it's way Star Wars wins, hands down, compared to every other franchise. I mean, I do yeah. love loads of franchises, but with Star Wars, it's a pure volume and the different aspects that you can pick and choose. And if I ever got to a point where 
I felt as though I have to have this and I have to have that and I have to have that and there's no story or no feeling behind it. I would quit. And yes. each of us have our own little niche area, you know, of, of what you like. I mean, I've, I've seen some of your collection and I've thought, oh, that toothbrushes, you know, some of that Oral-B stuff that you've got. You know, I've looked and I thought, that's fantastic, that. I, w- I would love to own some, some things like that. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, like you say, no to... Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. I, I guess I've never thought of it that way, but you're right. I guess if, if you've got another franchise, like Indiana Jones, I've got, a, I've got a fairly big Indiana Jones collection because the whole Lucasfilm connection, obviously, and a lot of the crew were on this, both films and obviously Harrison and, 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 you know, and stuff like that. So I've got, a, I've got a pretty good indie collection, novels and, you know, all the young indie soundtracks and all sorts of malarkey and some cool little bits in there. But it takes up one big sort of, because I, I got the metal racking, the big metal racking um, sort of, not bookcases, but racking, industrial style, style racking. And one of those is full of indie stuff. But that's it. And I mean, really, you know, unless they go nuts with indie like they've gone with Star Wars, I can't see there being that much more indie stuff. And, and, and that's something that occasionally I'll go and find old bits of something will crop up. I, mean, I found a hardback. I never even knew it existed. I found it completely by accident. And I didn't even order it in a weird way. I, I saw a cover to a paperback of Raiders that I'd never seen. And I ordered it and it turned up and it was an ex-library hardback paperback. Paperback size, hardback copy of Raiders of the Lost Ark completely random never knew it even existed you know um so it's nice when you find little things like that but the point being is like yeah we could take our three collections and and display them as they are in our collection rooms side by side and guaranteed there'll be probably i don't know 20 percent of overlap maybe you know and everything else is different and, I, and I, i'm pretty sure we've all got fairly sizable collections so you know it's a lot of stuff you know which is why when you get a rancho and you see all the stuff he's got there and he, ch- he you know sansweet turns it over and changes it and, and re-displays it and, and keeps changing it up and that, that just knocks you, knocks you on your feet sometimes when you think, God, it's this much stuff. And I know he's got the focus on the fan-made stuff at the moment, which is really sweet. But, but you know what I mean? There's just so like you say, so much stuff. There can't be, oh, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna kill me now. I'm going to have to say the T word. But, you know, Trek's been around for 50 years, but there's not, a, not a, anywhere near as much merchandise for Trek as there is for Star Wars. Not even remotely close. So, yeah, Star Wars is very unique in that respect, definitely. You, you go to a lot of conventions. I don't know how your wife feels about you zipping off every weekend. She doesn't know I've actually got a secret twin. So she's, just, she's actually married to two people, she, but don't tell her that. He comes and sits in way or away, does he? <laughs> uh, what was your first convention getting into that scene? Star Wars convention. Uh, it was um, it was Empire Day in 96 down in Watford, uh, one of Jason Joyner's events. Because back then, um, in, the, in, the, in the 80s, I really started getting heavily into collecting American comics. So I used to go to a lot of comic conventions down in, uh, mostly in Birmingham, in and around Birmingham. So was, uh, I think 86 was the first comic convention that I went to um, when I was really getting into my Marvel. Uh, and I do remember Bob Monkhouse was there because Bob Monkhouse was a very famous uh, comic collector. And he, he was allowed to go in before everybody else. And he had the run of the room, picked up what he wanted, came outside, got into his Rolls Royce and disappeared. And then they let the other 300 guys into the into the Grand Hotel in Birmingham. But um, and then I think my first Trek convention was in '92, but my first Star Wars convention was '96. Yeah, Empire Day. So it was uh, as a, if I, I'm pretty sure in, I'm right in saying it was Don Henderson's last ever convention. I think I think Kenny was there. I think Peter Mayhew was there. Jeremy Bullock was speaking for Don Henderson because Don had I think he had um, cancer of the throat, if I remember rightly. So he could his voice had gone, and he always had a distinctive gravelly voice anyway. 
Um, but he was just about able to make himself understood to Jeremy, who would then very, very warmly and comedically, you know, making light in not in a nice, respectful way, but just kind of relayed what he was saying. So, but it was it, that was that was cool because, and I found out since that quite a few different people that I knew were actually at the same event. Booker was there, and a couple of other people were there that I didn't realise were at that event. And I didn't know him at the time, you know, which was kind of cool. But that was cool for me. It, it was cool in the sense that it was a Star Wars event. It was '96, so obviously. SEM, oh, sorry, uh, Shadows of the Empire had just come out. Uh, we knew the special editions were coming. We knew the prequels were coming. It was that, you know, the real uh, Galaxy Collector and Galaxy Magazine were out and, and all that stuff in the Hasbro had just relaunched the year before. Uh, you know, it was a real key year, if you think back, you know, for Star Wars 96. So it was just the start of the resurgence. By the same token, at that time, I got used to, in uh, 95 and 96, I'd gone to the Albert Hall, of all places, for two great big Star Trek conventions, which were absolutely packed out because obviously Trek was at its peak in, in the mid nineties. So, so to go to these monster events at the Albert hall and then go to, uh, you know, like a hall in, in Watford for empire day, uh, it was, it was like light, like night and day. It's funny how the, you know, the, the poles have sort of reversed and swung over the years between the two, but, um, that was the first one. Uh, and then I just kind of got into general, general, general sci-fi stuff. So I'd go to events where there'd be Star Wars guests there, but it might've had more of a focus on Babylon five. because I really got, pretty heavily into bab five and obviously the trek stuff so so through the late 90s early 2000s it was that kind of going to star fury events and things like that always on the heathrow strip you know it's always where you ended up and then 2005 started going to the sfb events down in bournemouth the ball which are if nobody's ever been there just the fantastic events such good fun they have great guests and back then they had michael sheard was there patron if you like because he, he lived sort of down south that part of the world uh and and he passed away not that long after the first one i went to but i, I, I again booker knew him really well they were good friends but I, I was quite proud that i actually managed to buy him a buy him a whiskey and, and have a quick drink and a chat with him at the bar because it wasn't a star wars event but i was obviously a star wars guy so that was kind of cool so yeah but uh, yeah the first one was that empire day and it was it was pretty cool looking back I, I i appreciate it more now than i ever did at the time which is kind of weird but maybe that's just how you you view you view your fandom isn't it sometimes looking back yeah and when did you start i know you do quite a few of your interviews with the stars at the conventions when when did that start and who was that really for was that why you were still part of lightsaber or was it yeah oh yeah 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 i mean the first the first interview we we're actually rolling them out again on um on Fanta tracks um so the first interview i ever did was uh, i think it was july of 2000 with kevin j anderson so back then it was all done via email uh, i don't even think skype was the thing then um and uh, I, I certainly didn't have the capability to to sort of phone and record or anything in, in fact it's quite it's r- relatively recent i think when i interviewed um years later interviewed irving kirshner and that was a case of having the phone on speakerphone and putting the, the little dictaphone next to it to record <laughs> it you know and i'm amazed the quality came out as well as it did because it's actually a pretty good recording but yeah the first one was kevin j anderson i think it was dave prowls after that a lot of literature guys back then uh, um, Aaron Alston, which just went on the site this week, um, Stackpole, uh, Alan Dean Foster, those kind of guys. So really early on, it was some really Terry Brooks, who doesn't seem to want to talk about Star Wars anymore. So I got some really good interviews early on. Um, but I think the first, um, the first face-to-face one would have been wow. Oh, now you got me thinking now. It would have been one for quite late, quite late on. It would have been about 2010. I went to Starmania, the the ill-fated Starmania convention in Swansea, which originally was supposed to be at the Millennium Stadium, and it ended up being a it being in a tent and uh, interviewed a, a bunch of guys there. And I, I kind of I'd not quite started for Jedi News properly, but I'd got the audio 
and and it got used for Jedi news. I think that was the last. No, no, it wasn't the last time we saw him because I used to run Richard Lepermentier's website for a while. So, um, but most of our conversations were via telephone or or email. But uh, he he was at that event. Classic Richard wasn't impressed, um, which was quite funny. But uh, yeah, it was um, yeah, it would have been Starman. It would have been the first audio one, face to face ones, and and walked away with about ten interviews from that that day. So it was a, it was a good trip in that respect. But yeah, most of them were over the phone. So I, I did hit a real sweet spot around about two thousand six, two thousand and seven, when I interviewed Rick McCullum, and this was all done via Lucasfilm, who were wonderfully helpful back in the day, still are. But 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 especially then. Uh, post Revenge of the Sith, when they, I think they thought the fandom would just fritter away before they announced the Clone Wars, and they just want to keep people ticking over. So, so I interviewed McCullum, and then just got chatting to him at the end of the interview, and said, oh, "I'm trying to get in touch with Kirshner. I've contacted the Directors Guild of America, and they've said they're going to give me his details." But blah blah blah, and he went, "Oh, we can sort that out." And uh, probably ten days later, I was on the phone talking to Kirshner. So, so I had a, a good little run of, of interviews there. But yeah, I think I think back end of the lightsaber time when I was doing that site, it kind of became known mostly for, for interviews, which, which worked great. Cause you know, that was mostly what I did for the insider, um, was, was interview pieces. So yeah, good, good, good fun. What's the best story you ever, you ever heard? Uh, in, in what respect? With regards to Star Wars, some Star Wars actor told you a story. You didn't know it before. And Ooh, you know, that's a good question. Wow. Um, I'll tell you a good one. It just pops to mind. I interviewed Eric Walker, who obviously was Mace in uh, Mace Tawani in Caravan of Courage. And very briefly in Battle of Endor. Did he even turn up in Battle of Endor? I can't remember. I know he died in it. I only saw that once. It was horrible. Um, but I enjoyed Caravan of Courage. So it was nice. To, I did a big piece for the Insider about Caravan of Courage. In fact, it's funny. It was, it was the issue that it was the Celebration Europe 2, the Essen issue that had Warwick on the cover. And uh, it was published and marketed as being edited by Warwick Davis. Uh, and uh, in, in actual fact, it, everything in that magazine that was Warwick was done with him in his car on his hands free and me sitting at home on Skype and we did six separate articles for the magazine whilst he was driving from Peterborough to somewhere else uh, in the case in space for about an hour and I annotated it all and, and tarted it up and sent it in and the sad thing was was the day he went into the offices there's a picture of him in the magazine I, I think sort of stood on the desk or something and they invited me into the office because I'd actually done all the stuff in the, in the magazine and I couldn't make it in I was working so I couldn't get in so I was gutted about that but uh, when I was doing bits for that article I uh, interviewed Eric, who had spoken to you before on Lightsaber, interviewed Eric, and we got sort of chatting about this, that, and the other. And he said, and I've, n- I've not heard this before, uh, and it's out there now, it's been the, the, the interview's been used in other things, but apparently when they were making Caravan of Courage, uh, or rather when they were making Phantom Menace, the whole thing about Phantom Menace was Lucas's first directing gig since the original Star Wars, but actually he directed quite a few days of, of stuff on Caravan of Courage, and two days they actually put his name down on the like the, the prep sheet for the day as director, and whoever put his name down got a bit of a telling off, because they, he didn't want his name down on the sheet, but Eric, I think, had still got copies of the sheet that showed that Lucas had actually directed quite quite a few days worth of caravan of courage so i thought that was that was an interesting little story uh that i'm happy to <laughs> happy to share because it's already out there but yeah uh i thought well, yeah that that was kept quiet wasn't it you know when they were hyping phantom menace well apart from caravan of courage he's never directed anything since star wars but, yeah <laughs> but he keeps it even quieter now doesn't he oh god yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, top of the cv <laughs> what, what about the most uh 
out of all the Star Wars actors, the most prickly that's not very forthcoming. Or do you um, not want to? No, no, it's fine. Um, I, m- most people uh, have been absolutely wonderful. And sometimes you come across folks when you catch them at the wrong time or they're, they're you know, they're a little bit short because they've been at it all day and you're rolling up at four o'clock saying, can I have 10 minutes for Radio 1138, please? Uh, and they don't really want to know. The, the funniest one was I, I interviewed uh, Auntie Daniels about 10 years ago and we did a, uh, an interview at 10 o'clock. It was like 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning and I thought, if I get 10 minutes, I'll be happy because this was for Lightsaber. And in the end, I had enough audio to do three full written interviews on the site. It was easily an hour. And we got to the end of the interview and he said, I've really enjoyed that. He says, it wasn't an interview, it was a chat. He says, I'm going to tell Lucasfilm I really enjoyed that. And if we ever meet, he says, uh, please remind me that we had a lovely chat. And I was like, absolutely, I will. Thank you. I was really flattered by that, you know, so that was that was really cool. So conversation finishes, articles go out on the site, everything was good. And then about eight, nine months later, he was at the NEC and I went up to him and I says, uh, now we have met before, but on, on the phone, and uh, you you told me to say that we'd done a nice interview uh, and that you probably wouldn't remember, but but to come over anyway and la la la, just basically you know reiterated verbatim what he'd said. And he looked at me literally like I'd gone Zayfod and grown a second head. Uh, and, <laughs> and it's funny because I've seen him about four or five times since then. And, and if I met the one time he's he's lovely and chatty, and the other time he looks at me with the deep suspicion, like why are you talking to me? So so not that I would say it, it's prickly and goodness knows he must meet so many people. Why would he remember me? But but the funniest was the last time I saw him uh, at Anaheim. Uh, there was it was the ultimate Star Wars or one of those books book launch. And he saw me and he gave me there's photographs of it. He gives me practically gives me a death stare. And there's three pictures of me grinning. And I can see him in the, in the side of my eye looking at me like daggers. Um, and I'm not quite sure. Well, I am sure I do actually know. I can't say why. I do know why he was giving me a funny look, but it, I'll have to find the picture for you because it is really funny. I'm sure Booker's got <laughs> it. He probably made a T-shirt out of it. But yeah, there's, there's, that was particularly funny. But now everybody else has been cool. You know, sometimes you might ask the wrong question at the wrong moment. You know, they don't want to particularly give an answer. But um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty good at moving on to the next question pretty quickly if I think I've put my foot in it because it happens. You know, you can say you can say things in all innocence, and I always say when we do interviews. All right, this is light and fluffy. You know, I'm not I'm not going to ask any awkward questions. You know, if I ever interviewed Harrison Ford, it wouldn't be. So tell us about your affair with Carrie. You know, I'm not going to go there with that kind of question. Uh, it, you know, it's going to be, you know, tell us a silly anecdote from the site. So so I interviewed Kenny Baker once and, and I can't remember. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed, Richard, that you had heard about me working in a toy shop. So so Kenny was was as impressed when I interviewed him and I said, I understand your son, Kevin, couldn't say the word Harrison. So when you were making Empire Strikes Back, Harrison Ford said to Kenny Baker's son, just call me Peaches. So Kenny Baker's kid called Harrison Ford Peaches. And Mark Hamill said, well, if he's Peaches, I'm cream. So and I told this thing to Kenny and Kenny was like, how the hell did you hear that? I don't remember ever telling anybody that story. And I don't remember where I heard it from. So I had to go, I don't know. I just I heard it years ago and it just must have stuck in my head. But, you know, so every now and again, you, you throw up a good question. But, uh, yeah, I've not I've not I've not been struck off the list yet. So I must be doing something right. <laughs> Brilliant. If we could give you any prop from any of the movies to keep, what would you choose? Oh, wow. That's a cracking question. Does does the full scale Millennium Falcon from the Empire Strikes Back count? Um, <laughs> um, a prop, okay. Prop, you mean something in hand or something that, yeah, something that an actor would use on set? I'd probably say it would either be, uh, yeah, it would either be Hans Blaster or Luke's lightsaber from from Return of the Jedi. Probably Han Solo's blaster, the P forty eight. I'd probably go for the blaster. Yeah, 
just to just to just to have that in hand would be a proper yeah. nerdgasm moment. I think. Yeah, I think I'd go for something like that. There's probably if I thought hard, there's probably other little things, but I think as a prop, I would probably say that. Yeah. Now, Mark, my um, Rancho Obi Wan Christmas card should be arriving very soon. And I've been talking to many guys about going over to Rancho Obi-Wan. Obviously, it's expensive and it's very, very difficult to coordinate. You convince us now that we need to support Rancho Obi-Wan and get ourselves over there. Easiest pitch ever. I've, yeah, like I said, I've been very fortunate. I've managed to go a, a handful of times. It'll blow your mind the first time you walk in the place. Part of the fact that, that Steve's there and he's just so avuncular and friendly and wants to share his, his love of it all with you anyway. So that's an easy an easy sell. Uh, it's a it's in a beautiful part of the country as well. Um, it, it's not a bad flight. So, so that's all good. All of that works. But yeah, it's just everything you can think of in terms of, of product that's been released by various companies around the world. 95% of it is in that place. So so walking in, I mean, just, just a quick run through it, you know, I mean, you go through the gates, it's got the, the Rancho logo built in the gates. So you know you're there before you walk in. You see the building to the to the right, Steve's house is on the left, Casa Kenobi, and just this monster converted chicken barn. And as you go up the steps, you've got the library, which is where obviously all the books and the and the uh, and all that uh, those elements are in there. That is my favourite room. But then when you open the main door and walk into the main hall, and that's the that's the thing that most people see. So you see the Empire Strikes Back Vader there. Uh, which is or it isn't actually there now. It's now replaced by the, uh, when he did a, a bit of work for Target, and they built this huge circular tub with every original vintage figure displayed inside and on the floor under a glass perspex covering. Rows and rows and rows of stormtroopers. It's absolutely amazing. But uh, the thing is, you could be there for a week if you were there for a week, or you were there for an hour or two hours and did a tour. However, you did it. You could walk in, it could come in the next day, and it would feel different because your eye is drawn to different things. It's, it's, I can't even start. It's insane. The, the thing you've got to do is sign up, become a, a member of Rancho, which I think is about $40 a year. The membership pack that you get every year is gorgeous. Uh, it's small, so it turns up in a small envelope. So you open it up thinking, what can possibly be in here but when you open it up there's the patch and there's the pin and there's the there's the greeting message and the pack is just fantastic so it's worth it purely for that if you're a member you get a membership number like being a member of like the social clubs back in the day so you get your membership number and card that entitles you then to be able to go on a tour so you've got to be a member to do a tour uh, then when steve does the tour generally steve does it but sometimes some of his docents do it as well so it's a couple of other guys uh, lucas seastrom who works at lucasfilm you see, you see him on the star wars show sometimes he'll do a tour uh, michael wistock will do a tour if you're in town and james is there james will do a tour so you know there's a lot of guys that will take you around and show you what's what but obviously the 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 piece de resistance is to have a tour from steve himself and you point at something give me tell me that tell me about this steve what's the history between uh about that particular article and it might be you know the little the little opera dancing sets from japan it'll tell you the whole story about where he got them from and how he got them and who made them and when they came out and He's just got this crazy encyclopedic knowledge about pretty much everything you point your finger at. So uh, it, it's so worth it. It really is so worth it. And if you can get there when the gala's on, the gala's 20th of October next year. So they brought it forward a couple of weeks. Usually the start of November, but they brought it forward a couple of weeks. If you've got the chance to get there for the gala, so worth it. And Petaluma itself, it, it's, it's higher a car. Car high is cheap over there. The, the hotels are, again, very, uh, very reasonable. So, uh, yeah, and it's a good time of year to go, actually, the gala of time because the flights aren't crazy either. So it's, it's very doable. And it, it's, it is easier to coordinate than you might think. So I, I couldn't recommend it enough. It's fantastic. I, have I pitched it? Do, do you think I'll get my commission? Do you think I've done well yeah. enough? <laughs> <laughs> 
this this weekend is Father's Rom. Obviously, this podcast is going to be coming out slightly after Father's Rom. But uh, Fan for Tracks is hosting the Saturday. What what have we got to look forward to on the Saturday of the event? All manner of japes and hilarity. Uh, so yeah, so it's it's Fan for Day and uh, Dave's idea. I've got to say, uh, very very cute of him to do that. Uh, so as you know, I mean, obviously we're, we're uh, the the Father's Rom. Obviously, was always about the Sunday and the vintage day, and then Dave expanded it a bit and did like a Star Wars Family Day on the Saturday, which is very broad. Board, pitched a little bit younger and covers all Star Wars, not just vintage. And then obviously we've got Mon Calcon on the Saturday night, which which is always a good laugh. Um, so, but this year, yeah, we're doing Fanta Day. So he's got some all sorts of little random things set up for the day. I mean, obviously dealers are going to be there. There's, uh, I think there's like uh, there's games areas, a gaming area. Um, so um, I can't think. And I should know this. There's a game. It's a Kickstarter project. I don't know. Jeremy Bullock's involved. I think it's Fall of Empires or Foundation of Empires. It's something like that. It's 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 in the Star Wars vein. It's, I've just seen it written down as FOE. So I know it's. Uh, I know that's that's what I know it as. But that game's being run as well. So that's giving people an option to have a look at that. As I say, a bit of dealers there. Some of the guests are there. So Martin Rezard is there, who's one of the uh, the designers and creature guys from the the new movies, and Paul K. Who people will know mostly as uh, as Admiral Radus, who was definitely the best character in Rogue One. Uh, and I say that with all due respect to all the other characters, because I absolutely freaking love Rogue One. So, uh, but he he'll be there as well. So yeah, so it's it's going to be a, it should be a good day. I mean, we're looking forward to it. It's always it's it's day isn't it we, we always want to go down and support dave and and uh, what he does because he doesn't doesn't give himself enough credit for for the effort that he puts in he really doesn't and that's, that's my only criticism of dave is that he needs to every now and again just stick his head above the parapet and give himself a pat on the back because he does a lot of lot of work and uh, it's it's a good it's not, not not that we need an excuse but it's a great place for guys like us to, to get together and have a catch up and shoot the breeze so i'm looking forward to it it should be fun yeah i think you hit the nail on the head there a place for us all to meet up i think that's become our little pilgrimage yeah. three times yeah. A year. yeah, that's it. Yeah, and obviously the movie next week. Where are you uh, seeing it? Are you premiering? I, I, yeah, I am. I'm, I'm very fortunate. I'm, I'm seeing the. I've got the press screening on the Monday, which means I can because I write for Starburst magazine as well. So, so I'm seeing it to review it for Starburst. Um, but I also, <laughs> it's, 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 it means nothing to anybody outside of, of sort of twenty miles any direction. But I'm doing the review for the Litchfield Mercury, and I've done it for the last two films. So I'm doing that's our local paper. So, so I'm doing the review for the Mercury. So, so I see it Monday. To, to get those reviews in the bag and then yeah Tuesday uh, the premiere uh, which should be fun uh, and again at the Albert Hall so I mean I was I, me and Ruth went to see the Michael Giacchino 50th birthday concert which was phenomenal I did not expect to go to a gig like that and get all choked up but when uh when Dave Gertz came on with Gonzo and did that little Gonzo number, I was loving like a baby. I never thought I'd see a live Muppet performance, so that was wonderful. But but uh, I didn't think I'd be going to the Albert Hall again for a little while. And then they announced the premieres there, so I think I think it's a security issue. I think I think they feel they can secure that part of town better than they maybe could Leicester Square because I know that. The, the security level is still pretty high and they're conscious of, of wanting to stay you know uh, on top of that so but but what a great venue you know 5,000 people in the Albert Hall and so that should be fun and then there's the press conference on the the Wednesday so it's the European press conference which they've not told us where that's going to be yet so so that'll be fun last, last time when when it was the Force Awakens one the after party was the night before so uh, Boyega turns up late and clearly hung over uh, this was like 10 in the morning so Harrison Ford's there and Carrie Fish is there and they're all there and Boyega walks in late and apologises. He sits down. His voice was like Barry White. Really was. You know, and you had really had a skin full. And, and, and me and Ruth were fortunate enough to get into the after party. I mean, that was a... It wasn't even a blag. It was just good fortune. It just 
just the ticket came our way and we, we took it and we left at about two o'clock and he was still there when we left but he's a kid isn't he he's he? 20 so 21 well, yeah exactly. so uh, yeah. yeah so so there's that on the wednesday so yeah so it's uh yeah it's gonna be a busy week so i think i i go down to bookers on friday night for farthest from and i think i get back on thursday lunchtime um <laughs> and then me and ruth go and see last jedi in tamra so it's all go it's all go <laughs> you're not you're not going along to empire day the following saturday oh yes no that's that's the following weekend so that's on the 16th is it yeah yeah i am going to that yeah yeah i know yeah no i forgot about that yeah no there's a few of us going to that yeah so um i think i'm going paul Mailer, i think uh carl bayliss there's a couple of guys that do fanfare all all in the midlands so i'm hoping to crash into a car with them uh or cram into a, i don't want to crash into a car with them cram into a car with them <laughs> And uh, I think Martin Keeler's coming as well. So, so there should be four or five of us from Fanta Tracks making it down to that one. Yeah, I, mean, I think given the, the um, historical significance of it being Dave's last kind of public signing, I think he's going to do private signings from home. But uh, yeah, I think it's one of those kind of, if you can get there, it's one of those you, you kind of would kick yourself if you didn't go. And I'm missing our local pantomime for this. I'm in trouble with the mother-in-law. I've had to, I've had to tell her I'm working, <laughs> like real working, <laughs> to get out of it. So uh, yeah, don't tell her that. But uh, yeah, and then that's it. Then I can switch off because it's Ruth's birthday the day after and then, uh, then we can just chill. And a few days just chilling out, doing nothing. Brilliant! It sounds like yeah, you're going to be well. Even more so. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, uh, the day before <laughs> your eight nine days on the trot. It's Final cool. question, Mark, which we ask everybody. So the Earth's uh, about to not exist. We're being moved to another planet, and space is limited. You can take one item from your Star Wars collection. What are you choosing? I'm taking my hardback first print of art of star wars that i got signed by ralph mccrory in 1997 at the nec um it was the only time i met him and recently uh, martin keeler who just mentioned took that book to paris first time it's left my my collection in 20 years and he got it signed by joe johnson so it's signed by both of them so uh, my, my my target is to get that signed by Lucas at some point. I don't know how that's going to happen. But yeah, if I could only grab one thing, I, it would be that. And I might sneakily slip my issue 15 of Bantha Tracks inside it because that's signed by Ralph as well. But uh, there, that, that would be the thing I would take. Brilliant. Great item. Jan Newbold, thank you so much for your time tonight. <laughs> oh, thank you, darling. <laughs> no, no thanks a lot uh, we really do appreciate it and all your work thank you for everything you do for the community because it oh. makes our life uh, a little bit more enjoyable oh that's very very kind thank you that's really cool it's been great to have you on mate thank you so much This month's song comes to us from Whitney Avalon and it's called The Second to Last Jedi. Hopefully over the coming months we will see some more fan-made Last Jedi songs. So here's one to kick us off. This isn't ideal, it's downright dumb. 
It looks like the end of the line for me here And frankly I'm terribly glum That the promising future where I get to train with Luke Skywalker won't ever come And these shackles I'm shackled in sure seem robust So I'm stuck here on my bum In a base this huge I feel so tiny Oh and why is that tall stormtrooper shiny If I could just find a way into this tin man's head I might survive to become the second to last Jedi Remove these restraints and leave this cell with the door open. What did you say? He responded, that's a start. There's a glimmer of hope in this possibly orphaned Jacobian scavenger's heart. I can do this, I swear it, by each little line that I drew like a loneliness chart. I can do this, I swear it, by each little meal that would always taste just like a fart. By the bloke I like more than I care to. By my sensible three-level hairdo. I call on the force and if somehow this works, I said I might survive to become the second to last Jedi. You will remove these restraints and leave this cell with the door open. I'm taking those restraints, scavenger scum. I'm done for, blasted, thought I had him for a sec. But it turns out I'm screwed, which has ruined my mood and now I'm a nervous wreck. Focus, get past it, do the trick you did back when. Without even trying, you found yourself spying on the mind of Kylo Ren. You will remove these restraints and leave this cell with the door open. I will remove these restraints and leave the cell with the door open. What? Ta-da! See a big guy! I cannot believe that it worked, but it worked, and I honestly do not know why. If I hurry away before they even know I fled, I will be well on my way, or at least once I'm closer to having a chance to become the second to last Jedi! And you'll drop your weapon. I think it's time for some newest acquisitions. Come on, Jez. Let's hear them. Hello, what have we here? Ah, good. New acquisitions. <laughs> yeah, so here we go. It's that point of the show where we go and have a look through forums, Facebooks, just to see what takes our fancy. Have a little chat about them and see if any questions are raised. Straight over to Star Wars Forum UK and on page 2165, Lee Bullock drops an absolute diamond complete perler from the 12 inch line boxed Lily Letty Jawa. So, the large action figure, I mean, this thing is gorgeous. First one I've seen. Let's cut straight to Lee, who's just done a quick recording to tell us all about it. So, Lee, the plan was you were going to send me something, and then we thought, hang on a second, we're both going to Farthest from. Let's record something in the pub. How did that work out? It didn't work out at all, basically, because I think we both got totally wrecked. And um, I think I was I was barely able to even speak a word, never mind think or remember anything. And I think we just figured, ah, we'll just we'll just play and we'll and we'll and we'll just do drinky stuff rather than actually yeah. trying to uh, <laughs> that was it. Do something like that. And but the, then it was oh, all right. What we'll do is we'll do it tomorrow. We'll, we'll do it during the day at Father's from And well, well, that just didn't happen, did it? Because it was just too much going on. Yeah, I was just so busy with the uh, with the stall and stuff, and putting it up, selling, breaking it down, and and uh, doing other stuff. So it, it it was it was a bit of a nightmare. And also considering the fact that because I'm a I'm a I'm a kind of 
ape like northerner we also had to uh, get back to uh, to sunny stoke on trent in in the midst of the um of the snow and uh, and the really terrible weather so i think that was a, a bit of a non-starter really so hence we're doing it on skype <laughs> yeah so thank you yeah. ever so much for joining me on this monday evening and no problem as you know mate we've seen your leddy jawa come up on star wars from uk how did you come about this and how long has this one been on your radar well i've been doing the 12 inch figures um or the large size action figures seriously like looking for them boxed uh, since about 2000 and um i'd had them loose now before that and i was you know i was i was quite and they were quite hard to find pre-internet and when i kind of went online around 2000 and i started hitting ebay more and this was about the time when the downward spiral was hitting the 12 inch figures and no one really wanted them i was about the only person who was really that interested outside of the big completist collectors and the and the old school guys so i figured well okay it's one thing to collect them but it's another thing to actually start researching them properly and actually putting some logic and uh, and some curation behind this you know so so i started researching which ones were done in various foreign countries and started putting a matrix together now matrix can be found on the large size action figure group which is on facebook and i keep that matrix fairly updated uh, and at the moment we're looking at about 84 international boxed 12 inch figures so rewind back to about 2000 i got my first boxed lily leddy in 2000 and it was the r2d2 and i paid the princely sum and it was a lot of money back then this was for lily leddy of 550 pounds for an r2 and it was absolutely gorgeous really nice piece and um it was that was the start of it i, I suspect you know and and then it was and then i had a really nice find of all of the lily leddies all of them loose some of them with repro clothing and things like that and plus a box another box star two and that box star two turned up years later when mark hockley uh, showed me the one he just bought and i was like Haha, that's the one i used to have it, so it's really strange how things can disappear for years and then all of a sudden they just reappear out of nowhere in someone else's collection yeah so that was nice to see i, I was quite i was quite pleased that mark you know had had somehow managed to you know, find this piece after many years, and apparently it sat in a dealer's dealer's stock for a long time. So I didn't pay very much, relatively, for that set, and that was really what started me. And then um, I managed to pick up a boxed layer for 147 pounds, and that was about ooh, I'd say about 12 years ago. And this is again a time when no one cared about the large size action figures at all. So what I've done is over time, I've kind of upgraded the loose ones and got original, original uh, pieces for them. And, and just generally, it's been a bit of a, it's, it's been a bit of a slow process. And I have a friend in the States who also collects the same, similar sort of stuff to me. And he's been great uh, in terms of how we deal with each other. And um, so fast forward to this year. Uh, I was asked by the Jabba guys to do a uh, a video blog, the yeah, uh, the question right. and answer. Yeah, yeah, I remember um, doing that. That was a lot of fun. It was it was a lot of fun. Half a bottle of wine went down in that session, which um, probably 
help lubricate the communication lines a bit. And out of that, my friend came to me and uh, he spotted a piece in there that he was that he didn't have. And it was a very obscure piece. And it was the bootleg kit of IG-88 that was produced by Rennie Resins in, 90, in about 1994-95. And it was originally released by garage kit companies. It was distributed by garage kit companies as a replacement in the UK for the IG-88 because IG-88 was obviously only ever issued in America and, this is a little known fact, closed out in Australia. So there's only technically two countries it was ever released and it was the Holy Grail in the 1990s for the 12-inch figures. Trying to find a boxed one was next to impossible. It would it would cost you just south of a £1,000 back in 1994. Why? Why? Which... Yeah, it's, you know, this was, this was serious, a serious grail piece. And so you were having these companies who were producing these IG-88 kits to fill that gap in the market where people would have this as a place setter for an IG-88. Wow, and, I've uh, never heard of that before. Wow. The irony of it is, is that once all the dust has settled and we're looking in 2017 onwards, it turns out that the kit is infinitely rarer, infinitely rarer than the actual IG-88 mint box. As in, there are only a handful left. And as far as I know, to, and, I, and bear in mind, I, I fastidiously track these things, right? I have only known of three surviving boxed ones one of which was made up was actually built okay that this person had bought it bought it and then decided to build it so as far as i know there's only three of the boxes and instructions known to exist and mine was an unmade kit and the uh, my friend had the made up one but he uh, didn't have the box uh, unmade one and so he sent me an email and in that email was a a list of things that he would like that he would have liked to do a trade with and in that li- and one of the things he noticed is that the jawer i had my lily lady jawer was loose and it was missing the boots it had the cape it had the bandolier but it was missing the boots and it was loose and this is i mean this this is this is really you know fantastic collecting fantastic collecting strategy really because he just presented me with with a picture of the of a very nice lily lady box the insert the the uh, the guarantee slip and an acrylic case and we we talked and we both agreed on a mutually beneficial deal where we did a one-for-one swap for the kit for the Little Lady Jower box, yeah. the insert, and the guarantee slip. Now, both are rare. I mean, like I say, I only know of three kits. And I pretty much, when when I swapped it out, I ended up closing out my entire 12-inch bootleg run because I know I will never replace it. And that was the centerpiece of my, of my 12-inch bootleg run. So that was a sacrifice I had to make. 
Um, and it ended up, well, you know, I've lost the centerpiece. So I ended up selling the rest and came through and it was, I put it all together and I just sat it on one of my drawers. I took a, I took a photograph of it, which is what you see on the uh, Star Wars Forum UK. And I just stood there just, uh, you know, with, with my, with my mouth hanging open, like, wow. <laughs> I never thought, you know, because I mean, in terms of what, what they sell for on the open market, I mean, they never come up for, for open sale. If they ever do come up for sale, it's always private deals. And I was just like, well, I've had to sacrifice a lot for this, but this is probably one of the coolest pieces I've got. And I'm, and I am exceedingly grateful, exceedingly grateful to my friend for this. Um, it was such, such a, such a nice gesture and such a great deal. And the thing is, we, we both came out with things that were integral to our collections. So this is kind of a, an example of, you know, you know, I think I think this is an example to the kind of people who are starting out collecting. This isn't just about how much money you throw at this hobby. Mm-hmm. This isn't just about how much money you throw at this hobby. This is about the networks you create. This is about the friendships you create over the years. And you can't just go and buy this. You can't just go and buy these connections and these relationships. Uh, and this is what collecting is really about. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I mean, there's a bit of background to the little leddies for, for, for listeners who may be not so um, versed in the 12-inch leddies because they are quite niche. Before 1996, very few boxed ones were known and very little was known about them. The Hombre de las Junas was known to exist as in loose form and peop- and because they're, because they're such low production quality, people assumed it was a bootleg. And I had heard rumours also prior to 1996 on this. And then in 1996, in Action Figure News, the company Amok Time Toys had an advert. And it was an advert for the Luke, the Darth Vader, the Han Solo, the Hombre de las Junas, which is the Tuscan Raider, which was only released in Mexico, the Jawa, the R2-D2, and the Leia. And the R2-D2 obviously is very interesting because it's a direct blow-up of the three and three quarter inch scale one with the paper label. Yeah. So that's a very popular one on that basis. And Mock Time Toys produced this advert and the prices were very cheap. What happened then is a very well-known UK collector of the acquaintance of probably everybody of this podcast, yeah. to my understanding, bought the whole stock. And what was involved in that stock there was um, a, a US, well-known US collector, Todd Chamberlain, had produced, uh, had produced a, um, a list of numbers for these that were found in the warehouse find in Mexico. And there were 11 Luke Skywalkers found, 12 Darth Vaders, 24 Han Solos, 26 Hombre de las Junas Tuscan Raiders, wow. 27 Jawas, with 51 R2-D2s and 55 layers. So, even so, we're still looking at extremely no, low numbers when it comes to boxed 12-inch Lily Leddies. Loose ones are out there in various different stages of completeness, but in terms of boxed, very, very few. Very few. So, as you can imagine, I was extremely, 
extremely happy to find the Jawa. And that brings me up to three boxed ones, and I have the rest loose. So it's going to be probably another 10 years before I had many. I add many more to it. But again, this is the long game. Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, you wouldn't have been able to do it without doing that online video and making the connections and just being the active part of the community you are, mate. Well, I mean, I I did the video um, purely on the off chance because Nick Rees asked me would I like to do it, and it was it was on the back of, of me just buying a, a, a looser man man off it, you know. I needed a looser man man to replace the one I had, and it was just a kind of a low low key, you know, low key deal. And he turned around and go, "Do you want to do uh, Do you want to do the video?" And I'm like, "Yeah, okay, I'll do that. Sounds like fun." Yeah. It's not. I'm, it's not something I usually do. I'm not really into being very visible with my collection. I'd sooner be, you know, sooner this be about friendships and about helping other collectors rather than it being a, a grandstanding sort mm-hmm. of situation. Yeah. But I never expected these sort of deals to come out, and it wasn't the only thing that came out of it as well. You know, um, I had some nice sales as well. That came out of it, of spare stuff I had uh, out of that video. So it was a, it was a very surreal experience, really. You know, very nice to be able to, to pin the jowl, so to speak. Right. Well, that's a, it's an awesome story, and um, hence what the reason why we wanted to get you on. We yeah. absolutely love it, and uh, and the box itself, uh, I think, is brilliant. And it the is- thing is, as well, what's really nice is the jowl. Also, uh, you don't see it on some of the other ones, but it also actually has the Tuscan Raider on the back of the box as well. And it, and the Tuscan Raider photo, I don't know I don't know how it's supposed to be a Tuscan Raider because it looks nothing like <laughs> a Tuscan Raider. And I think this is part of the the charm of these figures is the fact that they're awful. And they're licensed. <laughs> yeah. You know, they were yeah. completely licensed, but they were awful and, you know, they they awful in a great way to be honest. And, you know, they were they were built on on previous Lily Laddie releases, like the like the Ricardo twelve inch figure, like the Ricardo doll, and the the layer was was based on the um, Senorita Lily doll out of the out of a previous line. The boots are repurposed and remolded Mego boots, and you know, so out of this, you know, it was a it it was a very much a lash together that Lily Laddie had done, and you could tell it was a it was done very quickly and it was done quite cheaply. Yeah. So, but the 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 character decisions, you know, they decided to do a um, a Tuscan Raider that was never released elsewhere in in the world. That's beautiful, absolutely beautiful piece. Yeah. Mate, we could go on for for so long talking about this, and and we're going to have to get you on again for a proper full yeah. on feature soon. Oh, you know me, man. I'll, I'll talk forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, not as you say, not just to talk about your large size action figures, but. You know, maybe venture into the other elements of your collecting world as well. But until then, Lee, thank you so much for coming on and no uh, giving up some of your time. I know that you're going to have a good fun week this week watching The Last Jedi. Well, maybe. you know, I'll, prob- I'll probably watch this about 12 times, I suspect. <laughs> and on behalf of all of us, mate, have a lovely Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. And you guys, yeah. And speak soon. That's awesome. Okay, Cheers, see you in a bit. Tell mate. mate. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, that's awesome. So, so cool. Lads, anything? 
I love this Java. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I love how the Mexicans have taken something and just made it that little bit more unique. But what I also like about the box as well is the fact that it's got the picture of the Jawa on the box directly below the Jawa. So if you, if you can't see what you're buying, it's there and it's there. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of having like the screen used Jawa from the from the movie or something like that. Perhaps I don't know. Perhaps it's some kind of license issue or something with that. But nice one, Lee. Fantastic item. I would love to have a Lady Jawa. It really is great. We'll have to put these pictures on. I mean, it's got the X-Wings on there as well. The the Letty logo. What I also like is the fact that I've, I've dropped some of the text into Google uh, Translate. And uh, I'm not going to actually butcher the language, but it just translates to collect all the authentic characters of the most spectacular film of the century. And uh, what I particularly like also is when you look at the Star Wars logo, which is to the left... It's got the original W, the, the sharp pointy W, which you saw on some of the original programs. So uh, a real treat from a packaging point of view as well as the figure. Yeah, awesomely nice one. We turn over the page to page 2166. Now Hooch, a friend of the podcast who we've had on before, and we're always talking about his Endor-based treats because he absolutely loves anything Ewok. He's put on an unused preschool Ewok family hut set. It's brilliant, but Stu, I knew that this one would be right up your alley, mate. It is. Do you know what? I haven't got any of the preschool stuff, but it, all of it really appeals to me. Now, he's got the Ewok family hut here, which is a rehash of an old older toy, which I had as a kid. So basically, this is, this is a tree which you push down on the top, and it opens up into uh, an Ewok house. You know, it's got a little lift, staircase, beds. And the one I had was just, was just a treehouse with, with people. So it's been rehashed. The line is so different. And although people, it, it's not particularly popular, but it does hold a significant part, in my opinion, in the, you know, in the toy line, vintage toy line that we all collect. Completely different. The figures are, mm, I want to say, about an inch and a half tall rather than your three and three quarter inch figures. Yeah. Preschool, I think it was 1984 these came out. But they did a little range of stuff. So you had the an Ewok family, which you could buy to go in this house, the Ewok family hut, which is this. Uh, it, you could get a fire cart. There was uh, a woodland wagon, a teaching clock, a talking telephone, and a music box radio. All of them brightly coloured. They have that younger look, that kind of play school look. They're brilliant. All Ewoks, amazing line. Um, I will definitely, definitely getting involved in this by you bringing this up and that that box I, just makes me want to buy it even more attention earth parents galactic news flash we're watching the ewoks from return of the jedi they're celebrating because kids everywhere love their ewok family hut we can help the tropical skywalker hurry ewoks let's take the wagon princess nisa the ewoks save the day Yay! It's a galaxy of fun. The Ewok Family Hut and other Wicked the Ewok toys, each sold separately. New from Kenner Preschool. <laughs> I knew that would massively appeal to you because it didn't we see it fax the old talking telephone or was was there an Ewok telephone something like that? What you it saw? was. They had they had both the talking telephone there, which is I think it's um trying to think which Ewok it is. It could be Nisa or maybe Wicket. Yeah holding like a phone upside down but they also had the i think it was the fire cart wasn't it in out in ghent as well so yeah. the bits are there and joe it's quite reasonably priced you can get some of this for about 100 quid in really really nice unused condition so i don't know what a sealed box would be setting you back but oh mate 
yeah a, a good fun line and i'll tell you what I'll tell you something everyone slags off the ewoks okay oh it's unfashionable you know i don't want to i don't want to look like i i buy ewok stuff but it's pretty obvious that it must have sold massively because ewoks are everywhere literally everywhere in vintage toys so i think everyone's fibbing and everyone actually loves the little furry critters well as you say this is from the kenner preschool line and i would really like to encourage everyone to go over to the star wars collectors archive blog because ron put a great post uh, it was only in october 2017 where he goes through this whole range uh, and it and it really really is good he, he goes into detail about the the kids expression on, on the actual picture itself because yeah the, some of these kids just look like they really really don't want to be there but it also shows the not the, necessarily the arrogance but the real confidence which kenner had in the line itself so this is an ad which they was given to retailers and it says all of our toys featuring ewoks will be surefire winners in 1983 they were so confident that this was just going to be a really really popular line but yet check out the um, Star Wars Collectors Archive blog because there is so much to it and it's just really really great to see vibrant packaging aimed at a different uh, age group of the Kenner Preschool. Stu you mentioned it was uh, recycled you know the recycled um, earlier uh, a recycled toy line but again there's another great post on the Star Wars Collectors Archive which is the post which I think we've mentioned in the past Recycling of the Force again by Ron and he talks about this family hut and actually whilst it looks very similar it was completely retooled because Kenner kind of pretty much insisted that that was the case so the similarities uh, are, are obvious but actually when you dig really really deep into it there's some quite significant changes but it really is great to see and, and if we saw something like this it was a, it would only be hooch we'd think it needs to be in his collection yeah i'm gonna get him on the podcast next year and talk ewoks because yeah i think um i think this line needs discussing joe what i want that family hunt now and i also want the tree house which i had as a kid to sit alongside it i love doing this to you i really really and love. the toothbrush they had a toothbrush <laughs> as well didn't they I forgot about the toothbrush get yourself over to the uh blog and see what they've got yeah they've got loads would oh. he be the first aussie on the shore stew of course he would be yeah <laughs> i don't tend to have them on too often because um of the time difference so yeah it'd be good to have one on <laughs> so there we go awesome turn over to page 2167 and we have the Sudoku luke jedi carded figure unpunched posted by vintage viewport so we've seen these before carded figures return of a jedi and on the back they've got the Sudoku sticker now in the past i've had a chirper any of you guys had any of this range? Nope. I've got your chirper, Jez, in my oh, collection. Yeah. yeah, you've got it. I might have to get that back off you at one point. What, I mean, what are your thoughts on the sticker range? I love it, but my... I'll be honest with you, okay? It's a lovely, lovely sticker. But um, it's displaying it, isn't it? Just as like a chirper when you put it out. Unless you're going to turn it around. Yeah. Or do some kind of thing with a mirror somehow. Well, yeah, that's exactly how I displayed it, because I had it next to my Canadian Yoda, which obviously has got the, the subtle differences on the front, at the top of the card, but on the back it was just really, really good. So um, on that shelf, I did put a mirror at the back, and it, well, it worked for me. I don't know if it worked for anyone else. but Well, if you don't like it, mate, I'll, uh, I'll have it back off you. I'd be quite keen to add that. So uh, bring it to Father's Trump, yeah? Yeah, okay. <laughs> 
So, so anyway, so we don't see these pop up that often. And the fact that it was a Luke Jedi one, I thought was brilliant. And uh, he's put, finally added this Sudoku Luke Jedi to my Sudoku run. Only three more to complete it. Vader, Logray and Gamgard. And this is the great thing about the forums. What I really, really like about Star Wars Forum UK. Because on many 99 comes on and asks a question. Can anyone tell me how many Sudoku Return of the Jedi cards were in this line? Hooch then replies, shows a picture of the reverse. And he's circled around all of the figures. So Luke Jedi, Boosh. You've got Emperor's Royal Guard, you've got Squid, you've got R2, 3PO, Yoda, Vader, Neenum, Klaatu, Admiral Akbar, Chirper, Logri, Gamgard, Rebel Commando, Bib Fortuna, Biker Scout, Lando Skiff, General Medine, Reese, and Weakway. So that's the range, but he circled them. So there we go, beautiful image on the screen so people can see exactly what it is. So thanks very much for that, Hooch. But then it was on page 2169 that forum username side of star wars puts up only a vader only a sudoku vader which um obviously vintage viewport had said he needed he said luke i am your father the bubble is pretty much yellow but it never comes up for sale ever and there's a bit of a back and forth between people trying to figure out which one's rarer the uh, the vader or the yoda but i just thought it was fantastic to see two posted in a very quick succession and uh, we all learned a little bit about the uh, Suka range, which is available. Well, did you have asked me a question? Uh, I did, didn't I? I said Pete. So, like, you know, you've got you to keep in touch with these gotta, questions. Hang on a sec, turn the page. Uh, oh, yeah, Pete, what do you know about oh. the Suka line? Well, Jeremy, I really had no idea about it until I had a look at it. I also have one. I can't remember which one I have, though, because they're all kind of like, Stuck, not stuck to the wall, but stuck in a case, stuck to my wall. Uh, not with glue, I think. Just they just stuck. Must be uh, sur- uh, uh, surface friction or whatever it's called. Um, so I, don't, I can't really check without getting behind the card. But I do have one. It's one of the Jabagoons. I didn't pay much for him either. But anyway, yeah, I, I was I was intrigued to have a quick look because it, it's not really something we come. Like I said, not we don't really come across it too often, and we probably don't pay much attention to it. But I did find a couple of of beauties. Now there was. Now, have a look at what the company did. Apparently, the, the Tsukana... Tus, Tusugana... <laughs> so it's perfect. No one's going to notice. Different. That's exactly how you pronounce it. <laughs> Pete, try not to see the Japanese. Try to see the English version of it. No, 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 no. no. It's because of my head all day. It's just like, I go, oh, no, I've said it wrong again. Suduka. That's it. Range. Apparently, there's there a group, and there was the into three parts: original, ideal, and hobby, which I didn't did not realise. Now, apart from the, the kind of like the Jedi range, now, I've never ever seen one of these. And I saw a couple of pictures. I think it was on RebelScum.com. They actually had when the Power Force range came out. They produced um, the coins on the cards, but they just basically shrink wrapped them to the card and then put a blank card on the back, so you can't see any sticker on them. Now, I've never seen any of those. Uh, ever come up. I wonder if anyone out there actually has them, but I was intrigued to try and find them. But any pitch I could find were, were of, uh, of a Greedo one. So, Stu, there's something for your focus. <laughs> Good luck finding that. But they also did other things. It wasn't just figures. They did some kind of little metal ships. You can... <laughs> I amusingly found an actual so supposedly rare one. A guy was selling a rare set, and it was Atat versus Snowspeed as an X-Wings. 
And he said it was very, very rare, but he had three of them. So I'm not really sure whether you can be rare and have three to sell, but it wasn't actually that much. But the thing that really caught my eye, and I thought this was modern, and I had a little, little look at it. Now, have you ever seen an LCD game by Sakuda? Anybody? No. Now, the, there, is a, there is a handheld game from 1983, I've, and they made it along with a few other bits and bobs. But this is something, and there's actually one on eBay at the moment, and I reckon I can get Stu to buy it, because Stu is weak. But I, I mean, has anyone seen this before? Come on, Stu, this, this, this must go in your collection. I think I have seen these before. I think I came across They're them awesome. in the Tomark Guide. Look at this. I'll put it in the text chat for you. But that is a beauty. It's got kind of a, an empire feel to it, obviously, because you've got the Atats on the front and X-Wings having to go Atats and stuff, which obviously didn't happen, but there we go. But, uh, yes, it, it's got a colour screen. It's got buttons. And you think it's 1983. It's not exactly uh, not exactly new, is it? But, uh, yeah, they, they really kind of spread out a bit. But apart from the figures... They did ships, sort of, I wouldn't say they're die-cast, they're more kind of resin kind of ships. Yeah. But, so, uh, yeah, they're, they're, their range was slightly kind of limited and odd. But, um, yeah, definitely things to collect there, Jazz. Yeah, Pete. That is a cool that, game, Pete. That's great. That's that's an awesome game. And, uh, yeah, I've got the X-Wing. I, I've got the X-Wing um, not complete. It's got uh, weapons missing, but they're, uh, which I, I got as part of the Secret Santa, actually. So, mm. yeah, yeah, really, really good. And, uh, yeah, great range. I think while... We must see if we can get someone in the future to dive further into this, this range. Hopefully, get someone think, on who's, who's an expert. I think in Japanese this field. In general jazz. I think Japanese in general yeah. items would be interesting because I don't think there's a huge amount of this stuff. And here's a fact for you, jazz: they were the Sakuda were the official distributor of Rubik's Cube. Mm, there's one for you in Japan. Wow. I disagree with that, Pete. I reckon Japanese items is vast. very vast. It is. Because we, we're seeing such a range, of, particularly in the robotics field, aren't we? With the C three POs, the R two D twos are just—there are loads of them. And um, let's get on it. Yeah, Japanese um, special. Yes, I put Ian onto a diecast that he hadn't seen before. I'd certainly hadn't seen before, and that was Sakuda as well. Um, and it wasn't your normal, you know, how you get the the Japanese writing on the bog standard Kenner cards kind of thing. It, it was like nothing of that at all. It was like a solid silver. Darth Vader Tie Fighter. I'm going to try and find a link and post up. Very cool, but yeah, there's there's just so much more out there to to discover on the Japanese stuff. Has anyone seen those shrink wrap coin ones at all? Yeah, it's been mentioned before. I think it's been mentioned before on a podcast, or maybe Kivecast. I've seen I, it. Think we, I think we have mentioned it very yeah. very early days. Yeah, I think so. Pete, cracking stuff, but great to see. Uh, and again, as I said. It's great. It really, really shows what a, a good resource the forum can be because there's some really, really good posts there. So thanks to all involved. So then, a little bit of a thing going on because it was just carded Yoda after carded Yoda after carded Yoda and then another carded Yoda, all in quick succession on the Stars Forum UK looking at the latest acquisitions page. Rob Stiley, Kraken, and Bus Strikes Back, Mark, Dublin, Jeff. Uh, he's not only put one up, and then he's put a second, and then Sub-Zero with his tri-logo. Guys, these are great. Really, really good to see. And on page 2170, the last one was. So, um, yeah, congrats. I don't know why suddenly there were so many carded Yodas just all popping up. Let's head over to Rebel Scum. Let's head over to the Imperial Gunnery Forum, page 28, 
Whilst we've recently spoken about the Japanese range, this is absolutely crazy. Our tutor tour puts on a boxed die cast Darth Vader Takara. Lance, this is off its rocker. Now I've sent you some pictures. What are your thoughts on this? And first and foremost, what was the old Vader bad boy equipped with? This is mental. Yeah, they've included a crossbow for him as a weapon, haven't they? Darth Vader, only you could be so bold. Yeah, lightsaber and a crossbow. He stole off Chewbacca clearly in, in, a, in a one-to-one fight and uh, shot him with it. I think it must have been Chewbacca's big brother because the crossbow is about the size of Darth Vader. <laughs> it is massive, isn't it? It is an amazing looking piece, isn't it? It's staggering. I mean, look at the lightsaber. Yeah. <laughs> look at the back of the box. It is amazing. It is a lovely, lovely piece. Even the front of the box with like the upside down arch with the the racetrack. Yeah. It's everything's just different. It's I'm gonna put all of these pictures in a collection on one post on Instagram as well because it really, really is great. And he's there on his little pedestal, so it comes with the pedestal, comes with the crossbow and all the other accessories. It just looks awesome. It really, really does. I love it. What gets me is the size of the the length of the boots and his all and his hands are so stretched. And I'm thinking from the base of his foot to his kneecap is probably the same distance from the hip to the top of his helmet. They are proper Lady of the Night boots, aren't they? Yes. Your thoughts betray you. Your feelings for them are strong. <laughs> and these these are die cast jazz, aren't they? Yeah, he calls it diecast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Box diecast, Darth Vader. Yeah, because it's the pair of the C three P, wasn't it? You know, the firing projectile C three P. Of course, this is. Was that the only two in the line? Yeah, yeah. Three P O R two Vader. You've got R two as well. Yeah. Yeah, the back of the box is depicting a little X wing as well. Yeah, cool. This is why we must get someone on to talk about the Stuka, the Takara range. You know, goes on to the poppy that. As you said, Stu, it's vast. There's, there is so much to talk about, to look into. But I'm, I'm so chuffed that he put this post on the Imperial Gunnery Forum. It really, really is awesome. Rich, you need that for your 12-inch uh, collection. It looks 12-inchy. Come on, Rich, you need it. You need it. So then I moved over to Tanto 11, and it was just a quick shout-out, really, to Hell Hippie, because um, obviously, as you know, with the uh, Max Rebo band... And, uh, and the Jizz Whalers and Slice Noodles and everything else, we spoke about the Leddy Band and about how vibrant the uh, Max Rebo in particular is and how the uh, Slice Noodles looks different as well. He's put on a post there uh, saying how hippie he's got his Leddy Band. It's not with the accessories, it does come with the organ, but it's just awesome. So a quick shout out to him. Congratulations, mate. It's brilliant. And then we go over to page 15. Now, I had noticed this, but then, Rich, you put something in our uh, little chat group saying, I really want to talk about this. 41D Green-Headed Yoda, which is put on. And again, it's another one by Hell Hippie. So, um, yeah, what's really flicked your switch on this, mate, apart from the fact that it's just really, really bright green? Yeah, that's what initially attracted us to it. I thought, wow, that's green. But then he'd started talking about the 41D and about how everybody knows about the 41D. And I thought, I know nothing about the 41D. So... I looked at the 41D card back first of all, so for those who aren't aware, the 41D is the one that's primarily blue background, which there's two, there's a 41D and the 41E, but the 41D is the one with Vader's case on the back, whereas the 41E has the ATAT, along with other vehicles and, and playsets on the back. So I did a little bit of research on the 41Ds, 
So this is going all the way back to 2007 where there was a post on Stars Forum UK from Coco Star. Now, I don't think he posts on forums very much anymore, but I've seen a lot of his posts going back to you know, 2007, 2008. And he posted four 41-day Euras. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. So he posted a light green and bright green Yoda with an orange snake, a bright green Yoda with an orange snake and a dark green Yoda with a brown snake. And I thought, you know, I didn't realize there were so many different variations, but I thought, well, surely these will be on other card backs as well. And he coined it back then, the transition Yoda on the 41D. And he says, it's interesting to see the 41Ds looking at the different transitions of the colors, not just in the snakes, but the colors of the skin and the colors of the canes as well. And a lot of people have, have looked at them initially, especially loose ones, and, and assumed that the Lily Leddies, because of the, the, the green being quite bright and vibrant green, yeah. but they're different from Leddies in that they, they don't have the black glossy eyes that the Leddies have. So I thought, you know, that's that's fantastic. So for a Yoda Focus collector, having a range of 41 Ds altogether must be absolutely brilliant, seeing all the different variations. And I, and I can't think of anything off the top of my head that's a transition character as much as this 41d so he had four he was looking for i think it was a dark green with a brown snake to see if there's one of those on the 41ds but i mean that was a long time ago now we may have found one since then but uh, i found that really fascinating yeah great digging rich it's it's brilliant when they put on the uh, comparison shots because you know we've spoken about variations before and in fact we've spoken about variations in quite a few of the recent episodes and you know you, you can see these the red bar i5 etc <laughs> instantly did you see how much that one went for the other day crazy was, was it a loose or the carded one loose a loose was it about 200 pound 300 pounds. 320 oh, that's ridiculous i only paid 40 pound for mine just over 12 months ago <laughs> so, uh, that's just mental mental but, but talking about these variations this one it is great i i absolutely see it i wouldn't have thought for a second that there would be a specific coloured Yoda for a specific card. Um, I think that's great. The, the detail there and the knowledge which people should, people have put on and, and you've just articulated, Rich, I think is brilliant. So, um, yeah, congratulations, Hell Hippie. It's, it's a really, really great thing to see. So then we went over to page 16 and the 89th Chris put on a post saying that he was flicking through some vinyl. He was just having a night to himself listening to some Sabbath. And then he pulled out his Canadian Star Wars soundtrack. And he, he hadn't played it for a while. And then he noticed that the poster was still in the sleeve. And he brings out this poster. It's absolutely cracking. He has a little look at it. It's, he, he wants to get it framed. He said he's not really noticed before that there appear to be two falcons. And one of them is exploding. Now look at this. He, he's got it all folded up. It would naturally have to be folded up to go in the sleeve. But it's a from my point of view it's a really unique piece of artwork which i haven't seen before nasai i asked you to uh, have a little look at this is this something which you've seen before have you seen this poster you know what mate i, I like my lps the vinyl uh the star wars stuff and i picked up a esb a really cool esb one recorded at walthamstow town hall or something or the other week and that there's just a huge amount of variety out there, both official and seemingly unofficial. That poster I'd never come across before, so that prompted me to go off and have a little search. And I found some UK editions that it came with as well. Now, I don't even know how many pressings of this 
record there were the the original star wars soundtrack but you can find them with various different configurations of stickers saying uh, original star uh, star wars soundtrack and beware of imitations but the vast majority of the ones for sale on ebay in the uk at least have the paper insert the two discs the gatefold cover but no poster and there's nothing on the outside to say including poster so i don't know which edition that poster came with but i know that it did come out of here you can get it over here it is an amazing poster it's a fantastic poster but i did a closer look that it looks like there's at least four millennium falcons on it the from getting all art critical and all the rest of it the perspective is all completely messed up on on the dogfight scene it's got that weird sort of you know the image where the steps always seem to go up in a in a square constantly going up it's that kind of weird situation with the perspective but it's just beautiful it's brilliant so i'm now driven to go and replace the copy that i've got with one that's got that poster on it because it's it's stunning but yeah there's a there's a huge amount of star wars music out there yeah it's um the actual picture itself there's a lot of it's very dynamic the the x-wings at the top look like they're just tipping in in that classic scene uh, as they're tipping in to do their run and and whilst the y-wings some of them are looking relatively dormant because of the way they've got the the engine and the sort of exhaust gases coming out of the engines it it, it just shows a dynamic movement it, it shows energy and it, yeah it's, it just looks exciting i think it is the best way to explain that i really like yeah. it yeah so great 189 for chris awesome and then we move on page 17 these guys are bringing them all out poncho shows off his short poor forlong now it was a quite a while ago i think when i just joined the podcast we did a little feature on short paws so we're not going to go into it too much but if you wanted to know hang on a second what you're talking about check out the whole short port factory error links which they've got on tantive 11 because it really really is great but this is a full-on with a complete foot missing so it's just a lack of plastic going into the mold and he's just completely footless and someone even puts a um a comment on saying that you could probably pretty much shove a lightsaber up his stump uh, he certainly almost looks like some pirate but I, I think it's great it's great to see a short poor example like that and it just once again highlights what a great resource Tantive 11 is so I'll go back to Star Wars Forum UK because I was delighted on page 2169 I see Keat Key puts on his great looking Y-Wing now I say great looking Y-Wing because I was never really taken with this as a kid I think possibly because the Y-Wings were so utterly useless in the movie. Grand Leader, this is Gold My copy, Gold Leader. We're starting for the target shaft now. We're starting our attack run. Gold 5 to Red Leader. Lost Tyree, lost Hutch. I copy, Gold Leader. It came from behind. And, and didn't really achieve anything apart from getting their backsides whooped. So I thought, oh, that's done really flick my switch. I want to be a hero. And, you know, I, I want the X-Wings. I want the Falcon. As you know, I didn't get any of them. But the Y-Wing just didn't flick my switch at all. But now looking at it, this is a pretty damn awesome ship. 
you know, lads, come on, let's get amongst it. Let's talk about it. I don't have one. Who's got one? Jess, I think we're seeing your childhood here because there you are, one of the coolest ships going, and you're Mr. Rebel Troop Transport. And then you've got the Y-Wing fight. I mean, the Y-Wing fighter has Admiral Akbar driving it. I mean, you couldn't get better. Couldn't get better. And you're, no, no, Mom, I'll have a Rebel Troop Transport, please. That's the most interesting Star Wars ship going. Jess, Jess, what, what was going on in your family home? Like, what was going on? You know, you're, you're, you're partially right. You, you're almost all right. Um, I did end up, as you know, with a Rebel Troop Transport, and I still love that and have fond memories. Never asked for it. Um, I didn't ask my parents to buy the Austin Metro uh, they had, or, or the Maestro, which we had at one point. And I remember when my dad got the Princess, and then it was the Ambassador, that I just had my head in my hands, and I'm like, parents, why are you doing this to me? We went then on and bought the Toshiba MSX computer. Um, I was, yeah, one or two people in my school to have that. So we made some, you know, disappointing decisions as a child. And the Rebel Transport was one of those ones which my parents made. But now, looking back with fond memories, and uh, so it's all good. But going back on subject, the Y-Wing, yeah, it, it didn't flick my switch, but it is awesome. Uh, and I'm in the same... Go on. I'm in the same boat as you, Jez, right? I, di- I didn't have one as a child and didn't know anyone had one as a child. It would have annoyed me as a child because you couldn't get a pilot for it, which yeah. which would have really grated me. But as an adult, not so much the toy, but I do enjoy it boxed. I think the box is very, very nice. But yeah. it's still, Pete's saying there's no better ship in his last little rant then. Oh, I didn't say that at you all. You did. You said there is nothing better, is what you just said. Oh, yeah, he did. Play and it that, back. Is, that is pie in the sky. Play you did just say... Rebel you just said troop there transport. is nothing better. It's a great ship. Look the Rebel this. Troop Transport has got more playability than that ship. You get Backed. in there, Stu. You get in there, sir. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not having that. There's no way. playability in the Y-Wing. Yeah, there you've is. Got there is. An electronic cannon. You've got the bomb. You've got these self-destructing engines. you got... Oh, my... You are just wrong. Self-destructing engine, and, and, and you got the little legs. Yeah, there was four of the pieces, mm-hmm. and you got R two sitting in his little, his little spot there, and you can shoot R five D four if you want to. Yeah, cool I didn't realise that. Here. Lads, lads, the power Epic. of love. Hello, power of the I'm Y-wing, wing, said. my friend. The I'm power of the Y wing. This is amazing. Yeah. You know, look at it. We're we're all on the same, you know, secret stolen plan sheet. It's it's all good. <laughs> It, this is a great ship, yeah. And and and, I, and the more I look at it, the more I really, really like it. And that's why we're celebrating this. This there's there's no hate here. It's just love. Let's talk about the Y wing of love. Y wing fighter ready for battle action. I'm off to rescue R two D two. New Y wing fighter. Yeah. Batteries not included. Action figures eat so separately. The camp's deserted. Quick, R two, hop in. Activate laser cannon. Now ready. I think this ship is possibly the most detailed of all of the ships. I think the texture and the detail on the body itself is absolutely fantastic. Possibly only the Falcon can rival it. And I'm really pleased that we've got photos of the wood pattern that have survived 
Yeah. Um, I don't know if the wood pattern itself has survived, but there's photos on the SWCA of the wood pattern and the, you know, the skills of the engineers who made those patterns are just absolutely phenomenal. Did, can I just ask, did anyone actually have this as a child? No, I didn't know anybody who had because, this. back end of the line, isn't it? Yeah, because looking at it, I would say as a toy, it would have probably been extremely fragile with some of those pieces, especially the... Um, self-destructing yeah. engines yeah. I would have thought they were um, it was a quite a fragile as a toy and although it looks lovely now I think it's called nasals Jess if that's right um, but then the, the nasals, nasals at the back you do find a lot of those are broken clips I think the nasals themselves are quite springy but it's the clips where it clips into the the engine mount they break quite frequently so they're difficult to find loose when you see um, the advert and the, and the child playing with it in the advert the, the hand fits quite nicely between the engines, between the struts. So it's a, from an ergonomic point of view, it seems relatively easy to play. Now, I don't know if over time uh, things have become you know, loose and, and more fragile, but it, it certainly um, it, it certainly seems from a playability point of view, as you said earlier on, that this was this was bang on. And there was a lot to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very nice ship. And unfortunately, like most other ships, there are, bits that are often missing and the most common bit that is missing is the bomb yeah. that can be oh. difficult to track down the, the 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 good thing about the bomb though is it's, it's the best of my knowledge although there's lots of repro bombs for the y-wing there's none that i'm aware of that comes in two halves like the actual genuine bomb all of the repro ones that are that i'm aware of are a solid piece so they're fairly easy to identify as being repro if you find bombs for the y-wing yeah, Rich, you're absolutely right. Check in the latest info, um, which was on the Imperial Gunnery. Yeah, the mm-hmm. uh, two-piece original. Uh, and as you said, the reproduction one is actually a lighter grey as well. It's, yeah. Obviously, it's easier to say lighter grey when you've got the comparison shot. But it, there's some very good imag- imagery on um, the Imperial Gunnery. And it's also got the uh, EPMs, which are fairly identifying, on, yeah. on the on the bomb and sometimes an A or um, it says, and a B. So, yeah, some good information there. Absolutely right. But it's interesting what Stu said before, in that this this ship was in all three of the original trilogy movies. They even made a die-cast version of it early on. And, you know, it just it didn't appear until the very end of the line. And yet the A-wing appeared right at the end and got its own pilot, and the B-wing appeared at the end and got its own pilot, but the Y-wing didn't. And... You know, it just does does seem a little bit odd, that, doesn't it? Mm. Well, if there was a Y-Wing pilot, you know, conceived. It is an odd one when you think, you know, how many Ewoks were there? Nine? Mm -hmm. I think there were nine Ewoks. You know, we've got two different Bespin guards, so why couldn't we have had Gold Leader? Yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely. You think it would have been a yellow flight suit? You know, so the, the, obviously the pilot, the they made the pilots different colours, haven't they? You got your yeah. orange, you have got your green, and you've got your your red. So the logical colours for the Y-wing pilot would be yellow or blue, and yellow would be the one that would fit most. With you know, as you see, they're gold and also the yellow on the ship, and yet they've gone and stuck Akbar in there on the box. <laughs> yeah. So who else was on the box then? Come on, pop quiz. Isn't this the only Lambo. ship with Medine? Yeah, I think it's the only. Yeah. One only thing Medine pops up on isn't it yeah it's a it, it's a slightly worrying stance it's, it's like Medine is kind of stalking Nine Num quite uh, quite closely as if he's watching me look I think there's actually a very, I think there's a, I can't remember if it's, it's a production image or what but um 
There's an image of the one with his with his little little stick on it, <laughs> right up behind them. And then there's one with him kind of like his head's turned towards him, sort of like, What are you doing, mate? I always thought they were kind of discussing tactics. <laughs> Armadine's Possibly. going to him, Nun, Nun, what is Akbar doing in that cockpit? And um, Nun's going back to him, oh, do you know what? He he is a cock. He's just always messing around, wanting to get involved in the action. But we can't have squids flying ships. He just needs to get out. And then Landers in the background going, yeah, I thought I was piloting this. And Medine's going, yeah. I said, he's, he's off the scale, this, this noncy little fish head. Um and I'm not sitting in that cockpit after he's made a mess of it. He's got it all fishy and smelly and oh. slippery. <laughs> I mean, what, what's Lando doing? He's jumped back into his, his earlier clothes as well. He's like, I can't, I can't be bothered to keep my, my general pilot on. I'm coming for a look. Maybe he was in disguise or something. I don't know. Just ho- hovering around the back end. <laughs> in disguise, but with a blue Adam cloak himself. on. <laughs> I know. I'm going to dress up as general. Problem. He's well, probably yeah, got sick to death of... Medine wiping himself on his cape. <laughs> That's kind of odd. What, what I did stick to him his cape? I didn't know that they reused the same mold for the. Uh, is it the Power of the Force two, or was it even later? Y wing. I didn't realize it was the same mold like what they did with the Imperial shuttle. Vintage and collection. As well. the vintage collection it. was it? Yeah. I did it with the skiff, the A wing. Mm-hmm. I think quite a few ships they use the same mold. Yeah. So for the later molds, I mean, it's completely different. You couldn't. You couldn't possibly get the vintage collection and the original Y-Wings mixed up, even though the same world did the deck were completely different. Has there ever been a, a modern Y-Wing pilot? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think there's been a few a few modern modern lines of... Pretty much there's thousands of pilots of all, you know, from all different variations of Star Wars, like EU and, and various other lines. I think, I think there's a, um, a guy called Oddball who's a Y-Wing pilot, I believe. Oddball. Yeah, I, I believe that that's the one. It's a vintage collection. It's really mm. nicely detailed pilot. There's quite a few. I think I think there's a few. I think they felt they're guilty and went back to it and went, right, we need to give this Y-Wing some pilots. I wonder yeah. if he's got a Death Star in an unfortunate place. Do you know, like you brought up a minute ago, like um, they brought it out of the die-cast range, and it was never a die-cast ship that I got very early, but when I did get it, the emotions was the same as you know when you first cut into like a pork pie loaf and then you see there's an egg in the middle and you get really excited that's how i found the die cast y-wing mm. that when you got it in hand with a little bomb underneath in that scale i think it's it's brilliant so I compared t- to a pork pie it's brilliant <laughs> with an egg yeah. in the middle so another, with an egg it's another little tricky bomb to get as well that uh that bomb from it the y-wing little red one yeah, yeah. so th- this is this is the rebels version of the tie bomber isn't it which you know doesn't even doesn't peels and compounds the tie bomb tie bomber. You see, for ages I thought it was the Y wing bomber, and I think it mm-hmm. might have made reference to that in some it does. games. Mm-hmm. Whereas on the packaging, it quite clearly says Y wing fighter. And you, and you yeah. look at the catalogue description, which is on Star Wars Collectors Archive: Y wing fighters arm the rebels with battery operated cannons, manually activated bomb, three landing pads. And young pilots push the remote control buttons that move the cannons and drop simulated bombs. Cockpit for one figure. And the compartment for R2-D2, which I thought was awesome. R2 trying to increase the power. Speaking of boxes there then, Jez, so how many, how many different boxes are there? Oh, very good. So it comes out on the Return of a Jedi line. I've seen some concept work, which was just for the Power of the Force, which just looks like the Return of a Jedi with a Power of Force sticker on it. Uh, and according to the archive, 
no one's got any examples of that or they certainly haven't come to public so they're not sure if anything was actually produced or that was just a mock-up but going back to your question canadian leddy go on that was your number right well according to project outside the box they've named four but there there are actually five so they've said u.s kenna yeah They've said U.S. Kenna with the French Myro McConnell sticker made in Mexico. Mm-hmm. There's the European Bilogo box. And there's Mexican Lily Leddy. So there's your four. But there were also two known examples of the incredibly rare, and we've talked about these before, ridiculously rare, Trilogo Y-Wings. Oh, yeah. On, on Trilogo. And I think, I think, if I remember right, one was found by Stefan Forco. And ugh, I want to say that was about ten years ago. Now that one was found. It, yeah, it's covered in the. Um, it was in the interview, book. wasn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. in the book as well. Yeah. Touch, so yeah. there were only two of them known, and I believe it was it was either the UK or Ireland where this box originated. So it's probably hypothesised that these might have been palatoy and only for the UK market. So incredibly, incredibly rare Y-wing trilogo boxes. You know, if you've, if you've got one of them, you're sitting on a. You're sitting on a nice uh, sum of money. And also on the Clicker's Archive, there was an uh, engineering pilot box, which is just a plain white box. (laughs) It's a a, a prototype engineering pilot Y-Wing, which doesn't have any paint or anything applied to it, but it's an engineering pilot box. And I think I talked about these boxes before with Davlin Brandy when when I had them on, because I'd said, you know, how can you test a box? And it's all about drop tests where they would drop a box from a certain height to see if the vehicle inside would be crushed or whether it would survive. There's a there's a photograph on the Star Wars Collector's Archive of a Y-Wing boxed engineering pilot and it's plain white packaging with unapplied unapplied uh, colours and transfers and everything on it. And it looks really nice, a really nice item there to have survived. Nice one, Rich. I had a little look at the Beyond the Toy areas of this. Because last month we did the Scout Walker and that was popping up all over the place and other other ships have not much, not much at all with regards to the Y-Wing. There's a clip-together kit and a smaller one of them. And outside of the odd maybe badge or sticker, the only other thing was one display, which was quite interesting. It's a Return of the Jedi display, um, which depicts a massive, massive battle scene. And the Y-Wing takes centre stage on that. It's right through the middle and the Falcon, TIE Interceptor, X-Wings, TIE Fighters, Death Star, all pushed to the side, B-Wings, whilst this is the main main thing in the middle. But outside of that, struggle to find too much on it, so uh, not something that pops up too often. Rich, you just put a picture of something on there. What What is it? It's a towel, and I was quite surprised to find it. it it's, a, it's a Star Wars towel, and it has it's black, and it's got two stripes that are red. It's got the Star Wars logo in the centre, and it's got a picture of an X-Wing all over it. And it looks like the spec, um, and it's an X-Wing from third angle projection. And there's faded X-Wings in the distance, an X-Wing in the foreground. But right at the top there is a huge Y-Wing. And I was really surprised to see it on a towel. <laughs> You've got also the mirror set. You know, the again, we had the same, with as Stu said, with the AT-ST and a few other things. Obviously, because it's symmetrical, it works in a mirror. But those sets are <laughs> quite cheesy, but... It came in now. I was having a look at some of the some of the bits and pieces, and yeah, it's, it's one of those things. It doesn't really kind of you see it printed a few times. Things like I think it was one wasn't the one on one of those odd little rubbery things that you can get like a I'm not sure if it was actually an eraser or something else, but 
it's popped up it's on all sorts of little kit. things. Yeah, it's not like a. It's a shame they didn't do a few more model kits. Does it not appear in the the NPC Rebel base kit? I'm just trying to, trying to think. Is it a snow base there kit? Is, there is an NPC model of it, and then obviously the mirror yeah. kits, which were the small um, mirror kits, six in the line. Yeah, they were thing, but I. I I didn't do an in-depth, in-depth look through the oddities, but I could generally nothing really struck out. It's such a beautiful thing. It's quite a few modern stuff. What a Lego! Mm-hmm. Right, Jez, what some prizes? What some prizes? Why? Of course, I'd love some prizes. Well, you see, this is one I think kind of struggle with the tracker data because in Jared's listings, the when it when it sort of sums it up. So for loose for the Kenner Return of the Jedi A box, the Palatoy. Return of Jedi A box, the Kenner Canada one. You get you get it rated in complete and mint and sealed box, and a comment on the packaging and obviously the price. So it, it's you know as we know, it's finding it complete. There's actually a case of there is a it's in the box, it's complete, and it has been sold for more than a mint and sealed box one, which is just kind of odd, very very strange. But the prices are a little bit all over the place. They haven't risen a great deal for a loose one. It seems to average around about the sort of forty-five pounds mark. People are paying anything up to one hundred and thirty for a really, really, really mint version. But the uh, yeah, again, the prices kind of how, but th- there is a real lack of completeness. Obviously, that bomb is proving a pain, and obviously, people are picking it up without some of the struts at the back as well, or the engine struts. For um, box versions, again, the same sort of thing. Very few mint and sealed box versions, and it seems you can pick it up for not too dissimilar in a box. Than you can for it being loose, but obviously again not complete. So there's no, there's not a lot of data on what was actually missing. But again, for a sort of a general box one, between sort of seventy five and probably about ninety pounds, some people paid. It looks like the most, the highest paid on here is for the Kenner box with just the one logo on it, and that was two hundred and sixty quid, and that that was the the top price paid for anything. And I think wiring related. So so again, the the price of ships not very you know, staggeringly crazy. Obviously, if you find the really, really rare ones you've already talked about, yeah, that's completely different. But if you bog standard one, you can still you can still pick one up for, you know, 50 quid or so. But um, you probably won't get it complete. Do you know what, mate? That, that excites me. Because, Ooh. well, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to do what I can with regards to collecting it and, and staying enthused and stuff. And I've spoken about letting some of my Luke X-Wing go so that I can finance buy another purchase it'll get another things because i just I, I you know i i love the variety of card backs and i'm looking up in my collection now and what i can see is scout walker the atta and the falcon so i'm looking at these large ships x-wing and i'm thinking to me that screams everything about star wars and, and i love it and i look at them and i think wow for the price i paid for these ships that's a hell of a lot of star wars and then yeah. you think, right, f- for a comparison, I can maybe just get, you know, a, a Jabagoon or what have you on mint on cards. I think I'd take a Y-Wing any day. I think I really, really would. Absolutely. I, I think if I, mean, I see I, a Y-Wing at farthest from, I might get one. Bites. I, re- I mean, the box, the, the box is cracking. Yeah. You've also got, I mean, I, I haven't got a bomb with mine. I've got the box. I've got the, the Y-Wing. Um, it's missing the bomb. Don't care. Doesn't do anything for me. The bomb at the moment. If I see one, at the moment they, the bomb seems to go for anything between twenty-five upwards. It just depends what time of day it is. Um, and it's. I just think, do I want to pay twenty-five upwards for a piece of plastic that's going to sit underneath and not do anything? Maybe. Maybe I will one day. But the the ship on its own, with all the guns on, the little guns at the front, which I was a pain. I was break. 
uh, those big, long, odd-looking, you know, engine strut things, which I think look great when they're on. I mean, it makes it really a really long ship, actually, when they're on. It, it really just stand out. But, yeah, Jez, I would. Get yourself a Y-Wing, Jez. Get yourself a Y-Wing. Well, I, I bought I bought a destroyed box Y wing, and I got it for quite cheap, and it had the bomb inside, and it was a gamble that I took. So it's it's certainly well worth doing that if boxes aren't really a thing. But just one thing I forgot to mention: there's something quite unusual about the Tri Logo box, and I don't recall any other box item doing this off the top of my head. In that, do you know the the box scene that you're on about with Lando at the back and Akbar in the cockpit and things like that? Yeah. Or two the, in the, yeah. yeah, they actually recreated that for the Tri-Logo box and the figures are in a slightly different position. All so right. they didn't use the same image that actually remade it. Oh, yeah. And Lando's teeth are different, aren't they? Um, they? They've used it with and without teeth. Yeah. And uh, it's not got a stick in one of them. Mm-hmm. So to wrap it up, I mean, thank you guys so much for looking at the various different things. It, to me it's been a great opportunity to look closer at this ship just the difference between the x-wing and this cockpit coming upwards as opposed to the y-wing with the cockpit opening to the side like that you press a button you've got the exciting sound which obviously also operate the electronic cannons on the top the gear come up and down the bomb drop in there is a lot to this and as you know for several months now we've had the joy of having the star wars Vintage Rebellion Podcast Alliance help us out with regards to some real some choice pieces or some, or some background information. Now I contacted Rod and Salvatore and he said, yeah, I can, I can, I'll be able to help you out this weekend. So at this point in the recording, we've got no idea what it is Ron's going to tell us. So let's just cut straight to Ron now and find out exactly what he's got to say. You are part of the Rebel Alliance. Hello, gentlemen. This is Ron Salvatore checking in from the Star Wars Collector's Archive as part of the Vintage Rebellion Alliance. I hear it's your Christmas episode, so I'll say Merry Christmas or Merry whatever it is you celebrate. I hope everybody has a great holiday season. I was asked by Jez this uh, month to talk about Kenner's Y-Wing Fighter. I think you're all familiar with that. If you're not, then I don't know what you're doing collecting vintage toys. The vehicle was the largest new vehicle in Kenner's 1983 line. So in 1983, the biggest vehicle you could buy that was new was the Y-Wing Fighter. And really, you know, in terms of size, it's kind of, uh, let's say, between the X-Wing and the Millennium Falcon. So it was a big hunk of plastic. The vehicle boasted two great action features, a bomb that could be dropped from the underside of the toy and a topside cannon that spun around when the electronics were activated. So it had a pretty cool electronic feature. Kenner had gotten away from just the the simple buzz, and, and some of their later toys had actual action features with the electronics. In this case, when you press the button, the cannon at the top moved around, and I believe it made some kind of noise. The bomb that dropped from the bottom was in two parts. You know, famously, if you have a loose example of the toy, it's often missing. Also, the vehicle was somewhat novel in that it offered a socket into which an R2-D2 or R5-D4 figure could be inserted, giving it a realism that the X-Wing did not have. The X-Wing, remember, had that somewhat dodgy-looking R2-D2 dome incorporated into its top half, that also uh, did something with the wing action. So I think when you pressed it, the wings popped up. But the, the Y-Wing didn't have that, so I remember as a kid thinking it was really cool that I could actually put R2-D2 into the, the vehicle, as well as a pilot figure. You can sense when you look at the vehicle, when you handle it, that Kenner was pulling out all the stops. I think many will agree with me that the vehicles developed for Return of the Jedi were substantially nicer than those introduced in previous lines. 
The, the build quality seemed sturdier and the, and the features were more cleverly integrated into the toy. The Y-Wing, B-Wing, and Imperial Shuttle were real highlights of the vintage line. Uh, I think, you know, remember with the B-Wing, it has that cool engine where you rotate it that, that has the wings pop out and then it has the rotating cockpit. All very well engineered, very well constructed. You know, they were very nice toys. Um, the Y-Wing was developed through a process known as patterning. Uh, some of you may have heard that, especially if you listen to the Star Wars Collector's Archive podcast where it's been talked about a few times. But basically a pattern is like the wax sculpt typically used to create an action figure. It's a three-dimensional work of craftsmanship on which all later development is based. So uh, it's a 3D toy, it has a lot of detail, someone has to make a master of that. So an actual, someone has to eat, an action figure has to be sculpted out of wax usually. A toy like the Y-Wing, which has a lot of mechanical detail, someone has to build that up by hand out of wood, and that's usually known as a pattern. So typically a pattern was created from hard wood, like mahogany or cherry, and then embellished with all sorts of meticulous details. So someone had to sit there and carve little details, sometimes out of, out of Bondo or something like that. You know, every little raised rectangle or incised line, anything like that, had to be incorporated into that piece of wood. It's a three-dimensional work of craftsmanship, and, uh, you know, the guys who made these things were superior craftsmen in their own right. Um, so when you see an actual pattern, a lot of work went into that. On the Star Wars Collector's Archive website, we have a few shots of the pattern used to create the Y-Wing. Uh, they were taken inside the Kenner model shop as these things were being created. So uh, basically the photos themselves, we're fortunate to have copies of them, but they're vintage relics in their own right. If you have a look at those photos, you'll see how detailed these patterns are. Eventually, the patterns were used to create tooling masters from which the steel production molds were created. So basically, the, the, end, the end game on these is that they'd be used used to create the actual steel tools into which the injection molded plastic was shot when they're making the toy. So uh, represent a big, the tooling represents a huge investment for a toy company and obviously the, the, the developmental stuff that goes into making the tooling is all very important. So uh, the patterns are a massive part of uh, developing this toy. Uh, while looking at those photos you may also notice that each plastic component used to assemble the Y-Wing had its own separate pattern. Of course, the product had two major components comprising the two halves of the main body, which were then welded together on the finished toy. So, you know, the, the main body of the Y-Wing is a top and a bottom. They go together, and, and inside is sandwiched the electronics and all that stuff. So consequently, the main body required two patterns, one for the top and one for the bottom. Uh, but at least in, in at least one shot on the archive, you'll see several of the components, the pattern components, assembled into a more complete whole you know, probably probably because the pattern makers wanted to see how it would all fit together. So you'll see at least one shot where they put the bottom and the top together to see how it all worked together. But in general, each specific part of that toy had a separate pattern. I also have some internal Kenner paperwork related to the Y-Wing, um, which, which gives us an inside look into its development, particularly the timeline. According to this paperwork, work on the on the Y-Wing patterns did not commence until late June of 1982 and it was not completed until mid to late August of the same year. So that's, you know, June to August is two months. That's two solid months where the guys who were developing the Y-Wing did nothing much but work on the patterns. So uh, two months is a, lot, is a long time, especially if you're talking about an eight-hour day. Uh, that's how long it took to create the Y-Wing patterns. Uh, incidentally, the Y-Wing was designated as Kenner Project Number 397. Not sure what you'd ever do with that information, but why not mention it? All in all, the development of the toy 
lasted from May of 82 through June of 83, meaning it was not on shelves when Return of the Jedi hit theaters. Uh, basically, I think it was envisioned as a holiday release. So uh, there were some toys that were out when Return of the Jedi hit theaters, the speeder bike among them, um, you know, some other ones I'm sure, you know, most of them were out by then, May of 83. But this did not come out until a little later. Would have been something that Kenner wanted on shelves for moms and dads to buy for their kids for Christmas or Hanukkah or what have you. Um, there's an interesting. Here's an interesting question for your listeners. Do you recall seeing the Y-Wing in stores? At, at what, at what date do you recall seeing the Y-Wing in stores? I know I got one for Christmas of 1983. When do you first remember seeing it or obtaining it? The Y-Wing was available for two years after release, 83 and 84. Well, we just heard that it was released in late 83, uh, fairly late 83, so it was basically around for part of 83 and all of 84. It was planned for release as part of the Power of the Force lineup in 1985, but Kenner nixed it, along with most of the other large toys envisioned as being part of that line. I think you're all familiar with the fact that the uh, Ewok Battle Wagon is basically the only large uh, Power of the Force toy. I guess maybe you can include the, 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 the skiff as well, but really the, the, the Battle Wagon was the large item in that line. Uh, the Y-Wing, the B-Wing, and the Shuttle were all cut out of the line. Um, those of your listeners who like store displays will be interested to know that the Y-Wing is the central graphical element in Kenner's 1984 four-foot-long header display uh, featuring a painted scene of a space battle. So this would have been a large store display um, mounted probably over a display of toys in a toy store or a department store. And it's, it's, it's massive. It's four feet long. So that, that's longer than most, probably all, of Kenner's other Star Wars displays. Um, and this one featured a giant painting of a space battle, so it looks really great. Curiously, the Y-Wing is featured more prominently on this display than the B-Wing. Uh, the B-Wing was one of the big releases of 84, so it's interesting to see that the Y-Wing was chosen as the star of that display rather than the B-Wing. Uh, it's an interesting display because it features the artwork I mentioned, uh, and the artwork is clearly derived from the toys rather than the film props, so the artist who made it was copying directly off the toys. You know, Earlier, during the Empire Strikes Back era, uh, Kenner photographer Kim Simmons had to labor mightily to achieve a photographic image of toys in battle. Uh, so there's a big Empire Strikes Back battle scene which is all made up of toys and it's a photograph. Uh, the, medium, the medium of painting provided a little more flexibility. Uh, you didn't have to set all those things up for a photograph, although of course a painting is its own labor-intensive thing so a lot of work must have gone into that as well. Um, if you admire that particular space battle competition but you don't want to break the bank and buying the giant store display. It's hard to find, too, so it would be hard to acquire one even if you did have the money. Uh, there was a small poster issued in France as a premium that features the same exact compos composition as the large store display, although it's been totally repainted, so its look is a little different. So that's something you can look out for if you're interested in that uh, composition or just in the Y-Wing in general. That's all I have on the Y-Wing, guys. Uh, I hope it wasn't too boring. hope you learned something. I think you'll all agree that it's one of the most cracking vehicles on the line, so uh, I hope you guys have some interesting things to say about it, and I hope you have a great holiday. Talk to you soon. The Rebel Alliance is too well equipped. Fantastic. Thank you once again to the Vintage Rebellion Podcast Alliance. You guys are brilliant, and you, you always come up with the goods. So, guys, that wraps it up. I think one of our quickest new acquisitions for a while, but, boy, we've covered some awesome stuff. We've discovered that we definitely need to have a Japanese collector on. We've seen some, the, the great stuff, the differences between one carded figure with the Yoda. We've seen some really, really cool p bits and pieces and even posters coming out of records. But to then cover the Y-Wing, I think, yeah, I've really, really fallen for that ship. 
uh, it's funny how opinions can change. So thanks once again, lads. And let's uh, keep them peeled for what we can find in new acquisitions in 2018. Cheers, guys. The rebellion will continue to gain a support in the Imperial Senate. The Imperial Senate will no longer be of any concern to us. I have just received word that the Emperor has dissolved the Council permanently. The last remnants of the Old Republic have been swept away. Welcome back to the Senate. Today we're going to be discussing the customization of vintage toys. Figures, vehicles, playsets, you name it. Is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? Although this topic may not seem to court much controversy nowadays, go back even two or three years in the collecting world and it was a lot more controversial. You post up something about a customization or showing off a customization then, you used to be on the receiving end of some pretty negative attention, almost as if you'd endorsed repro weapons or something. But times change. What's changed? We've got what it was for. It's only three, unfortunately, so I'm going to step in as the fourth. Four people with different views on the subject. For the anti-customization team, we've got the well-known artist, Mr. Dan Turl. Good evening, Dan. Good evening. Thank you very much for joining us this evening for this lively and exciting debate. <laughs> Dan, could you just give us a, a quick introduction as to who you are, what you do, and what you collect? Right, well, I'm probably known for my pretty poor paintings, really, but lots of people have got them, so known for that. And as for collecting, I collect untarnished vintage figures, mostly. Untarnished? Untarnished. <laughs> as in uncustomised. You're <laughs> starting already. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And as for your paintings being poor, they're, they're so terrible that I'm looking at three of them now on my walls. Oh, and your Millennium Falcon drawing so oh, yeah, they must one, yeah. must be terrible dan because <laughs> I, i've got them everywhere thank you thanks very much dan our other anti-customizer is steve mcgill also known as steve obi-wan from star wars forum uk good evening steve good evening thanks very much for joining us no problem good to have you on board could you thank tell you. us a little bit about yourself and, and what it is you collect yeah, I started collecting vintage Star Wars way back in 1978 when I got my first Darth Vader figure. And since then, I've been collecting on and off. And I've collected everything from a full Minden card, 96 cards, to the first 12-pack Palatoy, three-packs, Final Cape Jawas, loose figures, etc., etc., etc. Basically everything that is untouched and untarnished by any brush. <laughs> he's at it as well we're going to have a tough time here Steve Savory we are brilliant thank you very much for that Steve and last one by no means least of our guest is Mr Steve Savory himself or Savory 100 from the forum and known more widely however on Instagram I believe Steve yeah I have a I have an Instagram following I have an Instagram account called Star Wars underscore runner got about 16,000 people that follow me on there basically I try and post up every day or every couple of days something vintage Star Wars generally untarnished um <laughs> but yeah I think uh, as Mr McGill said I have a very similar collecting style I've got a lot of everything but I do have a focus and uh, we talked about that back on episode 36 which is a Han Solo focus and an amazing hand solo focus as it is too. It's absolutely phenomenal. Love seeing the pictures kind. on Instagram of it. It's. I'm going to annoy Ross Barr now and say it's second to none. See. Yeah. He's only to wind him up. He's always good value for that. Oh yeah, it's loads better than Ross's. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much for joining us, Steve. 
Also meant to be joining us this evening was Marsha Parkins. Unfortunately, for reasons well beyond her control, she's unable to tonight. Uh, snow, extreme weather, unexpected house guests, all that sort of thing. And a laptop high on a shelf have meant that she can't be with us tonight. So as a last minute, you lucky people, I will be standing in for the pro custom size and fighting the corner for right to paint up beaters. But anyway, enough of that. We'll get on to that in a minute. I believe there's been a gentleman's agreement between Steve and nobody else that he will go first, Steve Savory, for the pro side. So uh, unless there's any great objections from the anti side, we'll start with Steve Savory. Okay. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I'm going to start off actually with, a, with just a little comment that I'm not passionate. And this, sound, this is going to sound a really strange thing to say when I'm going for the pro argument, that I'm not actually passionate that um, everybody should be allowed to customise. But I wanted to give some context as to why I started doing it and, and why, what I do. So... I do them for my own pleasure. I do them because I have some latent art skills that I probably last used in anger about 20 years ago. I use them to fuel my imagination. And to be perfectly honest, once I finished a full loose run with every figure having multiple different COO examples, a full run of every figure in some form, mint on card, a full vehicle and playset run, my hand focus was slowing down due to the extreme cost of the stupid choice of figure that I made. I really needed something to be in me, keep me interested, keep me excited about collecting. And every fair I go to or car boot sale I go to, for a quid or so, you'd see these damaged, beated figures. And I just, I felt sorry for them, to be honest. I thought, well, bring them back to life. Don't really want to go around doing touch-ups or turning them into something that could one day maybe be seen as a repro item or something that had been fiddled with in that way. So I thought, well, I know, I'll try and make some figures that were never actually made in the vintage line, the toys that were never made. A lot of those have, I know, been released on later collection lines from Hasbro. But I really dislike the aesthetic of all those later lines. I don't like the chunky size of the figures. I don't like the plastic. I don't like the way they were painted. So... With the art degree in my back pocket, as I say, 20 years old, and having painted Warhammer models as a kid, I was pretty confident I could make a decent fist of it. And that was quite important to me, that if I was going to do this to figures, that they should look half decent. Hopefully, if people have seen them, they'd think that they were decent. Um, and I wanted to do something that really gave a good nod, a proper nod, to the Kenner line. So I'm quite particular that even though I let my imagination run wild a little with them, I try and only use four or five colours of paint, even though there's obviously thousands of acrylic paints out there that I can use. Um, I don't like to put too many details on them. I do head swaps, but they'll be, as with all of these, complete beta figures. So just to clarify what I mean by a beta figure, something that has seriously loose limbs, barely standing, because the paint itself will hold that and make it stand back up. They have to have physical damage or scars to the plastic. They have to have either marker paint, pen or previous poor custom paint on them. They have to be damaged in some way that nobody would truly display them. And for me, it's a kind of recycling, reimagining something that is really just rubbish and making it something that I can be proud to display again. So in essence, I believe it's perfectly fine to make custom figures. First of all, if you have an element of skill and you're not going to be destroying something, that the thing that you are customising is already damaged or destroyed in some way, that you have a knowledge and an understanding of the COOs that you're looking at so that you're not going to be taking apart, painting over some precious gem. They do have to be the common COO. And for my personal case, I just do them for my own personal pleasure to extend that universe that I love into my own collection on one little shelf in the corner of my room just to make things just a little bit more fun. 
Good arguments well made, Steve. Many thanks indeed. Next to go and for the anti-side is Steve McGill. Steve, you three minutes. Off you go. So, an extremely well put argument by uh, Mr. Savory there. Very well articulated. The reason I'm against customs is probably two main reasons, and it's the reasons I collect vintage Star Wars. The first reason is the nostalgia of it. So whenever I collect vintage Star Wars, it takes me back to a time when I was a kid and I was collecting them. And the imagination created figures or play sets that I didn't have. And that's the reason I collect. The main reason I'm against customs is because I still believe as a collector we should be preserving every part of Star Wars. So I've seen a lot of examples of customs where people have taken cantina play set, painted it black, and then tried it fall it off as a detention centre and it was creating a battle and then people will comment of it. I've also seen various different types of land speeders have been converted to Smokey and the Bandit or other crazy items. The other thing too I've seen with a lot of figures is the figures definitely are not beaters. And they're being painted and made used into, I've seen several ones, was a, a Bespin snag, um, various different figures that look absolutely horrendous. There's no rhyme or reason to the whole customization of any figures. To me, I'm a, a purist in the Star Wars collecting, and I couldn't possibly even touch up a beater because I feel that's the way it's supposed to be. I'd prefer to put it as a display in a play set or let a kid play with it rather than actually touch it up because I believe that the first sort of figures ever produced right from the sort of 1977 to 1983, 84 going on um, should be left as they are and really the whole customization has gone completely crazy in the last couple of years and remember there's there's only a certain amount of figures produced and I understand there's millions of figures produced over the years but how many have been put into landfill, how many have been dogs have at them, how many have been lost buried etc etc so I feel now we should be preserving all sets of Star Wars because they're not going to be around forever so it, it just seems like it's a real fad at the minute and just people are grabbing them, painting them and it's more, it's completely changing the whole focus from all different Star Wars collectors I mean if you just read a lot of the threads that are on, a lot of the sort of different groups and people are commenting how good it looks and then people go on themselves and do it it's just creating it's almost creating that it's okay to do this, whereas to me it's as bad as reproduction. In fact, it's probably worse because you're actually taking vintage figures and ruining them. And that would be my argument why not have any sort of customs. Brilliant. Nicely put. Thanks very much, Steve. Thank you. That's superb. That makes it my go, which is unexpected because I didn't know I was doing this until about three hours ago. <laughs> Listen to Steve Savory's points and naturally I agree with all of those. And I've listened to your points, Steve McGill, as well. And uh, yeah, I agree with you. The, these are lovely vintage things and they're not making them anymore. They should be should be loved and respected. However, we were trying to look some figures up on them. And depending on what you listen to, whether it's Wikipedia or SWCA or anywhere in between, anywhere between 30 million and 300 million Star Wars toys were made. I think 300 million has got to be including all the modern stuff as well. But even that's probably a stretch. But 30 million, let's take 30 million Star Wars toys, of which, say, 25 million were figures. Even if you chucked half of those in the landfill, you're still left with, with well over 10 million. There's no shortage of these things. They're absolutely ubiquitous. I was at Farthest From yesterday with a box of beta figures. And when I say beta, that's probably a little bit harsh. You'd have, say, Squidhead with only his outer cape, for example. To me, that was a beta because there's too many bits missing. It's just not worth it. And they're all in a box for a pound each. 
Nobody even looked at them for about three hours. And I started giving them out to any kids that came up to the store. And then one lad walked up and he's pound each. Yeah, brilliant. I'll take the lot. So all 50 of them gone. The point is that even at a pound each, there's just not the demand for them. So the fact that you can take these things and utilize them for something else, repurpose them is brilliant. And I also think that if you are, and, and let's be clear, I'm not talking about people who take a snaggletooth head and stick it on Luke Bespin or something. That's, that's just pointless. I'm talking about skilled people, people like Steve Savory and, and Marsha Parkins, who've got some skill or at least develop a skill in doing it and make worthwhile customizations. So they develop the line. And this is nothing new. This isn't, I appreciate what you say, Steve, about this being a, a, a fad of the minute. But I knew someone 23, 24 years ago that was making Grand Moff Tarkins, Rebel Fleet Troopers and Sand Troopers. And he did them really nicely. He was using beta figures. And I just don't see the problem with it because you are, you're developing the line, which I think everybody agrees stopped too soon. Not for the time. It ran out of steam. Looking back, it stopped too soon and there were many more figures they could and should have produced. And to be able to do that now and do it in the same vein and respect the techniques and like Steve does, the colours that they use, I think it's fantastic. And anyone develop, doing these as well, making these customs, if they're doing them well, they're researching the colours that they use and possibly even the techniques. And they're certainly studying the, the props and the costumes that were being used in production. So they're learning more about it and they're developing it. And I love all of that. Right. Last but by no means least, Dan. Right. Well, listening to all of these cases put forward, I'd like to say as well that I am not so against them that jump on every single one. I do understand that there probably is a place for them, especially when they're well done. But they, that's where the problem starts straight away for me, because there's a lot of people that run in, rush in blindly, think, I can do that as well. I can do that. And the, the way that they do them are, you know, they're just horrendous. And I'm not talking about body swaps and, and different arms and legs and things like that. I'm talking about a simple paint job where they're just, you know, they're just not very good. But people go crazy and say, oh, that's brilliant. I'm going to have a go at that as well. I think I'll do that. And we saw a similar sort of thing as well, not just with painting, but when there was that craze recently for stripping figures, you know, like Death Star droids and C-3POs and stuff to make customs with the you know the different colored plastics and stuff and it, and it, it snowballs but it snowballs but it doesn't gain in any quality or any use as such i mean uh me and Stephen have been sharing pictures of some of these custom jobs and and some of them are just horrendous and and they, they try to be clever like you said about the land speeders you know the smoking the bandit land speeder and they're just not they're just naff Basically, I, I have a real problem with that. And, and because I'm a purist as well, and I love to see a beaten figure painted off it and everything. I've, I've got them myself, you know, figures with next to no paint on them. But I, I, I could, could never bring myself to do anything to them. They stay as stay as they are, you know. I think because of that, I've always felt that as an artist myself, I wouldn't do it. And then when you get people that aren't artists as such, just jumping in there with a great big paintbrush. And, and for me, they're just dwindling that you know, what, what's left. You say there's an awful lot left, but there's not because so many are tied up in people's collections and stuff, even beaters and stuff. You know, they're, they're going to be less and less and less as time goes on. And I think that um, doing stuff like that with them, it, I, I don't think it's preserving anything. I think it's just dwindling the numbers of original figures, whatever condition they're just going. 
And as for vehicles as well, uh, vehicles and play sets and things like that, I mean, I saw some horrendous cloud cars, and I love cloud cars. Like most people don't like them, but I love them. And there, were, there was one like um, painted bright yellow and stuff like with flames on it, and, and you sort of think, why? There was nothing wrong with that cloud car either. It was all complete and everything. It just had a complete paint job. And again, I think vehicles are probably in a lot less supply than, than figures. One of the worst ones you see is where they uh, chop up two Darth Vader TIE fighters to make a, a TIE bomber. You know, and they stick the, the base of a probot in one side and things like that. That's, you know, so many toys get wrecked to make one custom. I have that problem with the figures as well, you know, where they chop up four figures to make one. And it, it's four figures used just to make one custom figure that isn't very good at the end of the day. So that's, that's pretty much how I feel about it. Thank you very much, Dan. We have a, a five, five, ten minute general discussion on the subject. I'll start off by saying, Dan, totally agree. The the chrome stripping, and I know the Savory, you're against this as well. The chrome stripping yeah, totally is not a good it. thing. It, mine's not because of the fraud aspect, but because there is zero creativity involved in that. That is just a destructive process. It's like getting a car and scratching the paint off it to see what's beneath it. It's pointless. It's one's interesting, two's a waste of a beta that can be turned into perfectly decent K3PO at the end of the day. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I tend to agree with you that it's, it is just a waste. But my biggest concern, and you just alluded to it, my biggest concern is the fraud aspect, that these things turn up on eBay once they've been stripped. And for nov- novice collectors, myself as uh, being one at one point in my life, picks these things up, not at an overly expensive amount of money, but under the understanding or at least the hope that they've come across a rare gem. Um, and I think that's I think that's absolutely disgusting behaviour. Whereas actually repainting something that is already scratched to hell to turn it into a k3po i'm comfortable with that but stripping figures no way Fair point. i think steve and dan have both made fantastic points actually about when for me i think there's a difference as to when when you stepped so far away from kenner principles and you're creating as they described you know i think what was it like smoking the bandit or a, a mash version of of a land speeder i don't get that that's not something that fits the aesthetic of the line it's not something that fit that kind of the vintage mentality or or any kind of sentiment to the line either it feels that it's just done i don't know there's some kind of almost brash childish approach in that it doesn't make sense to me why somebody would would want to do that to a toy that then no longer has a connection with the line that it's a toy from um which is why i am quite principled about the way that I do mine is that I do want them to be particular to the line and, and give that nod back to the toys that I surround myself with. I'm sat in a room like literally 360 degrees of, <laughs> of, of toys. And that, that's, really impo- that's really important to me. But what, what I'd ask you, Steve, is, is when, when you do your customs, are, mm. are they like, you know, improved paint jobs on, on a vintage style or... Do you go for characters that weren't made figures of or what? Generally, I try and do characters that weren't made. So I've got a, a couple of Rebel Troopers, a Captain Antilles, K-3PO, Stormtrooper with, with the pauldron to make him into more of like a Sand Trooper, a Han Hoth in a brown coat rather than the... Uh, blue coat but I've actually gone one step further with him and made him with his hood down rather than the hood up so that was a bit of a head swap and a bit of milliput um to make a new new hood so it's that kind of thing um but again as I said trying to keep that all within kind of principles four or five colors maximum things that could have been achieved with a spray mask even though I'm doing it with a paintbrush yeah 
What about like one of my concerns as well is that you you see a lot of the um, custom-made figures, and obviously they don't give them genuine accessories. They they fit them out with some repro because it's it's all right because it's a custom. Mm-hmm. Of course, obviously, there's a concern there again that the repro can get separated; it can get circulated. Uh, Absolutely, you know, I that, that, yeah. that's one of the biggest problems as well. No, I think I, th- I think you're spot on, Dan. To be perfectly honest, um, I will admit in on my customs, I have I think probably four repro weapons within my custom run. Um, they all have silver painted ends of the guns, which kind of makes me laugh because it's a bit like when cosplayers go to a <laughs> go to a comic con and they have to put a great big pink or orange tip on the end of their, of their gun. <laughs> Yeah, so they, they're all dipped in silver paint so that they are c- clearly marked as uh, repro. But wherever possible, and if I can afford it, I am using genuine weapons with, with yeah. the customs because they're just holding it. But yeah, I am, I'm quite clear to mark if I find something that is repro, something that turns up that's repro, by, you know, dip it in a bit of silver paint, stick it in the hand of a repainted beta figure. Anybody that wants to get involved in customization they have to approach it if you're going to do it at all i think you have to approach it with quite serious principles you have to understand what are the very common and what are the very desirable coos there's no point in getting i don't know a luke china raised bar x-wing pilot and ripping that apart because you know there will be people out there that want that figure yeah. whatever condition it's in and if, you, if you're not aware of that and you don't have the knowledge you shouldn't be picking up a paintbrush in the first place. And uh, yeah, uh, I, I it's difficult, then... isn't it? It's very difficult yeah. because people can be inspired in the same way that I'll look at your artwork. I'm looking at it right now on the wall. Um, you've, got a fan, you've got a fan club online here between myself and Sam. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, look at that. And I, I must admit, I got out my sketchbook. I started trying to draw the figures myself. And I thought, you know, I'm inspired. Yeah, I think people do get inspired. And that is where there's a risk. And that is where it becomes inherently for want, for want of a better term, dangerous for the hobby. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I take on board and I very, very clearly understand the points you're making. And I think you're absolutely right to have concerns about it. And, and, and I, do, I do agree as well. I mean, you do see some customs and, and you think that that's really good. You know, that's really clever. And they've not ruined the figures or things like that. But I, I think the percentage, the ratio of badly made customs far higher than the quality ones that's what creates the problem yeah there are some that are absolutely terrible and when uh, quite often that's you know cross-line pollination for want of a better term where someone will take a mask or an action force figure and reduce that to rubbish at the same time as sticking a hand solo head or a heaven forbid a yak face head on the top of it and you just think why have you done it what what was the point of that it doesn't make any sense it reminds me of the scene in toy story I think it's Toy Stories 2 where the kid's got all his mashup figures and all the rest. Yeah, and, and that, that is, that's right, Sid. And that is designed to convey abomination and Frankenstein and awfulness and all the rest of it. And it captures it brilliantly. And you're right, then you do see a lot more bad ones than you do good. But when you see a good one and you appreciate the work, such as Steve's here, some of his are absolutely brilliant. And I love it because it's what the line could have been. It's, those were the 1986 releases, Grand Moff Tarkin and Han Solo Stormtrooper. And, and Rebel Fleet Trooper and all those sorts of things are, the, to me, what could have been the continuation. And I, I love seeing the well-done ones. Um, I mean, how, how much call for it is there? Because uh, you look at the modern figures. I mean, I don't collect modern figures, but, you know, I've had them in the past and stuff. Ignoring sort of like the Power of the Force 2 range, but when they started to get really good and good sculpts and everything... And they covered most of these figures. So is there a need still to, to make them? Or is it just because of the um, simplicity of, of a basic Kenner figure from 
from the 80s that is attractive? I think it's because, it's, as I say, it's the continuation of the original line. You look right. at your, your 77 to 85 line and they are instantly recognisable, other than I'd suggest a man man which is never recognisable for anything much, but they're instantly recognisable for exactly what they are. Whereas the Power of the Force 2 and later, which I've got to say, ignore the muscle-bound sculpts and all the rest of it. Yeah, go breeze frames onwards, you know, that's Brilliant. what they started, they started to nail, didn't they? They did. The, the Attack driver, for example, was absolutely fantastic. And it's my modern secret's out, isn't it? <laughs> it is. You let it slip. That's not getting cut, down. We're going to leave that right there. I'm going to edit the bit out where I said I love them, but your bit stays. Yeah. Uh, That'll get us a few more votes, Sam, I reckon. I reckon so, mate. Yeah, we nailed this one. I love Walton. It's brilliant. It's well, not not the new, new, new stuff. There's a couple of the new, new, new ones, but the, the as you say, from the freeze frame onwards, they started getting really good at what they were doing. And there was yeah. there was the golden era of modern, if you like, as far as I'm yeah, concerned. Absolutely, yeah. So, although I appreciate what you're saying, that they have now done every figure and about what. 600 more than you could possibly ever at least think. there's still the demand for continuing that and when you say demand i don't think there's necessarily a demand out there for people to say oh will you make me or i'd like to buy one but i think there's the creativity in people i mean the, the want to do it if you've got the ability to do it and you want to do it then why not do it and if you think of all the people that you know that customize a figure or have ever customized a figure Everybody, I bet there's not even 10, 15 figures a year being lost from all the people you know. And if you say all the people that I know, there's not 10 or 15 figures. I've I got to agree with that, yeah. You, you're probably right there. More get eaten by dogs than get <laughs> There's, I think the loss is really, really small, uh, even though it's been going on for de- literally decades. And I bet there were people in the mid-80s that were already buying figures, ripping them off the card and making a sand trooper back then. Uh, well, yeah, I'm, I've still got a few figures from when I collected the last time, which was very early 90s. And even then, I, I picked up a custom figure then, which I actually still got. And it was a General Medine body with a Lando skiff head on it. And the, the body had been painted to look like a Lando General figure. And it's absolutely terrible. The, like, the painting is awful. <laughs> But it's the, the, the head swap's been done, and, and it, it's very well done, you know, because you, you can't tell. And for ages, when I first got it, I thought, what, you know, what's this? You know, I didn't even realise it was a custom, because the head swap had been done so well. But the paint job was awful, and I couldn't work it out for ages. And, and in, in the end, I spoke to somebody, and they said, oh, it's a, it looks like a custom job. And I thought, it, I, I thought it was, but it was well made, but just badly painted. And I've still got it, and... and it makes you realise that, yeah, it has been going on a long time. But, of course, everybody had buckets full of figures back then anyway. Whereas now, you, but there's less about whichever way you look at it. But I do I do appreciate that you can pick up a beta at any time. How long does that go on for? Well, I think, as, as someone said, they're probably a lot locked up. I mean, you look at some of the bigger, more prominent sellers online, and I think you find that they've probably got literally binfuls of beta figures if you yeah. like or, or and, but... and, and then for the most part they're common figures aren't they you know they're your uh, your squid heads and your admiral Akbars by the bucketful it worries me more when you see people making hand stormtroopers by taking a luke stormtrooper and taking the head off and and it, it's not quite such a common figure or a common beta to find but it's one of the most common customs, if you see what I mean, you know, yeah. that people do. Then they, they get that Luke helmet or they get a reproduction helmet or whatever and have them as a pair, which is great because it's a great, they should have done it because they should have made that figure anyway. But with a, with a figure like Luke Stormtrooper, you know, that's dwindling away those which aren't as common. That worries me as well, you know, because um, some of the figures that they use, I mean, 
there's got to be a shortage of Luke X swing figures surely now because <laughs> I think they've got they've had every other figure's head stuck on them at some point. <laughs> Steve, he's rambled, yeah. Yeah, I've got a whole squadron, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you, you say about notable sellers out there. A, a very well-known seller helped me with his clear through a lot of his beta Luke X-Wing figures. I literally had, I think, 15 or 20 turn up in a, in a bag one day, all for only a pound or two pound each in order that I could make my squadron. And it was, it was literally, the comment was that he has so many of them, nobody wants to buy them. So the outlet that they were actually then going to turn into something and the feedback after having made them was very positive from that seller as well. Whether that situation has changed a couple of years on, I'm not too sure. But if I want to find a beta figure, I'm not having a problem getting one, if that makes sense. As Simon said when he was at uh, Father's Trom this weekend, there wasn't there wasn't an issue picking up a beta figure for a pound or two, uh, pretty much any figure that you wanted. I think at the moment it's okay, and I think it's possible that people that make customs like myself are making only one or two a year. Quite frankly, I have a lot of better things to do than sit painting little little figures all day long. But you know, when when you want a little bit of the hobby, it's the thing that suits suits my budget. <laughs> so I've got this horrendous Luke X-wing, which is like really loose, really really loose limbs, and hardly any paint left on it. So. Yep. Do I paint it then? <laughs> oh. oh! I've had it for years and years. You know, it's worth about 20 pence, I would say. It's in such a state. So do you keep it like that because it's it's got a story to tell? It's been well-loved. Or do you repaint it or take his hat off and drill it out? I've got a Gamorrean guard and a Luke X-Wing, both who are missing their right hand. Don't swap them. Don't swap them over. They won't they be right. They look all. fantastic. <laughs> uh, both who are missing their right hands. And to me, they mean something because they were given to me by a guy in Bakewell and he'd got a little shop and it was this and the other and I went up and I bought a 12 inch loose Vader from him and he just gave me I said any small sort of nah but here you can have, have these with the Vader and they actually mean something to me because A it was cool finding it in the little shop B they were from a kid's collection so this kid obviously had a thing for recreating Empire and just chopping the hands off anything <laughs> that moved but see it was the last time that you know I, I was out with my granddad before he came too ill so those are going to stay with me forever and they're absolutely not having their heads chopped off but if if that's just a figure that I picked up at a car boot down that had come in with pile of Lego and it was beaten to heck then yeah it wouldn't really mean anything to me to be honest you know I, I, I would be possibly taken to the Dremel particularly if you had limbs missing I'd, I might be tempted to take the Dremel and just get that Luke X-Wing helmet as a spare a bit of a prop or something right you, you hate me I'd I'd don't. no I thought I'd ask anyway <laughs> <laughs> well you know when you lose this argument and you have to make everybody a custom figure maybe that could be one of them dad <laughs> it's gone up right from doing one to doing one to <laughs> and now it's everybody oh and the podcast team who aren't here yeah <laughs> i'm sure you said one one each then i'm sure you did is, is that one I, I haven't got it in writing i'm sure i haven't <laughs> what, but what about you know do you worry about all, all the sort of like the rtd2s that get done you know and and Again, some of those look terrible. I mean, they, they do them in green and black and different styles and everything. But even a, a Beta R2-D2 figure is, is still popular. I mean, I've painted two of them because people have asked me specifically to paint their Betas. Yeah. And most people who customise would look at that and think, well, I'll get, get that label off and get it painted up and everything. Whereas to other people, they're quite sentimental or they're ones that they've picked up and they really enjoy. And they've asked me to paint them as they are, you know, warts and all. So... Yeah. There's a real balance, isn't there? 
Yeah, I think there absolutely is. And I'll jump in because there's two points there that I kind of want to make. And the first one is that actually, despite looking up at the piece of artwork that you've done of my hand solo, you you know well, because you and I have had this conversation before, that or one of the pictures that you've had of the Beta R2 with the the tear on the sticker, the painting Mm -hmm. that you've done, you know, I'll put my hands up. It's my favourite piece of your work. I think it's absolutely brilliant. It encapsulates what those toys are about. However, and I'm going to hang my head in shame a little bit here, I have done one of these god-awful bright pink R2-D2s. I came across an R2-D2 with almost... I just need to to sit down. Hang on. Carry on. Bear with me for a minute. Um, This is my confession time. I'm I'm imagining you two are behind a grilled curtain. Um, (laughs) I'm just just locking and loading, Steve. That's right. Yeah, get ready, get ready. Came across an R2, almost no chrome left on it at all, on the dome, and there was no trace of a sticker on it, like, other than some gluey mess, but the, the body was completely stickerless I saw that somebody had done one of these things and I thought oh yeah that's quite that's quite a fun idea maybe I'll have a go at it went online found that you can if you if you search around on, on Google you can find a, an image of a sticker that you can just download and print out on a home printer I printed that out and coloured it in with with great great gusto and uh, re-sprayed with some metallic silver spray The having taken it apart the dome uh, it's got little pink highlights on it, and oh my dear days, it's literally the thing. And I've kept it there in my. It's actually still in on display at the very back. I must say, back top right of my display <laughs> of my of my customs, and it's there as a memory to me that there are lines you shouldn't cross, and that is definitely a line <laughs> I should never have crossed because it's it's absolutely awful. <laughs> Oh, that's that's a that's a good one to end on. I think that's a good story because I'll echo the sentiment. There's some there is charm about a beater R2, just like there's charm about a rusty beetle in a barn. There's something raw and, as you said at the beginning, untainted about it, and it shows it shows love and it shows play more than a scrappy Luke X-wing does. So yeah, uh, you've confessed you've sinned, Stephen. So I think you could be forgiven on that one. But we'll cut that out because that will lose us the argument, man. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, this is so biased. <laughs> cut that no, out. it's oh. not. Just as I'm editing it, I'll be totally impartial, Dan. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you all. It's not for me. Uh, it would be quite wrong for me to decide who won it, particularly as I took part, because obviously, obviously, Steve Savory and I just nailed that one. So I, I couldn't possibly <laughs> comment on that at all. But we will let our listeners decide through a Facebook poll uh, which side of the argument won. So please don't forget to vote in the poll, which will be going live within about a week of launch. And please remember, the poll is about who you think won the argument, not necessarily about whether you agree with customizations or not. And if you have any ideas for future debates or you'd like to take part, then please do get in touch. Many thanks to my guests for being involved. Thanks, Steve Savory, Steve McGill and Dan Turl. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. Cheers, guys. Ladies and gerbils, children of ages only in prime numbers, normal service has been resumed. For the last market section of 2017, take your Allen keys, adjust the settings on your favourite cake trolley, and Mr Moynihan, play that funky music. Game crack, show us your game crack, we value your game crack. 
show it to me. We had some fantastic entries in last month's Gimcrack. Thank you very much, everyone who submitted items. Um, obviously, we had a bit of a short turnaround on this one, and suddenly had a few an influx of items, but the one that really caught my fancy. Now, Richard, please don't take this personally. It's not aimed at you. Um, but um, Andy Preston sent me something. How many of you have heard of Irwin the Dynamic Duck? That's a negative on this call sign. That's a, that's a frosty reception for that one. Now, Erwin the Dynamic Duck, for some bizarre reason, I don't know why, had a little bit of a, a thing about Star Wars. And the second Star Wars-related album <laughs> was called Erwin Strikes Back. Now, let me just play this clip for you. It's actually not as bad as it sounds. Shining down on the peaceful town, give no inkling of danger ahead as our hero, Irwin the Dynamic Duck, walks his girlfriend, Debbie, home. Oh, Irwin, I had a wonderful time at the movies. So did I. But I always do when I'm with you. Mmm, what a beautiful night. The stars are so clear and bright. And, ooh, look, one of the stars is moving, coming straight down toward us. Yes, and fast. The cover of the LP is very Star Wars, and I don't know how they got away with it, because it actually states that it includes Darth Vader's theme. In the music, they changed that to Dark Raider. The cover art has Ben Chewie, a rather cheery-looking R2, and Dark Raider has a red blast coming from his gun, which looks a little bit lightsabery. And there is a Death Star and a few X-Wings lurking around. Um, if you didn't know... Irwin is a disco-dancing children's character uh, created by Peter Pan Records and looks remarkably Disney in its art style. Most famously, most famously, Irwin was played once by the same guy who did Scrappy-Doo, Mr Don Messick. So, there we go. I think Andy has found an absolute diamond there. I think I hope we hear to get to hear some more Irwin dynamic duck tracks on this podcast perhaps we'll make um we'll make it we'll make it a fact that january's song will be an Irwin duck song according to the album cover or, or album covers on some of these some of these uh some of these tracks were were actually performed by now now just wait here right the wibble wobble singers and orchestra <laughs> that existed so I'm going. I'm going to buy it. It's only seven quid on uh, on Discogs. I'm buying it straight away. That's that's my Christmas present sorted out for myself. And guys, I I really do encourage you to get out there and enjoy the fruits of Irwin, the Disco Dynamic Duck. Now, guys, you're going to have to go a long way to beat that. That is an outstanding piece of gimcrack. Let's start with Stu. You go first. Found something just literally two minutes ago. Good. That's good. <laughs> um. Uh, just uh, just a random poster on eBay. Now, I think it's quite a common poster, but I just love the randomness of it. So 
Uh, it's a bit of a beach scene. You've got Princess Leia in her slave outfit. Always good. Uh, kind of sprawled out on the beach with her arms spread wide there. And uh, I think that's Chief Chirper standing behind her, holding her arms out. Um, she's got a bucket under her leg, and Darth Vader is kind of leaning on... He's got his hands on Chirper's shoulders. I, I think he has. May have at least one of them. And then alongside Vader, you have got a Gamorrean guard Obviously. holding a beach ball. Um, love the randomness of that. It's got Star Wars on it. That photo shoot has appeared on a magazine. I want to say Rolling Stone, but I'm not 100% sure whether, whether it was. I thought, I've got a feeling it is. And I've almost hit the purchase button, but it was always an American one, so the poster's always... Yeah, I, I mean, that is a, I mean, I do love that poster. Um, it's for quite a lot of money, isn't it? It's about 80 quid or something. Which, yeah. uh, and it's, it's obviously a pull-out or a cut-out from a magazine, but that's ah, it's a last-minute entry, but it's a good one, you know, especially with Slave Lair on, that always gets bonus points and up the list. The beach ball that makes it for me, I think that <laughs> gets you extra special points. I love yeah. the fact that Gamora Gar's just, you know, cutting it loose. You know, he's a sportsman. He's taking his physique seriously, and he's there playing beach volleyball. It's like a scene from Top Gun, playing with the boys, playing with the Gamorrean guards. Uh, yeah, I like that. Jez! You have yeah. an item which I believe is relevant to the earlier part of the podcast. Yeah, I love this. You know, it's a circle, isn't it? And the circle is complete with this amazing bit of game, mm-hmm. crack. Because this is a unique Star Wars item, a Daily Northwestern newspaper clipping declaring that David Prowse is dead. What? David Prowse is dead? Indeed, yeah. So here we go. This is a newspaper clipping which someone's cut out and taken to a convention, which David Prowse has actually signed. Now, it says here in the eBay listing, the current eBay listing, that Dave Prowse actually wanted to keep this. Uh, but he was very good, a uh, gentleman, and he actually signed this clipping. David Prowse, Darth Vader, I am not dead, <laughs> three exclamation marks. So, yeah, cracking piece. And uh, that's just a completely unique thing. With uh, obviously not swaying you at all because I was bigging up the beach ball. Let's not forget beach ball's good. But from a uh, from a relevance point of view, I think it's extremely relevant. That's very nice, Jez. Well done. Well found there, Jez. Well found. Where do you only get that from? Right now, the battle of the two big boys. Now, Si, I'm going to leave you last, Si, because you've really got to make an effort this month. And I, and from what I've seen so far, I think it's good. Now, Richard has found an item. Now, you've got to be careful here, but be medically accurate if you wish in your reference mr richard so uh richard take it away yeah a bit difficult to describe this one so i found this one on steve york's facebook page and it was a link to an eb auction and it had i can't believe nobody has bought this yet and i think bill mcbride was tagged in it and it's a piece of sculpture that somebody has created themselves meant to go on a wall. It's a Darth Vader-shaped penis. And I just chuckled and chuckled at it because I thought even the description that he wrote is absolutely hilarious. I'm going to have to be careful which words I read here. So reading out his description, it says, it's not everyone's taste, but it's fun. This is a wall sculpture made years ago by myself. It's a wee fun self-project, pun intended, in response to all the ridiculous art there is out there. I wanted to poke fun at it by going literal in the form of a phallus, but with cult iconography with an innuendo twist. And he's then listed other ones that he's made in the past. So this one is called Who's Your Daddy? 
The sculpture is moulded in plaster from a generically shaped mould and then customised to suit the nature of the theme. He hand-carved all of the details, which is a Darth Vader helmet, which is the, the main part of the stem, for want of a better word. The Death Star is one of the testicles, and on the other side is a hand-painted TIE fighter. And it's then been sealed in a couple of coats of resin that's been poured over the top of it. He's added a D-wing to hang it from a felt bucket. <laughs> like I mentioned before, might not be to everyone's taste, but it's all in jest. So I was wondering, Jez, Sai, have you got a picture hanging up on the wall that looks like this? And perhaps with, I don't know, a photograph of you is when you were about 15. Yeah, we said gin crap, not nutsack. Uh, this is the strangest thing, and we've seen some strange stuff with the Jabba bits and pieces last month. But this is just odd. No, if, if I if if I wanted to look at a knob on the wall, I just look at that picture of all of us together, Rich, and you're on the left. Yeah. That, joke, that joke just being packages, you know. Just, you can't go back with the same joke. Anyway, um, but would it surprise you to see that this is actually sold? <laughs> Someone bought it. Nothing surprises me. Twenty quid. Twenty. Oh, how 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 big is it? Should we say? <laughs> Give it a sausage. It shouldn't matter. Really, shouldn't matter. Pete. Yeah, size matters not, Peter. I know, but like, is it is it a monstrous thing or is it just a handheld thing? <laughs> I guess that's what you're going to do with it. Exactly. Um, I, I don't recall seeing any dimensions. I think I think we need to, you know, size does matter, Rich. Size does matter. So we need to understand the size. Anyone knows the size of this um, this interesting Darth element, then uh, please let us know. But Rich, that's a, that is a corker. Um, <laughs> I'm not quite sure what to say, really. I mean, you know, you're up there, Rich. You're up there. Finally, finally, sight. You really got to pull one out here. I think at the moment, in my mind, and is ahead because he's introduced me to a new duck interest. <laughs> with music and I like you know you know I like to collect an LP Richard you know he's you know, he's he's performed well again he's gone for a kind of more you know sort of handmade ceramic kind of way maybe that's Richard's future and uh Cy you know so far it's been lackluster so what do you got for me this month hey this month because I mean this fits even better you've just told me size matters so <laughs> how about five foot of golden rod big boy <laughs> What you've got here, what I've just posted up, is uh, described as a vintage 59-inch C-3PO solid wood cigar store statue. Uh, It's his face. It's just (laughs) remarkable. I think he must have just seen, looking at 3PO's face, I think he's just seen that Darth Balls thing. Um, This was on eBay. And I've got to say, it is a work of art purely because of its size. It is five foot tall. It appears to have been hewn out of timber and joined together in some unfathomable fashion. But it is a very, as you can see, a very shocked looking C-3PO. It's very shocked. In some kind of gold paint finish. His arms, clearly, uh, if you have a look, there's about a dozen photos there. And his arms are beginning to crack and separate at the shoulders. Uh, but it's it's brilliant. I mean, who needs the the? I mean, what's the typical cigar store one that they used to have? Was it was it a, a, a Native American? It was. It was yeah. with the headdress yeah. and all the rest of it. C three PO. 
there's no there's no age assigned to it but if you look at the general wear and the way that the joints are, are separating the timbers warped a little bit you, you've got to be good 20 30 years old at least i mean maybe it does date back to the original movies that's been some enterprising guy thought i need one of these outside of my store um but yeah it's just fantastic it's massive it is utterly unique it's handcrafted there's a there's a hell of a lot of craftsmanship gone into that um i think that has been outside you know so i think that has been outside for a long time it it does look like it's had a few repaints um, mm. I mean, you're not going to pull that out and just take it away, are you? I mean, that's going to be that's going to be out there for a long time. Those splits look like it's wood has just been, it's just taken the the toll of weather and heat exactly. and put a bit of rain as well. Where, where where was this? Did it say where it was from? Uh, I can't actually remember. It was near where Bill Cable lived because he's a C3PO focus guy, and I remember him posting underneath it. Some of the lanes of main neck of the woods. So I think he lives in Pittsburgh. So okay, around there somewhere. I mean, someone someone must have seen. I mean, I mean, if you're in a big city, someone must have seen this. If it's a cigar shop, if you have ever seen this outside of a, a store, let us know. I'd love to know a bit more information about it. Maybe even the store. But now I believe someone bought it. They did. It sold for. I can only guess it was a a start price at the auction. Oh no! It says buy it now, all best offer. So there you go. It was up for nine hundred ninety nine dollars, and it, it showed as sold. Oh my word! This is the problem again, though, isn't it? He's gone for the most expensive <laughs> thing you can find, and he doesn't get it. I, it's not the most expensive thing I could find by any stretch of the imagination, but it was by far and away the coolest. It's like, it is a good item. I am torn this month. I've, I, I mean, I like Richards, but you know, maybe, uh, maybe it's not quite there. I do like your sign. I really do. I really, I really want to give it to you, but I like Andy's a little bit more. I think he's come in there, left field, with an Empire Strikes Back kind of duck-related item, which we know Richard adores ducks. He lives for ducks. Guys, maybe I should throw it out to you, you guys. Jez, what do you think, duck or cigar? I mean, well, C three PO, he kind of looks. It's a cross. His mouth is so big. It's a cross between a birdhouse and some sort of. No, I don't, I don't want to say what the other thing is. Um, duck. Just go with the duck. Go, go with the duck. duck. Rich. Uh, between the two of them, I would go with the duck as well. I think that the artistic <laughs> license taken on that is brilliant. Whereas the C three PO is just a C three PO. It's not just a C three PO. Look at that pool rug that we had the other the other month. This is worse than that pool run. It's really negative. Stu, and how are we going here? I know Simon, since joining the podcast, probably hasn't performed as we were hoping when we invited him on. But I think he's improved this month. Mm, I think it's definitely. a good item. And him, him slagging off the rug there, I think, is bang out of order. Bang out of order. Been found so far. Because yeah. um, I, I would love that rug in my office. But I was also quite like that statue in my office. <laughs> but taking into account it's Simon and taking into account <laughs> that the actual artwork on that duck cover is amazing. You know, Kobe one Kenobi's got Gandalf's hat on. It's got to be the ducks. Now, um, you've got three ticks there. And like on X Factor, I'm the Simon Cowell of this particular operation. So what I say goes... Now, you've done well, Silux, Stuart. You have done well. You've put some effort in there. And I do like the item. I do. I wouldn't better put it in my shed anywhere, but I do like it. But I've got to go for the ducks. 
Duck's got to win. So, Sai, you've got to try a bit of a hard next time, but you were very, very close. I think all of us would, would agree it was, you know, between one and two. It was close, about as close as me and Richard live apart. You so, are all dead to me. <laughs> well, with the power of love, I think, you know, we've all grown, we've all learned, and Kim Crack has been showered with amazing things, and it's uh, it's a good day. Screw your love. No, it is a good day. Andy, you are the winner this month with your Owen Strikes Back album, which I'm going to buy because I love it. And I love the music. Fantastic. Well done, guys. <sighs> <laughs> and now, the top five priced wiring-related items from StarWarsTracker.com. In at five, this old bird's been around about... 38 years, so buried in a Y-wing-shaped coffin. It's a foreign logo Y-wing and a display case for £132. At number four, you wonder why Admiral Akbar is in a Y-wing? Always seemed a little fishy. It's a Y-wing minute seal box for £260. At three, X-wing, B-wing, Y-wing, and no S-wing. It's because you'd have to push it to get it going. It's a rare palatoy Y-wing diecast mop for £277. At two. Y-Wings always remind me of tuning forks. Every doctor used to have one in his pocket. I wonder what ever happened to doctors. Because this loon cake needs one, because he paid £309 for this mint and seal box Airface 70. And at one, why, why, why did this Y-Wing sell for so much? It's not even in a cardboard box. It's a loose can of Airface 90 Y-Wing for £584. See you guys next time on the StarWarsTracker.com Top 5. Disney is capitalizing on the massive appeal of the Star Wars franchise. The nearly 40-year-old space saga, now spanning three generations, is set to rewrite the playbook of blockbuster movie merchandise. And joining us today with all the details is WSJ's Ellen Byron. Ellen, welcome. So sales of Star Wars-related merchandise are expected to reach what? 1.2 1.2 or 1.5 billion in the 12 months surrounding the film? Yeah, in every way, this is going to be big. Incredible. So, what is behind all the hype? Well, um, a lot of it is just the huge appeal that Star Wars has. You have hardcore adult fans who have plenty of disposable income. Then you have parents who grew up with this franchise and have nostalgia for it. And then they also want their kids to be involved or the kids like it on on their own. And so there really isn't something comparable to the phenomenon of Star Wars. I guess this is what Disney was paying for when they bought the franchise. And this is the payday. The clip I just played was from a brief discussion on lunch break from the Wall Street Journal, hosted by Tonya Rivero, with reporter Ellen Byron. When we watched George Lucas hand over to Kathleen Kennedy, it was a real shot in the arm, because, we all hoped, Disney would bring the old characters back, and they did. The snowball effect from that announcement reawakened many people, like me, into reviving childhood collections and maybe starting up new ones. Thanks to Jared Cope and his Star Wars Trekker software, we can see the impact The Force Awakens may have had on vintage collecting. In 2017, there has been a slight fizzling out on the data frequency. People are still buying loose figures, but not in the quantities. This could be down to people having completed loose collections, or no longer seeking the figures due to cost, or maybe the surge in Facebook transactions not appearing on Star Wars Tracker. 
The last Jedi build-up has not been reflected in vintage interest, because that audience is no longer new. It's still on board from The Force Awakens, and will likely kick around until the end of Episode 9. Let's talk numbers. Loose figures is always my control as reflecting the market, as it has the largest spread and is the most accessible item. I also only use data from the bog-standard loose figures from the first 21 to the last 17, so no major variants like double telescoping sabres or vinyl cape jowers, no blue snags or Dianoga. The numbers of loose complete figures sold in total. In 2014, it was 16,920, averaging 1,410 per month. In 2015, it was 24,841, averaging 2,070 per month, and that was the year of the lead-up and release of The Force Awakens. In 2016, that number slightly fell to 23,460 figures, sold with an average of 1,955 per month. In 2017, so far, it's been 14,063, averaging 1,278 per month, which is of course almost 3,000 lower than 2014, and 10,000 lower than 2015. It's quite a large decrease. Comparing 2015 to 2017, in the first 12, the numbers of figures sold weren't too dissimilar. However, cloth cape jowers have fallen in numbers from 382 in 2015 to 220 in 2017. Darth Vader from 433 to 191, Chewie 560 to 308. Two figures, though, did have an increase. The Stormtrooper rose from 219 in 2015 to 382 in 2017, and I'm wondering whether that had anything to do with Finn from The Force Awakens. The only other increase was 6 for the small-headed hand. In contrast, the last 17, which are always harder to get figures in comparison to the first 12, none have, surprisingly, decreased in price, and all have dropped in frequency of sales. For the last 17, the drop in numbers have averaged about 15-20%. to 20%. Romba, Imperial Dignitary, EV-99 and Barada have fallen between 40-50%. to 50%. For price increases, on the average, Lando General has risen from... £60 to £111, Lou Poncho has gone from an average of £59 to £107, the A-Wing Pilot from 52 to £116, and the Imperial Gunner 61 to £123. And the biggest climber was R2 Pop-Up, which has gone from an average of £130 in 2015 to a whopping £237 average in 2017. These, of course, all have issues with accessories, and that now heavily dictates price and frequency where others in the first 12, 21 and the middle range rarely suffer from. So in conclusion, the Force definitely awoke the prices, and it's no last waltz for the Jedi just yet. Prices are still rising, even though frequency of sales is falling. In 2018, will we start to see a decline in prices? Let's wait and see. Right, now I want to welcome back Mark Newbold for this month's Rapid Fire. Are you ready to go, Mark? I think I'm ready. We'll soon find out. <laughs> your favourite Star Wars movie? Empire Strikes Back. And your favourite Star Wars scene? Ooh, there's a good question. Uh, oh, wow. Um, Luke going up the uh, up the rope underneath the attack, uh, lobbing open the hatch with his lightsaber, chucking the bombing. Your favourite on-screen character? 
Han Solo. Your favourite on-screen costume? Oh, that's a good one. Um, off the top of my head straight away, I'd say Atta Driver. Now, this one, you've probably met quite a few of them, but which actor or crew member would you most like to meet? Um, I'd be boring and say Lucas, because uh, that would be the, the ultimate. So, I'd, I'd, yeah, terribly boring, but I'd say George Lucas if I'd like to meet, yeah. Your favourite Sith? Probably Sidious. Uh, your favourite lightsaber duel? Oh, wow. Um, Maul versus Obi-Wan in Phantom Menace. What was your favourite figure as a child? Ah, that's a good question. It would either be Han in Hoth uh, or Attack Driver. Just love those figures. What is your favourite figure now? Probably is still Han in Hoth. Which figure do you wish they'd made in the vintage range? <laughs> I wanted, I always wanted uh, a, a Tarkin as a kid. I thought that would have been a cool figure to have. Um, but as I've grown older and enjoy my cooking more, I'd probably say Aunt Baru so they could just make the kitchen set as well. <laughs> your favourite toy vehicle or playset? It would have to be the Falcon. What was the last Star Wars item you purchased? Oh, blimey. Um, it was uh, the six-pack of the Volvic, <laughs> the Volvic Waters um, that I picked up uh, yesterday. Yeah, it would be that, which is, I guess that counts. I mean, I'm going to drink them, but, but yeah. I, I'll, I will just about say that counts, I think. It's a Star Wars item. I'll let you have yeah. that. <laughs> what is your, your favourite Star Wars book? Um, Han Solo at Star's End. And finally, what what is your Holy Grail item if you could own any piece of Star Wars? Well, that's a good question. Um, I'm very eclectic. I'm not a completist, so I like I like little bits of lots of things, and it doesn't worry me too much if I don't get everything. But let me think. Let me blast. I'd like the gold hardback copy of the original Darth Star Wars novel. I've got the, I've got the first print of the paperback from '76. I've got the UK, all the UK prints and everything, but I've not got the gold hardback. So that at the moment, that will probably be the grail that I'm after, the, the gold hardback of the original novel. That's a great answer. I just want to throw one more in, actually, which I, I didn't use. Your favourite convention, because I know you get around a bit. <laughs> That's a nice way of putting it. Um, <laughs> I would say I've always had, looking back, and it was pretty pretty special for a lot of people, I would probably say the first Star Wars Celebration in Europe. I think because for me, you know, I met a lot of people that I'd known online but never managed to meet, got to know people from the States, and it was just, it was special. I was still doing lightsaber then, so it was sort of the biggest thing that we'd done is lightsaber race and money for charity. And so I think I'll probably always have the softest spot for Celebration, the first Celebration in Europe. Well, Mark, thank you so much. My pleasure. Right, on to our question for the month. Obviously, this has been a hotting up because Richard's on 13 points, Pete on 10, and the other two vying not to be the most embarrassing members of the podcast on five. With the Senate discussing customising this month and it being the holiday season, I'm asking you all, which figure, which vintage figure, would you take and how would you customise it to give it a Christmas feel? And let's go, Simon, to see if he will disappoint us yet again. Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's easy on two scores. One, yes. I'm going to distribute. It's my objective in life to do so, Stuart. I, I get undying pleasure out of it. But two, I love this idea. Ugnor as Santa's little helper, you could stick a little woolly, you could stick a little hat on him with a bobble. He could change his smock into like, uh, I don't know, like a green and red smock like the little elves have in the workshop. And he's, he's even got his toolkit with him already. Just add some tinsel to it and you've got a ready-made Santa's little helper. Okay, Si, okay. That puts a bit of pressure on Jez later. Uh, Rich? I had a think of um, taking a torn torn and giving it moose ears, right? <laughs> and you could use it 
as an eggnog cup, like um, Cousin Eddie does on Christmas Vacation. How are you mm. using it as a cup? Right, because you've got the bit with the saddle, so you, where you push down, right? So you take that piece out and you pour your eggnog inside the, the bit that the legs go into. I think it's not a split belly, so it'll come back no, out it's not side. No, it's not a split belly. That would just be silly. You keep on going with this, Rich, because <laughs> I'm really looking forward to you being in fourth place this time. So keep I, on going. You, you've got a winner there. I don't think so. So oh. picture a torn torn with, with moose ears with that little piece hollowed out. It'll be a great little drinking vessel. Hmm. How are you holding it? With the moosiers. That's the whole point of the moosiers. Have you ever seen? Have you ever seen Christmas Vacation? Yeah, why, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But moose why ears. haven't you used like reindeer antlers rather than moose ears? You're mm. saying moose ears rather than the moose horns, which is confusing me because. Ears. Oh, did I say it? Yeah, sorry. Right. Yeah. 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 I'm not yeah. letting you go back on it. You've you've given your answer now, moose so ears. I'm going to consider moose ears when I'm marking this. So, mm. um, Pete. Well, you're going to have to imagine this one because it's a, a wonderful piece. Now, take your Y wing, which we've obviously talked about earlier in the podcast, and uh, turn it round. Take out the you know the canopy thing. Santa sits in there. Now we turn round. So obviously the the end engine bits they are basically your reins, and you'll have a fleet of beautiful torn, torn reindeers, stealing Richard's idea, sadly, it seems now. Mm-hmm. But uh, so Santa's in there. It is basically the Y-Wing will, will effectively be Santa's sleigh with torn, torns as reindeers. But I'm not going to use moose ears for my torn, torns. I shall make my own custom antlers for my torn, torns. How silly is that? Santa's sleigh is the Y-Wing. Jezzy wezzy. Well, here we go. This is uh, this is the gift that keeps on giving. So if you think about Lobot... Okay, now in the movie, Lando is communicating with a lobot, and you see him, and you see his uh, lobot sort of computer head thing. Boop, 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 boop. Or lights. What's more Christmassy than lights? So you completely jazz up lobot, and he's got lights in his head, which add the Christmas sparkle. You can have him outside. You know, to entertain people as they're walking past, you can have him inside, made of plastics, waterproof, inside, outside, it's all good. So lights, Lobot could even, you know, just hold some tree stuff in front of him and it could be the lights on the tree. Also, from a man point of view, I'm always doing the Christmas wrapping on Christmas Eve. And it's a case of, damn it, I've run out of sellotape or I haven't got this, I haven't got that. It's all right. I've got on my watch, my iPhone watch or what have you. Just say, Lobot, can you help me? I need some uh, Christmas wrapping paper and some sellotape. So Lobot is your friendly christmas helper he's like an elf in some respects but he can also put on the christmas disco jazzle when he needs to so he's got the whole thing going on really are you into modern slavery jess because that sounds a lot like it that's disgusting mate hey i i think everyone's tonight apart from richard's is really good and uh you know I'm, i've got the power of love so i think you- lobot would be really really good are you Christmas. doing anything with his outfit, like colouring it or anything? Or are we we keeping that kind of like blousy sleeve, Shakespearean sleeves thing going on? Well, you've got nothing against Shakespeare, have you? I mean, at the end of the day. I mean, no, no, very, art, very, you know, very talented, um, but I don't associate him with Christmas. No, well, but the thing is, he doesn't want to steal the limelight. He just wants to produce the light. See what I did there? So, uh, yeah, it's, it's just all about the illumination. And in, in fact, I think this whole podcast has been quite illuminating. So a bit of a theme going on there. Illumination. OK, I'm going to have a little look at the points now. <sighs> Rich, I don't know what's happened to you tonight. Yeah, I don't know if you've been hanging around with Cy and <laughs> just too much. But what? You know, moose ears. And when you said Tauntaun, I'll be honest with you, when you first said Tauntaun, I got magnificently excited over here. I'm on I'm on a swivel chair and I was swiveling, I can tell you. But Rich, only a point for you this month. 
Oh, sorry, I'm going to give you two. I, I like your little outfit thing, but oh. I think it was a bit, uh, <laughs> I think it's the kind of thing you've decided on as you sat down. I'm going to give Jez three points, surprisingly, you know. That's think? two months running. He's come second on this, and <sighs> he's really pulled himself around. But Pete, I, I, I can see that Y-wing with a big sleigh having <clears throat> its own shelf. You could do a Hoff scene, but <gasps> with that landing in it, um, yeah, Pete, five points. So oh, Good man. Jez, who had only like been picking up one point, is risen off the bottom now. Sai, you are last on seven. Jez is on eight, and Rich has been overtaken by Pete by a single point. <laughs> You are just unfair. What, what vintage figure would you take? How does the Y-Wing fit into that? Honestly. <laughs> because yeah, that's, that's not a bad point, actually, Rich. Yeah, but he used he used the Rancor Keeper and painted him as Santa, and he used um, Tauntauns. You've, you've got a bloody Tauntaun. Which is a creature, not a figure. Yeah, don't, don't, don't pick on someone else. Actually, Jez, Jez you, wish, you wished you had the Tauntauns figure, Jez. Good record figure. No idea what's going on now. Rich, <laughs> give us the feedback from episode 42. Right, okay. Well, over on Toys Home UK, Jason Smith wrote quite a long discourse on some of the points that are brought up in Tony. So I'm not going to cover all of his points, but thanks, Jason, for that information. If anybody wants to go and check out our feedback thread on Toys Home UK, Jason does go into detail about some of the points that each of us said. So I'm just going to gloss through some of them. So Pete, he's just said there, there's no extra glue on the bubble. The glue was already on the bubble and the heat activated the glue onto the car, so Toy Tony hasn't added any extra glue onto the packaging. He agreed with what Jez said, that he isn't receiving any kind of remuneration from Cass for being on their board of advisors as a service of community, which is exactly what we thought it was, so good on you, uh, Jason. And then he talked about the other possible card backs, and he said he heard claims of other items being affected, but he's not 100% satisfied that the proof is there yet and saying that the list is inaccurate and incomplete kind of makes it difficult to specifically say that that's a toy tony that's not a toy tony and at this moment in time a lot of it is speculation he agrees that the chewbacca has been difficult it's problematic because toy tony's use the same bubble as a factory used one so that one's more difficult to spot you also talked about the palatoy veda that we mentioned which isn't on the list and, and i think from reading from what he said if there was one that wasn't on the list it would be the veda i think it's probably the closest one to be on there and he's corrected me when i said i thought it was possibly dengar that he's referring to about a common tony he thinks that it was bosk i was probably referring to which is probably right um i'm certainly no toy tony expert so so cheers for all of that information jason he just wanted to stress that obviously he's worked with a lot of other collectors on these and seen a lot of pictures and once again he gives his best advice and his best opinion on what he believes is toy tony and what he isn't once again jason thanks for all your time over on Facebook, we've had some great feedback from Chris Edwards. So thanks for that, Chris. We've read and responded on Facebook to you. And David Reader with um, some ideas and suggestions for the Senate. So if anybody else has got any ideas for the Senate, uh, probably best to contact Cy directly so he can keep a log of all of that rather than putting it on Facebook. So so thanks, David. And if anybody else has got any ideas for Senate discussions or even want to take part in the Senate, contact Cy on Facebook. See if we can get him three messages, which will be probably more than Jez has received in the last three years so um, that would be great over on Rebel Scum nice to see some feedback on Rebel Scum so thanks to 8ball very brief but positive feedback on Rebel Scum so, so thanks very much for that your support is appreciated over on Tantive we had Steve and Andy who goes by Nico gave some great feedback and particularly enjoyed the enthusiastic Jesse interview so so thanks for that we, we enjoyed the Jesse interview I think it was just a, a nice feel good interview that one and it was great to hear 
somebody so passionate in their in their interview and their chosen hobby. Over on Instagram, we've had quite a lot of questions being asked on Instagram the last couple of weeks. So for all those who have liked and retweeted and reposted messages on Twitter and Instagram, thank you very much. And if anybody's got any questions that they want to ask of our images, we've been putting all of our images on Instagram. We're going to keep that going, you know, for the foreseeable future. Thanks very much. And for anybody else who wants to get in contact with us, Stu, what's the best way of doing that? They can contact us by searching Vintage Rebellion on Facebook, on Instagram by also searching the Vintage Rebellion. You can email us on swtvrpodcast at gmail.com and find us on Twitter at swtvrpodcast. And of course, you can also contact any of us directly across the forums. If you're bored this holiday season, you could go back and, and maybe listen to Ozio and Marco J discuss Lily Leddy on episode 30 or, or maybe go back to episode 20 when Rich spoke with Thomas Garvey or perhaps last year's Christmas special when Pete interviewed Chris Botkins. There are so many episodes covering so many topics in that back catalogue. So go back and enjoy any of our previous shows via iTunes or directly at swtvrpodcast.com. Dot podbean.com. If you are a fan of the show and the work we produce, then please leave us an iTunes review. Every review helps us and will take just a moment of your time. So please, if you do have a spare two minutes, we would really appreciate it. Thank you to this month's guests, Mark Newbold, Steve Savory, Dan Turl, Steve McGill, Don Salvatore and Lee Bullock. We really do appreciate it. This is our last structured show of 2017, but we do have a Christmas special drop-in over the weekend before Xmas where we will discuss what has gone, what is happening and what is to look forward to in our yearly roundtable. For this show, it is goodbye from Rich. Later, guys. Goodbye from Jez. Not long now. Oh, in fact, (laughs) it's already happened, so uh, forget that. (laughs) Goodbye from Jez. Cheers, guys. See you next time. Goodbye from Simone. Have a happy Christmas, everybody. Tis the season to be Star Wars. Goodbye from Pete. Oh, those porgs. Look, they're great. And it is goodnight from me. And remember... Only you can decide with Star Wars toys. This podcast is not endorsed by Disney, Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All of the original content of this podcast are the intellectual copyrights of the Vintage Rebellion. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. If you don't enjoy this podcast, tough. Are Star Wars products going to have the durability of, say, that old favourite, the teddy bear? I'll tell you what Rachel. I learned. I learned that Stu will stab his own teammate in the back if he if he doesn't meet, meet his well, expected uh, Sorry, did we win? Right. You don't then come out after a winning thing in an oh. online interview and then start moaning. What I'm most surprised at, Sai, I'm not. I'm not. I'm horrified, Stu. What I'm, I'm surprised shocked. at is how poor Richard performed out of everyone. <laughs> well, I don't collect Power of the Force cards, oh. and I did quite. I got oh, far more answers than than Sai did. Who was? Uh, oh, I don't think so. He you pulled know, out the winner. So, so I, so I just I'm not going to. I'm not going to berate my team, mate, in public.
Not I'm sorry, but me and Pete were a sign of unity, and you two were a sign of like you know. Yeah. Yeah. You are unified in your losing, Rich. I'll give you that. You know Rest what? We didn't wane. We didn't wane. Where's you, yeah. Scott? Honestly, you were dripping. Our competitive streaks worked exactly. well together. They did. Yeah, we'll see your streaks are farthest from. Excuse oh. the ying to my yang. <laughs> this is meant to be the That's love episode. You know, what's going on? It was, it was <laughs> ridiculous, to play wasn't the song it? Again. It's ridiculous. Mm. I've never heard so much whining, Stu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you yeah, know yeah. What? Bloody hell. I'm not sure I can put up with this all weekend, frankly. Mm. I'm going to have to start spiking his coke. I mean, fair enough, Stu. You had a handicap in your team, but you've just got to rise to the challenge. <laughs> yeah. Well... That concludes the quiz for this, uh, for this episode. Hey, look, you started all of this with his negative little chat at the beginning, having a little <laughs> rant about you know who. It's, it's like, oh my god, this is the like the near the Christmas episode, and it's like fucking people wanging, moaning, and pinching and whining, backstabbing. This is what you do with your football teams do to motivate them. Oh well, very good. You on the wing, don't score enough goals, really, but I'm going to drop you for not scores and goals, you useless rubbish. Do you sound like Blakey when you're on the touchlines, do you? <laughs> Looks like uh, I'm really looking forward to editing this. It's, uh, it's going to be a real treat. So there we go. Yep. Winners let's move on arrived. because it is quarter to ten and oh. we are doing the whole show. And let's go to Rebel Briefings with Ricardo Hutchinson. <laughs> <laughs> 